everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 378. I'm Oscar joined as always by my co-host David Bixenspan. And Bix, we got a very fun show this week, but we have another show to talk about at the beginning here. Yes, we've got a new Patreon show, although it's not as spooky as this week's main show is. <laughs> no, well, maybe spooky for some people, but uh, no, it's definitely not, but yes, Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. We begin our first of three-part series to close out the year of 2022 as we look back at 25 years of Montreal. And the first show that we got uh, that's out now as you listen to this focuses on uh, the build-up and Survivor Series 97 itself. So we'll... We'll go over all the, the issues that happened with uh, Bret Hart and Vince McMahon and what led to Vince McMahon telling Bret Hart basically to go, go to WCW and then flip-flopping by the minute sometimes on that decision. And then we'll talk about you know everything that happened in the lead-up that week, which was very interesting. Bret's last house shows, Bret appearing on On the Record with Michael Landsberg, all the news of how this got out, and just who leaked the news to the newsletters, which may surprise some people. Um, well, how it that doesn't pretty much... say, but it's made fairly well, <laughs> We know. Yes. And, and basically how that changed everything, because if it didn't get leaked, who knows how different things are. Then we go into uh, Survivor Series Day itself, Wrestling with Shadows, we lean on heavily on a lot of stuff. So we'll have that to go with and uh, how plans change that day in Montreal. And then, you know, we talk about the match and people forget how good of a match it was because of the finish. So we talk about that, play the finish, play the aftermath, go into all the stories. It's a wild show, folks. Hell of a show. If you're a Bret Hart fan, if you're a Shawn Michaels fan, definitely want to listen to this show. Five dollars. At patreon.com slash between the sheets. So uh very, very well worth that money, in my opinion. And uh yeah, it's hard to believe it's for twenty five years, but yep, and then we go and we have our hypotheticals and what ifs and we you know, come in and, and realize some stuff as we're doing it that we might not have known before that was going on. So I mean it's all the Patreon shows we, we have these, so we have that here too. So it should be um Quite the series, and this is uh, quite the lead-off to that series. So the November will be focusing on the next two weeks after and all the craziness that went on in the, in the aftermath. And then in December, we'll cover uh, the rest of 97, and then we'll talk about Wrestling with Shadows to close it out. So uh, three parts, folks. So if you put $5 down, definitely want to do it for the next couple months as well. And yes, we do have anniversary billing. So do not worry about that. If you, uh, whenever you decide to uh, become a patron, you won't get billed for another month after your uh, first date. So you won't get double billed if you do it at the end of the month, going to the beginning of the next month. So five dollars a month for that. Fifty dollars and forty cents gets you the annual subscription. So that's sixteen percent off. That's uh, a good way to go. A lot of people have been doing that lately. Of course, you can do the other the tiers. We got the dollar tier, which you don't get the audio, but you get the access to the Discord. Twenty-five dollars lets you pick a show for the week. 
fifty for uh, you sit in for a segment, hundred for the whole show. If you want to sit in on that, it's all if you want to do it. And all this is at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Yes. And our guest this week is someone who is sometimes active in that Discord. Yes, he is. He's one of our favorites. And when I was doing notes for this week's show and so and was going through the stuff that we were we were talking about, he's the first person that came to my mind because this is a uh, a good time period and uh, a lot of stuff going on in the indie scene, which he uh, is an expert at for sure. But then now and forever, and you know he's uh, still going strong today as uh, one of the voices of GCW and uh, freelance and other things and just a bon vivant of independent wrestling in every way. We are joined by the legendary Hall of Famer, Dave Prezak. Dave, welcome back. What's going on, guys? I thought you were describing Ian Riccoboni there for a second. And uh, <laughs> he said freelance wrestling, and, and <laughs> he's done a little bit of GCW. But yeah, he, Ian's very active on the Discord as well. Yes, he is. Yes, Ian is... Uh, Ian's, you know, he's doing big things right now. He, he's on AEW a lot, so uh, yes, always great for that. And plus, you know, his Phillies are doing tremendous right now in baseball as we record this, going to the World Series, which has already started by the time uh, you listen to this. It hasn't started yet as we record. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'd love to see our uh, our friends do great, absolutely, in their careers. So, uh Awesome, awesome to have you back on, Dave. So and those those old the older Patreon like those of you who haven't signed up for it yet, but uh, who do sign up and listen to the older shows, some great historical content. Especially this past weekend, I did a long road trip uh, with a referee who's only been uh, in the business for about five years now and had not heard the name John Collins before. And the fact that you guys chronicled that whole story, it helped me sort of, it refreshed my memory to recap everything for him. And uh, it was also like, I'm not too familiar with this XPW thing either. So the Rob Black guy, he's pretty sleazy, huh? I'm like, um, yeah, yeah, you kind of need to find out about these things. So, uh, we, we, so we probably need to do an XPW show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's true. But I was like, yeah, check out the dark side of the ring on XPW. That's a good one. <laughs> but the fact is yeah. that like uh, some of these things, yeah, they were chronicled in the newsletters back then. But for the current generation and, you know, people that are following wrestling right now to like hear the in-depth recap of some of these stories that you guys do on the uh, on the monthly Patreon uh, shows is definitely a learning tool for people that don't know anything about some of these things. Yes. Well, you know, we're going to one of our most popular Patreon shows is, you know, is it, it, it involving stuff in this time period that we'll talk about on this show and one of your all time favorite people in the wrestling business, Johnson Oluoliemi. <laughs> Johnson Oluoliemi. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we have Global in here. And so, you know, some of that stuff was overlap for the Patreon show. But I think we have some stuff in the notes here that was not in the Patreon notes. So, uh, we'll have that too. Yeah. Intriguing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so, all right. Let's get this show on the road, shall we? All right, so let's we're going to do the week of October 26th to November the 1st of 1991. And we've done it around this show and uh, around this week. So because uh, we had all the Paul Heyman drama with WCW, which uh, he's about to make his big return. We did shows on that with Scott Bowden, our dearly departed friend. And uh, now we're co- actually covering the pay-per-view itself. 
So let's but, begin with World Championship Wrestling. Yeah, FBX, go ahead. Well, nothing in this section, though, about... Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. <laughs> no, well, not in this section. Later yeah, on. Later, yeah. Yes. All right, so let's go to... Keep that uh, fresh for later on the show. All right, <laughs> World Championship Wrestling. Everybody. There are several changes due to injuries and upcoming major cards. The angle on the WCW Halloween Havoc preview on Sunday night where Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco smashed a car door in Barry Windham's hand was a cover story because on October 22nd in Columbus, Georgia, in a squash match, Windham landed wrong doing a bulldog headlock and broke his wrist in four places. The injury is serious enough that he isn't expected to return for six months to a year but he was willing to let them slam a car door in his hand to use legit injury as part of an angle when he returns. That's mighty nice of him. Ron Simmons, who were at Halloween Havoc's main event with a bad wrist as well, is expected to be out a few weeks as well. As well. And the last word Dave had is he wasn't expected back for the clash on November 19th. Simmons was in a cast until just for the show and became something of a folk hero for toughness, for working the match without any protection for his wrist, nor did he take any pain pills or shots to kill the pain. Ron Simmons is definitely a tough motherfucker. Ironically, late in the week, that was some concern that Simmons wasn't even going to be able to work the show Sunday, or perhaps wasn't going to be allowed, as there was concern about him doing the finish. So with that, there's supposed to be some revamping of the Clash lineup on November 19th from Savannah. Where the top match is scheduled to be Lex Luger against Rick Steiner for the WCW title and Sting versus Rick Rude. The plan of pushing Barry Windham and Ron Simmons as a top babyface tag team has already been changed to giving a big push to Windham and Dustin Rose the tag team, but that plans out the window as well. Hmm, I wonder why. The opponents of the Enforcers is unknown for that show, and Dave believes that Oz versus Dustin Rose is out the window, but he believes the rest of the card is staying as is. Okay, so wait a second. So at three weeks out from the clash, mm -hmm. Dave either doesn't know about or can't report on Steamboat. Well, that whole thing that whole thing went down the week for a week. Right, right, right. Um, the but we he doesn't know yet that it's going to be Dustin and a new partner at the clash. But there was also a plan for a Dustin singles. I'm. I'm confused. Well, my thing is here is if Wyndham doesn't get hurt, I mean, how does that change everything? As far as Steamboat? Yeah, because obviously, I mean, we, we don't, I guess, I mean, Steamboat would come in, but I don't think he was, I mean, we wouldn't get what we got. No, we don't get one of the greatest but, moments in the history of TBS wrestling. No. <laughs> yeah. When was the, uh, when was the Ricky Steamboat deal put together? Um, it's not, it's actually not during our week. It's actually like the week of the clash. Yeah. It's very short. Notice. So, so very, so very last, very last minute. So it probably was a surprise to everybody at the time. Well, wasn't, was wasn't he also like waiting on a release to be signed? Yes. Titan there was that too. Yes. There was, there was some drama going on there. Oh, they were dragging their feet on the release. They promised someone to go to WCW. I'm shocked. I mean, yeah, it was just. It was a last-minute deal. I mean, I, I don't know how close everything was before the release or when our week was or everything, but, I mean, the Steamboat stuff was going on the week before and the week after our week. And he was still in WWF, and they were still actually, I think, kind of advertising him, too, or they were replacing him. So, yeah, it was a fluid situation, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, it is, that is something. But there was a big debut on Halloween Havoc. The biggest surprise on Halloween Havoc, 
was returned to Pauly dangerously as the manager of Ravishing Rick Rude and Medusa. A lot transpired over the past week in that situation, which was still touch and go until two hours before the show was scheduled to begin. Dangerously announced a press conference on Friday at the China Club in New York <laughs> to talk about his suspension. Two days for the press conference at the WCW Steering Committee meeting. Mm-hmm. Jim Crockett brought up, brought up bringing Dangerously back as a lead manager. A position first offered to Jim Cornette, who turned it down much to everyone's expectations, although they did make the offer. It seems to be pretty much accepted by everyone that the company made a mistake in suspending Paul Lee for something and seems he never did. And there was no proof whatsoever that he ever did and that he even did it. Now, even if he did it, it wasn't an offense worthy of suspension to begin with. But anyway, rather than be stubborn about holding firm to their position just to prove they can, which they can, movement was made to bring Paul Lee back. Oh, they want him as a manager rather than a commentator to begin with. According to our sources, Jim Ross, Dusty Rose, and Magnum TA all agreed with Crockett's proposal, which constituted a majority of a six-person committee. David was told Jim Hurd wasn't hot about the idea first, but didn't try to block it either. Daniels held his press conference two days later and made the statement that WCW didn't at least schedule a review on his suspension within 72 hours or by the end of the pay-per-view. He'd take legal action. By the time he said that, the legit suspension was being worked into a pro wrestling angle. Not like this whole thing was a pro wrestling angle. It was expected by that time that he'd start back as a manager, although it wasn't a definite, but since the plan was already made for him to be in Chattanooga, one had to assume he was inevitably being brought back. But there were still details of the angle to be worked out, and Danielson wanted to create an angle from his suspension, which wasn't agreed upon until late Sunday afternoon. There were a few shoot remarks by Danielson in the first interview, although in his storyline, he wants his suspension to be because he was too controversial a television commentator, and one by Ross as well. And, uh, Matt Watch, of course, chimes in. The deal bringing Paulie back to WCW was not completed until 5 p.m. or one hour before Havoc, and not before Paul twice packed his gear to leave. Bull fucking shit. <laughs> oh, by the way, on a serious note, since his name came up, um, do you want to give our condolences to Steve Beverly on the passing of his mother? Yes, yes. And... Um, we did. I mean, we did shows about this, Bix. You know, this whole situation here. Like we said, you know, and Steve Beverly was the house organ for Paul Lee, and uh, on Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. Basically, as well in this. So, well, all it's all much bullshit. Kind of were, but it's all much bullshit. <laughs> we, we we come to that. We come to that. Even by WCW standards, I don't understand why they would do it that way if that's what really happened. But also, like, WCW never says a word during any of this, basically. They're, no. I, I, that we at least had in the notes. I feel like I might have found something more recently, but it's like, they, it's just, it doesn't seem like anything actually happened. Are they supposed to send people to the China Club, too? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just, and of course, naturally, it's two days for the pay-per-view. When all this has been going on for like, what, a month? But two days for the pay-per-view, now we're going to have this press conference. Paul being Paul. You know, I mean, that's all it was. It was all the work. So, it's okay, a Paul a and Eddie work. Wait, did Dave say that the press conference didn't happen? He, he didn't say it didn't happen. He said it happened. He oh, said he did. held his press conference two days later. Yeah. Okay, and made the statement that, yeah. I don't know why I misheard that. Okay. Because, um... I just love 
Nothing makes it more clear that it's an angle, though, that, that he said WCW had 72 hours to reinstate him, or else they'd be served with a lawsuit in 48 hours he's debuting at the pay-per-view. Wow! Amazing how that worked out, <laughs> isn't it? I can't believe it. All makes for a dramatic return, doesn't it? <laughs> I can't believe it. Oh. oh, and Alex Marvez did mention in Three Count that from an anonymous source that dangerously wants... Some say in the development of his character, which may not be easy to get. I want some say in the development of my character, which may, I admit, not be easy to get. That sounds somewhat like Paul Heyman, but a little bit more like Gilbert Godfrey. (laughs) (laughs) For having sexual relations with one another. Every time I hear the CW fucking community is sucking and fucking and sucking. They're all sucking and fucking each other. See, that's Gilbert Gottfried. It's not Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. But, I mean, oh. Oh, it does say, should Dangerously and WCW not reach an an agreement expect Medusa Michelli to manage, recruit, and the enforcers? (laughs) Oh, yeah. So I guess, (laughs) yeah, they said they had not settled on a new contract yet, at least according to. uh, what Alex wrote. Maybe they were finalizing the specific details of things at five o'clock that day, but. <laughs> all right. So we, all right. So we did that with Scott Bowden on episode 169. Was it 168 and 169 or 169 and 170? Well, uh, right here to see 169. Well, cause we did That's back to back. Listen. Remember? Yeah. But Unless you don't have him listed as a guest, as the guest, I think I do. I'm looking. Right Bo now. Bo is one seventy. It was one sixty eight. So it was not back to back. I thought the thing I remember you specifically saying for the first time ever we're doing the same year back to back. Yeah, with him. Not not the way. This is. I'm on the no, website now. Looking was at only the, on the. Okay, it was the same year, but we didn't have Scott on both. Okay, that's what it was. Not necessarily. Because Bo, Bose is 92. Then what's 168 and 170? All right, 170 is 92. 168 is 91. That was Jose. Okay, that's what it was. We brought Scott back after that. Yeah, because that was Barcelona. Yes. That was different from Barcelona. So that's why we had him on. But anyway. But yeah, we talked about that on 169, all this shit going on, because that was the whole Lawler versus Luger in Memphis and all that bullshit. So. All right, well. After all that, it's time to head off Chattanooga for Halloween Havoc 91, which had a misfortune of going head-to-head with the biggest football game of the year on cable. The New York Giants gets the then Washington Redskins on ESPN and the seventh game of the World Series, which this was 1991 World Series, which meant the Atlanta Braves. And that's what I was watching that night, was the Atlanta Braves against the Minnesota Twins. Because, I mean... This is the first time the Braves have been in the World Series in the Atlanta version of the Braves. And this town, this whole area was just insane for the Braves. And that's where all the attention was. And the problem is you got the home wrestling company in Chattanooga, which is just right up the road. So, yeah, it was that was a tough one to deal with. Absolutely. Well, almost all expectations were that this would have a negative effect on the buy rate. WCW sources said they would have been happy just to garner a 1.0 buy rate. They were able to pack the building with 8,900 fans. The house was $45,000, so about half was paid and half was paper. 
which is no cause for me to take lightly, going against the seventh game of the most exciting World Series in years. From all accounts, it was a super live show. As a pay-per-view event, it was something less than super. With the average ticket price at a small market WCW pay-per-view 1991 be like $9-$10? I feel like it would be a little more. The average ticket price? Yeah. Probably. Okay. Yeah, I mean, 1991, I mean, good lord. I mean, I can remember getting ringside tickets at house shows for like 10, a little over 10 bucks. Okay. 10 to $15. So, yeah. Well, what a way to open the show to. The Chamber of Horrors. Well, no. Chris, we got something before that. What we is got that? the wrestlers arriving in their cars. Well, see, Dave, he's already mentioned that, so it's not in the uh, notes It's not in the rundown, the... but yeah. All right, well, yes. So we have the uh, the arrivals here, and we have Eric Bischoff looking spiffy in his uh, tuxedo here. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's uh, see what happens to one Barry Winham. I've never seen an image of Bischoff where he looked more like he would break his hair if he fell down. <laughs> he's looking very pale, too. Also, by the way, Barry's back in uh, 11 weeks. Yeah. For an injury that could have kept him out six months to a year. Mm-hmm. We are outside the UTC Arena, Chattanooga, Tennessee, the talk of the town around the world. It's Halloween Havoc, and it's just a few hours away. Hopefully, we're going to get a chance to talk to some of the stars here that are involved in some of these great matchups. First of all, we see Cactus Jack and Abdullah the Butcher. Cactus Jack, welcome to Halloween. Bang, bang. Havoc. I can't really Cactus think of Cactus driving Lincoln Town Car. Well... More suited for a Chamber of Horrors match than... Abby in shirt and tie. Short sleeve shirt. It's... It, mm-hmm. Oh, my... Oh, he's in... He's in... He's in... He is... He is definitely dressed like... He's got a cigar in his mouth. He's got, he's like, three cigars in his uh, chest pocket as well. Oh, this... This... Yeah, <laughs> this is a Farmer's Market Abby right here. This is... If you went to the Farmer's Market in Atlanta, and you saw Abby up there buying produce for his restaurant, this is what he's wearing. Which so we have his blazer on at that time, but uh, he's he, this is exactly the type of gear he's wearing. He's in his shirt and tie, slacks, professional Abby here. If it was while, while holding his shrunken head. Yes. <laughs> if it was two years later, it looked it would look like a Sipowitz Halloween costume <laughs> with his shrunken head. <laughs> and holy shit, are his gig marks pronounced here too? What a look on his face! It's like Curly from Three Stooges. Gosh. Cactus Jack and Abdullah the Butcher, they're ready. Believe me, they are ready for the Oh, the ballet is taking their car. The other question on everybody's mind is, who is the WCW Phantom? A lot of people asking that question, and as I said, hopefully by... Wait, who's providing the ballet service at the UTC Arena? (laughs) Well, I would say only the Phantom knows who the Phantom is. Meeting some of the stars here a little early. Perhaps we'll find out. I see now making their way. It's the Diamond Stud, also in that Chamber of Horrors match. Pause. Diamond down. How about Diamond Stud and, and DDP rolling up in a fucking 280Z? folks. <laughs> now, that's gangster right there. It also looks like that... the most uncomfortable possible car to drive in if you are Scott Hall and Dallas Page. I mean, yeah, yes, those are very small cars. I have ridden in those, and... I'm shocked that when DDP opened this door, that lover boy wasn't blasting out there. <laughs> that's the soundtrack for that type of vehicle right there, folks. Plus Paige, welcome. I got your parking cars now, Bischoff. Let's go, stud. See ya. Not a lot to say. 
from Dallas Page to the Diamond Stud. The Diamond Stud has got a lot on his mind. Flying Brian Pillman gets a shot at the very first light heavyweight championship belt here at Halloween Havoc. It is going to be excitement. Now making their way, I see it's Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes. Welcome Pause. to Halloween. You can tell who's making the money in this company. Here comes Barry Windham in his uh, Mercedes convertible here. <laughs> DDP's rolling in a fucking 280Z. Cactus is in a nice Lincoln Town car. And here's Barry in his Mercedes convertible. Well, someone was getting an extra check for booking. <laughs> Doing something. Have it. All right. Barry Wind well, did you make money in his family? <laughs> they sure do. No. Get out of the way, you jerk! Get out of the way, you jerk! Hey, what's up? God! Dustin Rose, Barry Windham. Oh, man, what a way to start Halloween Havoc. Barry Windham. Injured at the hands of Art Anderson. Dustin Rose, they're making their way to the hospital. I feel so concerned. They're they're <laughs> leaving pretty soon. Here at here at Halloween Havoc. Oh man. Oh, I, I hope nothing bad happened to his hand. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> like no, it doesn't sound like he's concerned or whatever. Oh, this is a very serious situation or anything like. That. <laughs> well, maybe he wasn't Almost concerned eight. because Barry Windham was supposed to be on the heel team in the opener for some reason. <laughs> yes. I, mean, I think Bischoff's probably hot in that tuxedo outside in the after, mid afternoon. That's probably what he was going to his brain. That right. and the hair dye. Chamber of Horrors. Chamber of Horrors. Horrors? Is yeah, that a, is that a women's extreme wrestling gimmick <laughs> match name? <laughs> they had GI Ho and the PWO. Did they have the, the Chamber of Horrors match? Was Ty G. G. Weed in was the involved? Chamber of Horrors? <laughs> G.I. Ho was involved in that, maybe. <laughs> I know that she was. <laughs> oh, women's extreme wrestling. Christy pre Kiss. Previously, glue. Ladies <laughs> of oil wrestling. Yes, glue. <laughs> <laughs> Tie weed. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. All right. Sting, El Gigante, and the Steiners. Be Cactus Jack, Abdul the Butcher, Big Van Vader, and Diamond Stud. And then Dave mentions the angle where Arn Larry smashed the door, the door of the car in Wyndham's hand. A substitution that WCW knew about on Wednesday, but never bothered to publicize. Well, they're doing the angle, Dave. They're doing the angle, God and six. also no one's paying to see Barry Wyndham on the heel team. No. He's been a babyface for over three months. It's, it's so fucking stupid. WCW, everybody. Yeah, he's been a babyface since, since fucking July. Vader stood for Wyndham and Katniss Jack. And, and Cactus Jack and Oz also traded places because at least they put Jack in a match that had a chance. Even though the match came off good live with three guys juicing on TV, it was a nightmare. At the beginning of the match, an electric chair came down, and we were told the match ended when someone was placed in the chair, and one of the teammates flipped the switch and zapped him with bolts. Which is all well and good, but had nothing whatsoever to do with the advertised stipulations, which were so confusing, nobody remembered them to begin with. Between the electric chair... The referee camera, which only served to make the viewers at home nauseous, the ghouls at ringside, a collection of jobbers in face paint, where one of whom was Brian Clark, better known as Night Stalker, 
and two mass jobbers that came out of a coffin during the match to give Rick Steiner some some people to beat on. This looked like the brainchild of a television executive on LSD with no knowledge of or respect for pro wrestling trying to make fun of it. And aside from the LSD comment, that's pretty much what happened. Well, who knows? Jim, uh, Jim Hurd might have been uh, a fan of uh, the LSD or something. He might have, uh, you know, been, or maybe been doing some peyote or some, some magic mushrooms. Who knows? Ah, uh, Look at the back <laughs> of my hand. <laughs> Abby, Cactus, and Sting all juice with Cactus juicing heavy. The on and off lever of the electric chair kept falling into the on position. <laughs> <laughs> they wasted a lot of quality talent with this one. Anyway, the finish saw Rick Steiner pull reverse on Abby, get him in the chair, and Katniss pulled the switch, and we had an explosion. Abby wasn't supposed to do a stretcher job to sell the explosion, but of course he didn't. And instead beat up the ghouls after the match. Totally no sold. Got out of the got out of the electric chair after being electrocuted and walked back to the locker room on his own power. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, aren't you sorry that the one-man gang quit so he could be put in the chair, get amnesia, and come back up to Babyface Reverend? <laughs> Negative two stars. Wait a second. Was the original – was the plan for this going to be that Abby was going to do the gimmick that Tom K came up for him in a review where he imagined Abby as Sherman Helmsley's character on Amen with a parking spot that said Deacon the Butcher? Was that actually going to be his gimmick <laughs> at one point? No, it was going to be the gangs. Okay. Oh, so Abby wasn't going to replace him in that. No, no, oh. he wasn't. Abby wasn't going to do that. It was that was the gimmick they had set for gang. Wow. Which Reverend Gray? <laughs> well, they're do, well, WF's doing Reverend Slick. Why not? Shit, who do we have that Slick used to manage? Yeah, here you go. Who could talk jive? Yeah, him. All right. So, where should I just go straight to the finish, or what should we do here? Let's play the beginning, okay. and then we'll go to the finish. I want to see the chair get dropped. The first contest of Halloween. Oh, you mean when it almost squishes Rick Steiner? Is the yes. Chamber of Horrors. This special gauge will involve two the Thunderdome, teams. Thunder each team gauge. consisting yeah. of mm-hmm. four team members. The match will be confined. What a lovely to the set. Cha- yeah, let's see if we can make out any of the tombstones. Bear, he was full of hot air. Is somebody Keith? Maybe Keith Mitchell. Yeah, the, the, these are just too small camera to make out, out. In case, unless the camera zooms in. I mean, here's one thing you can say about WCW at this time. They definitely had the elaborate sets that WF did in this yes. era. They I don't know if I'd call that which is an elaborate set. Several I mean, well, look at that pyro. <laughs> it's like an, of the an eighth grade to play of some of sort. The opposing look team at that pyro. In the Chamber of Horrors, Chair of Torture. <laughs> And then to now we know who Tony the used for fatal the lever, which will render one <laughs> of the teammates helpless. And now fatal lever in our electrifying <laughs> first contest. Electrifying. I see what you did there, Gary Michael Capetta. Here's Mike. He lost it on his bike. <laughs> Christy, Shelley, my eyes are misty. All misty. You know, they had a great opportunity to come up with some witty things to put on these tombstones, but none of it is even slightly amusing. Uh, yeah. It's probably some inside humor for the production. Yeah, it's all probably all inside jokes. Yeah. Oh, there, there's the lever. Ladies and gentlemen, from team number one, Argentina, seven feet, seven inches, weighing 454. 
Did he just say Argentina because he didn't want to say from again? <laughs> He's from Argentina. Don't cry for oh, me. From team number one. Argentina. Yes. <laughs> Allison Gante. Gary's also wearing a red blazer for this. It's like a circus uh, bar. And now, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> representing team number two, parts unknown, weighing 399 pounds, Big Fan Vader. Is this Vader's last appearance with the helmet? Nope. Okay. Oh, no. How much longer does he have it for the entrance? Like a, what, a full year? Also He's not wearing that for the ring of champions. He's got it with him. He weighs 297 pounds. The Diamond Stun. Girly pop for the pants pull, of course. Also, he's got some Dalton Castle trunks on. <laughs> he's showing off his polish. And, 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 and now, Don't you love his spooky music? From team number yes. two, and now it's kind of he hails from truth or consequences. Yeah, just a chainsaw, it's not working. Well, there he goes. Pounds, practice, Jack. They did have Minnesota Twins on one of the tombstones. Yes, they did. Should yeah, I skip ahead, or we, should we just keep going with the entrances for these non-pops everyone is getting without the usual means? Representing <laughs> team number one in the Chamber of Horrors from D. Well, you spoke too soon. Okay. Well, they've got bright colors on, though. It's easy to tell they're. It's just diners. Twenty-five pounds with Scott the Steiner Brothers. Chris got his Halloween gear on. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the final member of team number two from the Sudan, weighing 465 pounds, Abdullah. Okay, so what's this say? Here lies Keith. His friends called him Kevin. We called him Kurt. (laughs) It's got to be a Keith Mitchell. It's a Keith Mitchell thing. I'm assuming there's some joke in there about someone not knowing Keith Mitchell's name that this is coming from, right? I don't know. I can't speculate. Uh, the Butcher! The Butcher! Not Abdul the Butcher! The Butcher. Wait, did Gary just call him the Butcher, too? No, he called him Abdul the Butcher, oh. but it's on the cryon as, as the Butcher. And not- Sting's about to come out next. And ladies and gentlemen, rounding out team number one. Oh, you got his music. From of course. Beach, California. He weighs he great music. 51 pounds. The United States heavyweight champion. This the is The bell falls off. All right, ladies and gentlemen, what an ovation for the Stinger. Is it now? <laughs> well, he said he didn't say it was sold out. He said it's full to capacity. Okay, so all right, half full of free tickets. Yay! <laughs> they, 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 that's how we get around. They that. haven't even made it to the cage. 
interesting rules in this match, Jim. And basically, it's going to be no rules until someone gets put in the chair of torture. And look at them, they're everywhere. Eligate and Van Vader have hooked it up. Scott Steiner and the Diamond Stud. And Rick Steiner's got Rick that Steiner has a chainsaw. You <laughs> oh, no. Get that away from him. Referee's now trying to get Sting and Steiner in the cage. The kendo stick is in there, and they can use it. <laughs> Remember, the object of this is very simple. It's to is place it? a member of the opposing the right camera. Camera. in the chair of torture. And sometime during the match, the chair of torture will be lowered down in the ring. At some time during the match. <laughs> Perhaps and indeed the, the chair will be lowered down. unique camera shot. Or someone came out of one of those caskets. But the referee... Some uh, random the referee person. The camera Some random job. First time this has ever been used in professional wrestling. Stop. It's making me dizzy. We just yeah, invented right the GoPro. One of those caskets. It was a mess, man. And we talked about you never know what to expect in the Chamber of Horrors. Somebody popped out of the casket and is regretting it because Scott... How is Kevin Dunn not used to referee camera? <laughs> He's climbing the other casket. Over 2,600 pounds combined weight from these eight athletes. Faders and ripped the mask and off. He's being reinforced for this one. The object, remember, is not to pin or to make your opponent submit in this. It's to compete and finally wear down one member of the team. And when the small cage that contains the chair of torture is lowered down the ring, then to put your opponent in that. The chair of torture. And murder them. But what, we take a look at what causes it to be lowered? They don't Jack explain was not originally scheduled to be <laughs> Yeah. Who's lowering the chair? Okay, I'm scared. Yeah, Anderson. like, okay. Say, in your opinion, you uh, you know, Vader is weakened enough to... There it is. The not there yet. Like, none of this makes sense. All right, so we're ready to get the chair. That's the refer eye camera. And, Jim, that chair is coming down right now from the ceiling. These and no one told the, the Steiners because they're about to give Mick the Doomsday DDT while the chair's coming <laughs> the chair down. The small <laughs> and he's always about to get killed. Oh, that's right. It's Mick that almost gets killed, not Rick. And now the focus will go on this in this small cage. And it's so gigantic that now there's no room in the ring for anyone to do any spots. Yeah. The chair of torture, Amazing. as it's being called. The objective now is to get a member of a team in there. And when the lever is pulled, which is mounted <laughs> on the side of the big cage, at that look time, at this. Uh, I rather shock you put this mo- you, you put this cage in the middle of the ring. Can't nobody work. Nope. It's gonna take it has a time it's too so difficult. You can tell that no one's no one accounted for this if they were putting anything together before the match. Even even without the little cage in there, just like it's so cramped in there, just being a cage match like that. But well, like, you add the that. cage goes around ringside though. Yeah. And the thing is, though, I mean, the fans were getting into that the spots and everything, and then the cage lowers, and it's like, what? And you'd yeah. think that there would be a cue for when the uh, when the little cage with the chair should be lowered and it should be right after they do that DDT that the signers were going to hit on Foley, but like it starts lowering and then they decide to do it once it starts going. Uh, what a mess. 
it's just I think I would have I mean I would have had to cage you know not in the middle of the ring somewhere put it somewhere else yeah exactly put it in a corner or something I don't know all right so here we go so let's go to the uh, the finish of the match here the infamous finish the butcher they need to get away from that front if there is any strategy I think that's a very good point Tony you would want to stay strategy. away from the opening of the chair of torture. Man, they're using everything in this match that's not nailed down. The chair of torture. Got some brave cameraman inside the cage. And Rick Snyder's almost in, Jim. He is in. Two men double teaming. Scotty trying to use that stick on the diamond stud. And Rick needs to get away from that because if somebody's over there and flips that switch when Steiner's in there, his team will lose, and he may lose more than that. Elegante, the biggest man in the in WCW, hammering Abdullah. We should note, by the way, since we didn't plan it, play any of it, poor McFoley tries to make a match out of this. Yeah, he gets heavy collar for no. I mean, but it ends up being like for no reason in reality. Getting like, casket. At least one person in the cage head. gets some color. Yeah. 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 They're right in front again. Steiner does not want to be there. And Cactus Jack is up near the switch. They're trying to figure out Cactus how to do this Jack without making it more switch. terrible. There he is. Miss Foley. They're, They're going to put Steiner in there. And Mick gets there way too early. Yeah, he's there looking he's at Rick Steiner's oh, he's, he's got Abdullah in there. Oh, we didn't he had to strap him in and put the thing on his head, too. And now Foley's not looking. And somehow he's just going to he know. Just looked, just looked the crowd he saw that Abdul. going crazy in the opening <laughs> yeah, moments of Halloween Havoc. Texas Jack, he thinks Steiner's in there, but it's Abdullah. Texas Jack thought it was Rick Steiner, but Abdullah. My gosh. Think about what he's experiencing. He's getting cooked. And there's the infamous picture. And I think he's well done, guys. No, oh, he's getting cooked. <laughs> it's the same on his hand. Also, the ring is on fire. <laughs> what a the wild matchup. The ring's even on fire. They use sticks, they use steel. A lot of blood was spilled, and Abdullah felt the power of the chair of torture. And ladies and gentlemen, the winners of the Chamber of Horrors, the team of El Gigante, the Steiner Brothers, and Steve! Now, Jim, apparently the big guy is still out. Well, I have been around uh, the sport probably more years than I like to comment on, but I have never, ever witnessed a cage match with a veracity of that one you had eight men in there and their objective was okay enough of this is, is there any way that we can convince uh brett lauderdale to do a version of this in gcw i'm sure it would be more entertaining and more organized but <laughs> like what a waste just looking at how many talented like main event level guys were in this match and just wasted in this opener like the Steiners, Cactus, Vader, Sting. They could have been in, like, other matches on the rest of the show instead of some of the people that ended up in other matches on the rest of the show. But no. No, we had to do this. But, I mean, we did get 
We do have that lasting memory of Abdullah getting electrified in a fake electric chair. And that's the thing, you know, would they have been in some better matches? Yes. But would they have been remembered? <laughs> this is this will go down in infamy. It's one of the, the famous WCW moments. You know, of Abby sitting there with a the thing not even on his head being electrocuted. And they had like ten ten jobbers dressed as ghouls on the on the rampway with a big stretcher to carry him off, and he just like gets gets out of the electric chair, bumps a couple of them, falls down, and then walks back to the locker room. <laughs> yes. I never get to watch this for the first time. And just you know, I'm twelve years old and just thinking, what is this? What, what am I watching? Everyone was thinking that while they were watching it. I mean, what 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 am I watching here? I mean, and WC a lot of WCW was like that in that era, the that Jim Hurd era here at this point in time, right before we get into the, the Dangerous Alliance stuff. It's like you want to be WF so fucking bad, but WF isn't even this bad, you know? I mean, it's just no WF at this point is pretty good. Yeah, well, as we talked about, yeah, there's more. It had the more of the adult thing going on. And it wasn't all all hokey, like you know. But this is just, oh my god! Well, we had the Chamber of Horrors. Now we have the Creatures. PNUs and Big Josh beat the Creatures. Two mass fellows, Johnny Rich and Joey Mags at five thirteen, when Josh gave Mags a butt drop and News splashed him off top rope. At least they didn't have them come out wearing humps. The hunchbacks that Jim heard famous idea from two years earlier. This match was a complete waste of valuable time, but the work itself was okay. Start on the quarter. Start on a, yeah, start on the quarter. I'm, I, I need to see how do they, what do they even try to get them over as? I just want to see the end. Well, let's listen. Yes, they're the Halloween creatures. Game I guess. I don't action. Know. Introducing dudes in green. Hey, it's Psychosis. <laughs> Unknown. Wait, unknown, the mysterious creatures. Absolutely no well, place on a paper. Creatures are making their way to the ring. Some very unique comments. And I from the Young Pistols. You're right about uncharacteristic and unique, but you know, I, I would have to agree with them. They- Johnny Rich doing every Mr. Wrestling 2 heel mannerism he can think of. <laughs> hey, I will give him this. I mean, the, the mask and, and tights look pretty cool. As wrestling gear, they look good, yes. Their gear matches with each other, but Joey Max got polished. Title shots He's against the Patriots. It's the Young Pistols, and I don't think that match has been signed yet. So they have basically went out and demanded that match, and I really think they should get it, Jim. Well, they certainly uh, would be a tremendous matchup if it's signed. And ladies oh, wait, and gentlemen, yo baby, yo baby, yo. Introducing first from Motown, weighing 403 pounds, the rep master, P and News. He's P and News, and he's here to say things like this. Pounds, big <laughs> Josh. Big Josh is here to kidnap your daughter well, in a creative way. Felix and Oscar. Josh. Oh, are we not getting a rap? One thing about it, there are tre- He will grab the mic and talk like this. 91. We'll take care of business and have some fun. And when this party's over, hear the fat lady sing. He and Josh are the friends when they do their thing. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. Yo, 
it stop. Yo, baby. He's blow, yo, he's blowing up. Yo. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Hey, yo, baby. Yo, baby. <laughs> he's yo. blowing up. He's blowing up. Oh, man. Yeah. Again, not needed. This could be like on a, on a Clash of the Champions or just a regular weekly TV, but this should, doesn't need to be on a pay-per-view at all. Why was the PN using Big Josh in the Chamber of Horrors? Put them in there instead of the fucking Steiners. Right, exactly. My name is PN News, and let me tell you a fact. I'm actually Samoan, even though Jim Hurd thinks I'm black. <laughs> yo, baby, I mean, yo, baby, yo. It's terrible. All right, next, in a match that would have kicked ass... Uh, Five years earlier, Bobby Eaton pinned Terrence Taylor in 1541. I wonder what Terrence Taylor thought of PN News. (laughs) Uh, Taylor came out dressed like he just got in from a wedding. (laughs) The scariest move of the night was Eaton come up the top rope outside the ring with a knee drop on the ramp on Taylor. Yeah, Bobby loved to do those spots on the ramp. Uh, Taylor decided suplex to a powerbomb on the ramp. There was a lot of the high-risk stuff, and the last few minutes were great. Three and a half stars. Yeah, I mean, it, this was a good match. It would have been amazing five years earlier. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give both these guys credit. They went out here, and, and they worked their asses off. And, yes, Terrence Taylor looks resplendent here in his, uh, his tuxedo here. His glittery tuxedo, yes. Yes. So, uh, yeah, good, good, a really good match. Yes, he's the second best Terry in the match, though. <laughs> Johnny B. Bad beat Jimmy Garvin in 9, 20, 825. You can tell these guys worked overtime putting this match together. Michael Hayes was in the corner with his arm in a sling, even though he wasn't hurt. But they need to establish Garvin as a babyface here. Since Garvin came out by himself, Bad may have got more cheers. Plus, they wanted Hayes out of the Van Hammer match because he would have gotten an overwhelming amount of cheers. And somebody somewhere is determined to shove Van Hammer down our throats. You know, nobody will take credit for it. So yeah, that's another match for up on the show. Michael Hayes against Van Hammer. Michael Hayes is a baby face. And Michael Hayes spent more time trying to get the fans to the Tomahawk chop and wearing his Braves uh, gear than <laughs> getting getting himself over in that way than this match. Crazy. Bash showed a lot of improvements took great bumps, although he showed he was green in a lot of ways. Garvin was more inspired than usual. Yeah, because he wasn't teaming with Michael. Bad broke his nose doing a sunset flip off the top rope. What a great move that one is, huh? Finish you break off. your nose doing a sunset flip? <laughs> <laughs> the guy... I guess as he went over? He sit on him? <laughs> he sit on his face? What happened? I think <laughs> Garvin's ass is uh, pretty hard that night or something. <laughs> I'm guessing he crashed into him, like shorted it just barely as he was going over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, this would have been two years earlier. We could have said that maybe, you know, the Garvin man left a needle in his ass and he would have hit his nose on the needle. But that he wasn't juicing as heavy here at this point in time. That's for sure. Finish saw Garvin hit the DT, but Taylor Long distracted the ref and didn't count the pin. Garvin went after Long and bad him with the left hook and got the pin. Hayes that Long after the match, two and three quarter stars. Crazy. I mean, this weird match. It's, this, this is like Clash of the Champions matchmaking. Yes. Too, in a lot of ways. Who, I mean, really, who's booking? Dusty. All right. Stunning Steve Austin. Went to a 15-minute draw with Dustin Rhodes keep TV title. A lot of good moves and counter moves. If there's anyone in the United States with the potential to be the next Ric Flair as a total all-around performer, it's Steve Austin. Because he's so advanced and has incredible presence and ability for two years in the business. Yes. You could tell it that this guy was going to be a big deal. 
And here's Dave. I want to give it Dustin credit. Dustin isn't too far behind him either. So good for Dave. They did two minutes side headlock by Austin in the middle. Rose juiced at 8.30 after being pounding on outside the ring. Austin also came on top rope with his double slash to the floor. Dustin did a great spin bump off clothesline. Austin juiced at 13 minutes. Dustin should have gone for a few more near falls in the last 90 seconds, but set up for one hot move at the end. Hot move, hot move, hot move. Before time ran out, three and a quarter stars. Oh, so we had good moves, counter moves, and hot moves. Yes. Hot move, hot move. But yeah, Fraser, you can see here that Austin... At this point in time, he he was a guy who had that that next level about him where you could this guy is going to be a major superstar in this business. Definitely, and and it's good, like you said, it's good to see that Meltzer is finally giving Dustin Rhodes some credit for his in-ring ability, despite the fact that his father might have some influence behind the scenes, because uh, it was a very good match. And you know, amidst uh, all these other matches that like maybe shouldn't even have been on the show. Something like this is perfect for this area of era of WCW. Cause like it's one of the few matches that on paper you're like, okay, that's going to deliver. And it did. And I'm yes. surprised Meltzer's from his star ratings. That one got three and a quarter and Terry Taylor and Bobby Eaton got three and a half. So that was even better than the Steve Austin. Match. Well, of course. <laughs> so next we get Bill Kazmaier. Beating Oz and 358 with the torture act. That well, needs to be on pay-per-view. And also, as, or as Dave spells it, Bill Kazmaier. <laughs> Prime Minister these guys Bill Kazmaier. <laughs> these guys could have had the worst match in the history of WCW pay-per-views, <laughs> but the company didn't allot them enough time. It could have been much worse than what it was, but there's still no reason for it being there in the first place. Negative half a star. Yeah. There's lots of negative star matches on this show, I've noticed. And that, that look that you had a Jim Ross Bix on the, the pause there before uh-huh. you start playing this Van Hammer entrance, he looked like the the the, the game uh, remember Mr. Microphone? Remember that? He looked like the the guy <laughs> the game show host of Mr. Microphone. <laughs> His mouth like that. All right, uh, Van Hammer pin, Pretty Boy Doug Summers on pay-per-view in 1991. Like, who dug him up, and where did they find him? <laughs> How did Doug Summers wind up on pay-per-view? Tell me that nobody wanted to do a job to the new guy on pay-per-view without telling me that nobody <laughs> wanted to do a job to the new guy on pay-per-view. <laughs> well, it was supposed to be Michael Hayes. They pulled him away because they didn't want him to get booed. Well, why about the fucking match? Well, Mike Hayes, Michael Hayes was babyface. I know. Why book the fucking match that way, then? Wait, not only is he a baby face, he's your existing rock and roll baby face. And he, 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 why? You got Barry Windham as a heel booked when he's baby face. You got Hayes booked as a heel that, baby face. What Bix just said is probably the only thought process. Oh, they're they're the two rock and roll guys. Let's put them yeah. in the same match. That's I mean, probably this is the same the company that the following year feuds babyface man hammer who brings a guitar that he doesn't play with jt southern who can actually play guitar and then cuts promos on him for for not being able to play guitar and jt southern's the heel <laughs> so van hammer wound a slingshot suplex he only missed three of the five moves he tried negative one star okay i want to see what these three moves are short match hey they like that uh... Shirt coming off. 
Tony, have you ever had anybody react to you like that when you take that shirt off? That Tony Schiavone? I mean, I, I, I'm you know, a Doug like Summers fan, but look at him. He's not. It's no cliche, <laughs> but as far as young athletes are concerned, what separates the good ones from the bad ones is confidence. And Van Hemmer, ah. much like Doug. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Was he going for a single leg right there? Doug Summers at just turned off. 40 here. Yes. He looks like he's about to turn 60. <laughs> Hard times, brother. No no wrist tape or anything. And what separates, it's no cliche, but as far as young athletes are concerned, what separates the good ones from the bad ones is confidence. And Van Hammer has it. <laughs> yeah, so All what right. happens? So when... obviously, Hammer's supposed to close line. Doug ducked. Ah, uh, okay. Or attempt to close line, Doug duck under, <laughs> and a hammer come back. No, that's a, not what happened. A 60-second match, and he can't remember what he had to do. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> right, keep going. Hammer right now. A raw rookie here in WCW. Went by. I'll say. Not like a raw rookie. He oh. has got confidence, as Tony mentioned. What? He's Man, not he like a raw rookie. In. I mean, so okay. So is that Summer's fault, or does Hammer have no idea how to do an Irish riff, or both? Play it again. Okay. Yeah, let's watch that one more time. Wrestling. I hear it. Not like a raw rookie. He has got confidence, as Tony mentioned. Because Doug stumbled. And he said Summer's in. He threw him. I mean, with okay. so much force. Oh, he legit Irish whipped him. Yeah, he threw him. Yeah, he just kind of lost his footing because he ran. Got beheaded in the turnbuckle. Drops the elbow on it. That one okay. Leg drop look look very good. You can better believe that Van Hammer is really pumped up. He has no, hit up something with everything within <laughs> one minute. He calls he's his fans hammerheads. And Shades they are involved in hammer hysteria. Front face lock. Slingshot. Oh, Alex. Jesus Christ. It's over. He's got him. <laughs> this was <laughs> over. <laughs> okay, I have to see that again. Slingshots. Okay, so two things went wrong there. He does it way too close to the ropes. Like, he does it, like, he does it even closer than Benoit does the hang him on the rope spot. And then he goes way too early to pull him over. And oh, Doug man. narrowly avoids being a slingshot DDT. It was almost like, yeah, or like a slingshot brain buster. Floats over. He's got him. This one's over. And uh, I like how Doug's ever sandbagged him with a the kick out. He kicked out before three. The big man from New York City didn't even break a sweat, Tony, on that one. What up? Response from this capacity crowd. What a response. UTC Arena. Also, it must be Customs Day in Chattanooga because Doug Summers looks like he may have his balls falling out of his trunks. <laughs> he's probably been knocked out. You see, he kicked out before he's supposed to. He wasn't supposed to kick out like that, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, that that was me, his natural reaction. I'm going to guess that's the case, too. That he got hurt on the finish. All right, so, what, you know, so here we go. I right, said so there's a suplex. Too close. All right. See, it looks like he's about to brain buster. <laughs> it looks like he's about to throw him to the floor. Oh, I, oh, he doesn't even let him get to the ropes before he... He was going to do the uh, Athena... Uh, what's her name spot from AEW Dart with Doug <laughs> Summers there. Oh, boy. That's yeah. the, which was actually the berserker spot when he would beat all the jabronis. <laughs> Look like, at the trajectory. Jumping to the floor for countouts. The trajectory of his body just... Oh, my God. It's like he's lucky he didn't break his neck.
Yep. All right, so watch here. Okay, so one. All right. Two. Doug's kicking out. Two. Yeah, he kicked out at two and three quarters. Yep. <laughs> so I don't think he's really sandbagged him as much as he's fucked up. Yeah, he got knocked loopy. Look at him on the mat. He's, I mean, yeah. Do you think I don't think that's really gonna selling. going to try to get the 10% of his pay-per-view payoff. <laughs> oh, we've got a replay. <laughs> they replay in the fucked up five. That sent him down. But for Van Hammer, he had ignited the fans when he first oh, get a replay here in Chattanooga. We're going to be hearing a lot more from Heavy Metal. Fans coming up in just a few moments. The very first WCW Light Heavyweight Championship bout. And I believe we have some comments from both men before our big title matchup when we'll see a new champion. Let's hear them now. Oh, my God. Didn't know how to play, but he certainly could swing that guitar around his neck. (laughs) You know, if they would have come along with that gimmick a year earlier, it really would have really worked. The problem is you're coming up with this gimmick right as Nirvana is starting to break out. And then the next year, when grunge really starts taking over, Van Hammer looks like a fucking dinosaur. Yep. And you're doing it with someone who can't get, play guitar when there are two different long blonde hair wrestlers who can actually play guitar who want to do this gimmick. <laughs> it's just... Yeah, the, 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 the shitty timing of doing this type of gimmick hurt him too. But anyway... Brian Pillman pinned Richard Morton to become the first WCW heavyweight champion. Pillman must not have recovered from his injuries. It was his first match back after missing a few weeks due to a torn latissimus muscle. This match should have been a fast-paced, high-flying signature match to establish a division similar to the great match Pillman had with Brad Armstrong at the Clash. But it wasn't at all. It was the biggest appointment on the show. Pillman won a flying body press off top rope at 1244. One star. You know, they had to hurt Dave to do that. Considering who's involved, but yeah, was it that Pil- was it that bad? I don't remember. Um, it, <laughs> or was it just Pillman was still injured, so they did a lot of just working holds, so they, they didn't- yeah, it wasn't what it, you know. Dave's is judging this on the fact that it should have been a flashier match, expecting lots of a- high spots rather than just a smartly wrestled match where they're being safe to make sure he doesn't get re-injured. Exactly. Yes, and I'm guessing He's he got her sure. in the bad street match at the clash because they worked it like that yes so which by the way since we have to go over this every time it comes up let me make sure i'm getting this here Latissimus. so like if they if they knew that they had to work a match of that style and that he wouldn't be able to have the what the type of match that everyone expected do you still have them go 13 minutes <laughs> like, I, would, I wouldn't no. have had him in the match Either take him out if you, if you don't change the match. I mean, they could still do the match, but just do like a seven or eight minute version of it, and then give that extra five minutes to a match that could actually with with guys that are at a hundred percent. You know what I mean? I mean, I would have I, I would have sh- shot an angle, have him get injured by somebody, and then you know whatever, and then have uh, his re- either his replacement win or Morton win, or have the York Foundation attack him, have Morton win. And then Pillman get his heat back at the clash, possibly. Right, when he's when he's healthy, yeah. Exactly, that's what you do. I have an idea who should win. Let me introduce Thank you, you Gilbert Crawford. <laughs> Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr., professionally known as Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. 
I didn't know Eddie Gilbert was such good friends with Gilbert Gottfried. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so here is your bracket for the light heavyweight title tournament. Brian Pillman gets a bye to the second round, with your first round being Bad Street over Joey Maggs, Mike Graham over Terry Taylor. Yes, Mike Graham over Terry Taylor, Ricky Morton over Johnny Rich, and then in your semis, Pillman over Bad Street, Morton over Graham, and then Pillman over Morton in the finals, and Johnny Rich did not look a lot heavyweight in that. In that uh, <laughs> no, in Phantoms. Neither did uh, Paul Taylor either. Um, <laughs> and Johnny Rich replaced the, I don't know if it was ever announced on TV, the originally scheduled Eddie Gilbert. Yes. All right. Well, next is time. Z-Man versus the Halloween Phantom. So let's go to that, shall we? Halloween Phantom knows a lot about Z-Man. There's Mr. Microphone. Look at Jim Ross. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest, it is set for one fall. Introducing first, from Minneapolis, Minnesota, weighing 241 pounds, Being a trunk. the Z-Man. <laughs> oh, Z-Man's very excited to be here tonight. Z-Man weighed in at 241, that's about uh, 10 pounds under his normal weight. He's lost it intentionally. He says he wanted to make himself quicker. I wish I could lose 10 pounds that easy. Well, it, it has to be hard to prepare for the Phantom. And ladies and gentlemen, his opponent. El Runo Numero Uno de Mexico. Parts unknown. <laughs> Weight unknown. The WCW Halloween Havoc Phantom. like someone I went to high school with. It's weird. <laughs> it's the angel of death. <laughs> well, I, I can't see. I can't. I'm trying to see fans as you are at home. I, Members I of Power Team one. USA. <laughs> well, here's the thing here. we... <laughs> When he takes off the cape, you know who it is. But yeah. because Rick Rude has such a distinct body. Yeah. Because there is no one that is that long and tall and right. thin Just that is that cut. Right. Cut, yes. All right. Let's look at them when he takes the coat off. But, the cape off, excuse me. Just before I forget, though, the goofiness elsewhere on the undercard does help this, though, because you are taken into a place where you're not expecting this to be a surprise debut. Yes. And and just because you've seen everybody dressed up like, you know, the announcers and stuff like that. It's like, okay, a bunch of people are in costume. A couple of bars for us. And oh, he's, he's attacking the Z-Man. But he's still working, obviously, like, Rick Rude. Size man. He's Rick Rude. Z-Man's about 6'2". This man is larger than that. Oh, my oh, goodness. My, what a clothesline. In fairness, I mean, as we'll see with the finish, too, he's not supposed to be working it like you can't tell it's Rick Rude. Yes. Yes. The Z-Man attacked violently. He has never been given the opportunity to get out of the blocks on this one. And the Z-Man should have known this, Jim. Halloween fans. Big Z-Man, give him an atomic drop. Kick it in gear to begin things. Vicious knee to the midsection. Look at another look. That's a big man right there. It's so obvious it is with a mask. 
And then they get a close up shot of his face with the mustache hanging out of his mask. So everyone can tell it's Rick Rude. But it'd be cooler if, like, when he pulls the mask off, that's when you, that's the final man, That's movie. a big man. Yes. We know he's got a mustache. That's all we know right now. Drops Thank you, it. Tony. Abdomen first, right across the knees. Maybe it's Luke Williams. <laughs> and the point of the elbow right to the back of the head of the Z-Man. The Z-Man. Does it again. And there's no wasted motion in this athlete. No, whoever he is, he knows how to put a hurting on an opponent. He's a very offensive-minded athlete. He's a very Z-Man now showing his half. first spark of offense, finally being able to get untracked a little bit. Oh, Jesus, St. Drop kicked him right in the face. <laughs> and and Rue just, like, didn't go down. He's like, what the fuck? Wow, can he absorb a blow or what? He took the brunt of that drop we're kick. Going, oh, oh, yeah, he was just like, fuck you, we're going home. <laughs> Fuck you, rude awakening. <laughs> came, came right back. He snapped it off. What a move. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here's your winner, the WCW Phantom. I tell you what, he absorbed the blow, and we take a good look at the WCW Phantom. That's, That's your thumbnail right there. <laughs> And I tell you what, Jim, we're going to take a look, first of all, at some of his moves. But that right there, there's few signature moves in the sport. And one is called, if I can say this, Jim, the Rude Awakening. Well, yeah, that's it. And he Quite the TWF camera angle there. Fans, uh, don't forget Star King coming oh, yeah. on mm. December 29th. Again, here's more on the next pay-per-view from WCW. I'm sure Libra 42 full love this pay-per-view. <laughs> Rudy had the best mustache in this match. Mike Atkins did. Referee. But here's the thing that people forget. We don't get the reveal until after the next match. Which is weird. That's very weird. Very, very weird. So, anyway, um, Dave says, it's good to establish Rudy in this fashion. Anyone who has studied Logical Booking 101 will know you don't destroy Babyface in this manner on a major show when he's in the main event challenging for the world title at several house shows over the next few weeks. It renders Luger versus Zink a negative draw main event. But Dave guess it's only fair because at least now it's no longer any more or less attractive than Luger versus Bill Kazmaier. What was done in the match is fine. One star. Yes. Luger and Z-Man was a house show feud for the title at this point in time. And they do this match. Like you could have put anyone, anyone competent enough to bump around for Rick Rude could have been in that spot. It didn't need to be Z-Man. Could have put fucking Joey Maxner on mast. Right. I I think they wanted Rude to beat someone with some name value, though. But there is there's be Zank. No. You're screwing up your house shows, though, Bick. All right, yeah. You no, could have put anyone in that spot that's could put anyone in that spot that is uh, a little bit more established. Yes. Or my, I mean for fucking Mike Graham or some shit in there. I don't know. Right. But anyway. Next, the enforcers retain their world tag titles, beating the Patriots. Firebreaker chip. Dix. Oh, sorry. I thought you were setting up with the Dave line here, but ass and claw champion <laughs> or Todd champion in 951 when Arn pinned the chipster buster. <laughs> the Patriots have a lot of negative charisma. Everyone tried, but Todd had the knack, 
But Todd has this knack of never being in the right place at the right time. And forces were pretty much the faces here, star and a quarter. Yeah, as Todd champion tag teams go, the Patriots were no crazy train in the ring. No, and Todd Champion's one of those guys who he had the, he had a good look, but he just couldn't put it together as a worker. And then they kept trying with him, off and on. And of course, uh, Firebreaker Chip, what can you say? I mean, he's a U.S. male, for God's sakes. Yes. I mean, he's great at taking his pants off. Curtis Thompson was, especially for a body guy of that era, a perfectly solid worker, though. Yeah, he could work. He could go. But, um... Yeah, the Patriots gimmick, it just, it didn't work. It didn't work, you know. Maybe they would have had Pez Watley as the bail man. And that <laughs> gimmick that, yes. that was planned, that it would that, that could have been better as him as the promo guy. Now, was but, Matt Bourne uh, as the milkman really going to happen, though? Uh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> no. no, that's internet speculation, Fix. But anyway, it, it just didn't work, and eh. All right, so next we get the big reveal. So let's go to Dracula. Your face. Well, thanks, Jim and Tony. And what a great night of WCW action. We've still got a a three-fall match for the heavyweight champion of the world to come. But I'm here because I've been told my former broadcast colleague, Paul E. Dangerously, has some news that is going to shock WCW to its very core. And as Paulie Dangerously makes his way to the interview area accompanied by Medusa, Paulie Dangerously, I'll ask you point blank, what is this earth-shattering news? I bet First Medusa and Doug it... Summers are yucking it up in the back about Doug Summers with his ass <laughs> hanging out the window, <laughs> throwing blizzards. <laughs> Watch Tales There's from the a story that nobody here has had the guts to break. For those of you who have been watching television and haven't seen me for a couple of weeks... WCW is headed by a steering committee. A bunch of modern day Einsteins don't realize it's 1991. See, these guys think I'm too controversial. These guys say Paulie Dangerously, you're too... Isn't it funny how he has the same catchphrases as Eddie did in all the radio interviews? (laughs) Didn't Eddie say in every single interview they need to learn it's 1991, not 1981? He's shooting, brother. Outspoken! So they say to me, Paul, eat dangerously. You are no longer the co-host of World Championship Wrestling. Now, this means war. I like, by the way, how somehow the most Jewish segment of national wrestling television in history up to this point has Eric Bischoff in it somehow. (laughs) As Dracula. (laughs) This means war on the championship committee. This means war on world championship wrestling. Because in case you forgot, I happen to have a manager's license. And the way to bankrupt this whole damn company is to take away your heroes. And I'm starting right at the top with Sting. Because what would WCW do without Sting? So, I went out and got the first lady of world championship wrestling, Medusa. And I said, Medusa, find me the man that can eliminate Sting for good. Find me this man, and this man is here in this building tonight. 
and Jim Ross couldn't pull his mask off, and Tony Schiavone couldn't pull his mask off. I mean, Tony kind of did. Yeah, he kind of <laughs> said rude awakening, didn't he? Yes, he sure did. <laughs> Maybe you could have, but he's been in the back watching the World Series game. Ladies and gentlemen, the man Medusa brought to me is here tonight. His name is the WCW Halloween Phantom! The man behind this mask is the only man on the face of the planet that can help me bankrupt this company till I can buy it and fire like every hat. single person that yeah, has stood in my way. The man behind this mask is the only man that's ever eliminated <laughs> Gee, each and every person in his way. The man the behind hat on, this mask is the only man that can crush the hopes of the little stingers until a man stands over the remnants of his career and says, Ashes to ashes! Dust to dust! Rest in peace, Stinger! Your career is over! Ladies and that gentlemen, rhyme. the next United States Heavyweight Champion, Ravishing the Brand Wow. I think that might actually be what they play here. And it, or is it? Oh, the, oh no. It is no, no, black no. They cat. do black cat. Okay. They do black cat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that incredible or what? What a coup. That's right, people. It's Ravishing Rick Rude. And anybody who knows Ravishing Rick Yeah, and no. my money! It just so happens that my money man has a problem with the World Championship Committee. And Steering. the way he sees fit <laughs> to solve this problem is to dismantle the WCW brick by brick. brick. What better way, Mr. Dangerously, to start off than with a low-life scumbag like Sting? You know, Mr. Dangerously, a couple of questions come to my mind, being that I never had the opportunity to stand face-to-face -face with the Stinger. I'm kind of wondering if he's really as small as he looks on television. I'm kind of wondering if he is the low-life garbage collected scumbag that he portrays on TV. Well, Sting, your days are numbered. I'm going to tear apart the WCW, and I'm going to take your United States title. Well, what a situation, what a coup. We knew that Paul had been suspended for being a little too controversial on television. Uh, he has left, he's been gone a couple of weeks, whatever it was. Every story in the world circulated about it. Most of them ridiculous and untrue. <laughs> and this is 
this is like having the number one pick in the draft, and he's picked an All-American. I think it's the biggest news, biggest news item of WCW this year, the biggest. And, whoa, what implications? Obviously, he has a some type of arrangement, a working arrange, arrangement with Medusa. He has signed some type of situation contractually with Rick Rude. And one thing you can say about those people, they certainly made their intentions clear. Very, very clear, Jim. They want the United States Heavyweight Championship from the Stinger. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to talk more about that, I'm sure, in upcoming weeks. But in just a moment, it's the two out of three ball confrontation. Lex Luger and Ron Simmons. Well, Ron Simmons returned. Okay. Yeah, they did state their intentions pretty clearly. Hey, Chris, in three weeks at the Clash, what's who's Sting defending the title against? Uh, Rapture Rick Rude. Earlier in the show, when he gets his last mystery box, who comes out of that box? and hypnotizes him and distracts him with a belly dance? Medusa. Who is credited here as bringing Rude in to destroy him? Medusa. WCW, everybody. <laughs> now, uh... Now, why couldn't they have... What am, what am I missing here? Why couldn't they have had Paulie and Medusa do the beginning of their interview, introduce the Phantom, have him squash whoever didn't need to be Z-Man in like 60 seconds. Then right after he squashed him, takes off the mask, cuts that would one yeah. segment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Why is this two segments? You're absolutely right. Like technically he doesn't even need to wrestle. Everybody. Know, I mean, wrestling fans know who Rick Rude is. He could, it could just be a promo. He didn't need to squash somebody, but if you need to have him in a match, have him wrestle the match under the mask and then unmask himself. I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do I know? Wait, and what what do you know? You're you're just a Hall of Famer, Dave. What do you know about wrestling? The emphasis on indie Hall of Famer. <laughs> well, still. But all right, so the main oh, event. I was Lex... gonna say something though. Go ahead. Let's go back through a little over three months. July second, nineteen ninety one. To whom it may concern. It is obvious from your lack of correspondence with me that Titan Sports, aka Vincent K. McMahon, has little or no regard for my well-being professionally or personally. Regarding your letter dated October 22nd, 1990, I believe it was never your intention to provide me with first-class tickets or compensation for upgrades. The compensation for my time, quote-unquote, not performing, never seemed to materialize either. But that comes as no surprise, as lies are dealt out with such regularity. Um, jump ahead a little bit, because we don't need all of this. Encloses a copy of my obligations as a wrestler. I challenge anyone involved with Titan Sports, or anyone at all for that matter, to go over all the many detailed expectations and find even one that I not perform at an optimum level. Titan, a.k.a. Vincent K. McMahon's obligations, although very few and very vague, have by and large been neglected. In fact, I believe the very premise on which this contract was based is false. And then... Uh, Skimming out a little bit, you get the idea. Lots of this. Having given long and careful thought to the matter at hand, I've decided that it would be much to my advantage, both professionally and personally, to terminate my ambitious relationship with Titan Sports, a.k.a. Vince McMahon. Yours truly, Richard E. Rude, a.k.a. Ravishing, all caps, Rick Rude. P.S. Good luck with SummerSlam and all future Titan events. And then there is a note in the Titan file. Uh, the copy I have has the name redacted as to who wrote it. But when they got the letter, it says, obviously Rude did not write this. If a lawyer did, it's pretty sloppy. So yes, Rick gave his notice knowing that he would need to to get out of the contract, knowing where he was going to try to end up. Hmm. All right, well, Lex Luger retained the WCW title win two out of three falls from Ron Simmons. 
First fall was slow with Simmons winning the 452 with the Spine Buster. Luger sold his back a lot during the second fall. The announcing this match was great and getting the story across. Luger won the fall by DQ. When they were going to take a double bump over the top rope, but Harley Race held him to Simmons, and Luger went over, and they called for the DQ in 10.07. Third fall saw Luger bleeding Harley in the eye. Simmons made a big comeback and went for the three-point stance to tackle to Luger. Who moved, and Simmons hit the post. Luger then pinned him with a pile driver in 3.59. Can you believe that finish? A heel winning the main event on pay-per-view clean with his hold? In fact, there were no screw job endings. The entire card. And it was booked by Dusty Rhodes. This match was quite a strong arm at point for two out of three fall matches. Because technically it was nothing special. But the three falls gave them a chance to do a storyline that made a very good match. Three and a half stars. Yeah, I mean, this kind of outperformed my expectations at the time. Because Simmons... Simmons was, you know, good talent, but he hadn't really shown in a singles, big singles match what he could do in a, in a while. Luger, after turning heel, kind of was not what he was the babyface as far as motivation. You could tell that. And they went above expectations here. And yes, how about that, Dave? A heel winning clean with his hold in the main event with no screw jobs involved. Amazing. On a show booked by Dusty. I'll show about that yeah. trip. Well, and his steering committee. Yeah. It's good to see from time to time, but as many have said over the years in wrestling, you're not a heel if you don't cheat, right? But still, uh, like I've I've always liked how, and I liked how in certain eras of WCW how they just have a heel win a main event clean with a hold without without any interference because you rarely would see that on WWF programming at that point in time where it's usually always babyface celebration at the end of a show, or if a heel goes over, it's through cheating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, real quick, I found something on Daily Motion just because we need to hear this as it happened. Ashes to ashes! Dust to dust! Rest in peace, Stinger! Your career is over! Ladies and gentlemen, the next United States Heavyweight Champion, Ravishing Rick Rose! I, I like how you can see Medusa trying to give someone the Iggy to turn the music off to. The thing is, and here's another thing about WCW. I mean, we heard Sting's music earlier and Rude's music. One of the biggest mistakes they did in 1992 was getting rid of all those theme songs. Yes, for the custom ones. It's like, okay, yes, they're production music that you're using, but you're making really good choices with a lot of this production music. I know. It's horrible. But at least, at least they got smart with, like, Steamboat. They took Family Man away from him and then gave him back his old song. Yeah. Because that was horrible. Jesus Christ. All right. The highlights, uh, other highlights were just dangerous interview he returned. And somebody didn't play the interview by the Young Pistols. Whatever working his heels in the program for the U.S. Tag Titles against the Patriots. I guess we need to play that, Bix, because it's Tracy. You know, and this is Tracy as a heel for the first time. And in a. In his career, yeah. Uh, let's let's watch that. I want to I want to see see Tracy. You know, uh, 
here in this Let's in this return. position. Yeah, I gotta pull Havoc back up. Uh, okay, here we go. Young Pistols talk about the U.S. Tech titles. Oh, which also, by the way, the network mistakenly uh, says that the Enforcers versus Pistols, not Pistols versus Patriots, is for the Patriots belts, not the Enforcers. But whatever. Well, that happens. Well, thank uh, you very much, Jim and Tony. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And Missy's got her Missy. Vegas uh, showgirl costume on. Yes, she has. And as you can see, we're getting into the Halloween spirit. And as hard as we have tried, neither Missy or I have been able to find out who the WCW Phantom is. I found out who it is. Wait a minute, Missy. You've been with me all day long. You don't know who it is. You can't lie to these people. I know who it is. I'm just not going to tell you because I don't like you. Right. Well, I see the young pistols. Tracy, Steve coming by. Guys... Tell me, do you know who the, the WCW Phantom is? Eric, we, these old boys here, we don't give a hoot or heck who the Phantom is. What we're interested <laughs> in is the United States titles currently held by the Patriots. Guys, we've laid our challenge out to you. And the Young Pistols, we're just beginning to wonder if your guys' colors, the Patriots, are red, white, and blue, or just plain yellow. <laughs> That's right. Take a gander at the new sons of the South, baptized on a hunter proof and raised by the blood of the Lamb. Look at here, Fireman Chip, while you're giving fire tips to little kids and phony baloney tied champion Desert Shield. <laughs> Man, this is professional wrestling. These two boys are sick and tired of playing it. Did he almost say Desert Shit as a way to indicate he He's... didn't really serve and then turned to Desert Ship? No, he said Desert Shield. Desert Shield. Yeah. Okay, I thought that's he what was... I remember that was one of the that was one of the names of the war was Desert Shield. No, I right. remember, but I I didn't I I didn't hear the full word, so I thought I, I thought if you. he was saying it as out of anger as a uh, no, brother or someone no. who's serving, but no. good way we're gonna get you for the U.S. tag titles. The Young Pistols, their guns are loaded. Let's get back down to the ring. The Young yeah. Pistols. Steve Armstrong. Yeah, Steve Armstrong's one of those lost workers. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's a guy that, as a heel, I think he could have been awesome if you've given the chance to really go out there and do it. Like Tracy, when he got his chance finally to be a heel, you know, in ECW. God, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> heel early heel work by Tra- one Tracy Smothers. Good stuff. They're just yellow. <laughs> <laughs> baptized by hundred proof and the blood of the lamb. God, that's awesome. All right. Uh, Dave, so I'm in the state minority here, but I gave the show a thumbs down. Three real good matches out of 11 and a lot of matches that had no business being there. Doesn't make a great show to me. Even with eight guys bleeding since intentional too hard way. It was probably better than sounding on paper because the only match that could be considered at this point was Pillman and Morton. I guess it's hitting rock bottom with the bash. This was a step forward, but watching the show, I felt like they were stepping forward. Backwards, sideways, up, down, nowhere at the same time. Definitely lots of steps. You see positive signs, but you don't see any progress at all. But the announcement's real good. Dangerously room Medusa as a trio have tremendous heel presence. Finishing a show off with Luger and Simmons did make painfully obvious that Luger doesn't have the charisma or ring presence to finish a big show off like Flair or Hogan, let alone the ability of Flair, but it's good and different main event, which lived up to the hype and exceeded expectations. And then Ron Simmons via Florida State is great, even after the uh, 1,420th airing, which I showed it again, of course, the main event. Um, Luger, at, at this time, yeah, I mean, being the top guy as a heel, yeah, Dave's right. He didn't have it at that point in time to do it as a heel. He could have done his baby face, but he didn't have it as a heel. Why? 
and he, and he was playing a kind of a cocky heel, but I think Luger's problem was he was depending so much on Harley and Mr. Hughes, the, the other part of his gimmick in, in, in his presentation and not just as himself. I don't know. That's just my thoughts. But just Dave should just wait. Wait till the clash and then you'll get your positive signs and everything there. They're just it's building. It's simmering at this point in time. Havoc on twenty seven while Julian Roberts by observer readers is at best only so so from a buy rate standard. WCW sources are indicating the buy rate of one point percent, which considering everything would be okay, considering the show live went head to head with the seventh game of the World Series, which drew a thirty two rating on television. Yes. And the Giants watched the Redskins game, which considered a must have trapped some ESPN game. A 1.0 would be the same rate as buy rate as Great American Bash, which is in the war games at 1.2 in February. Super Bowl did 1.1 in May. And be among the lowest of all WCPV shows thus far. However, sources that request indicate the actual national buy rate was about a 1.7, which would be the lowest of all time for any major pay-per-view show from either of the two major companies. They believe his all-time low bar buy rate for WCPV was a .8 for Starkey 89, the Iron Man, Iron Team tournament. Very limited sources we have indicate the buy rate is about to be a .9 or just slightly lower than the bash. If the .7 figure is correct, it would indicate approximately 104,000 buys, a gross revenue of $2.08 million, both figures lower than any other major WCPV show in recent years. At 1.0, the gross revenue would be approximately $2.96 billion. The promoter's share of the total pay-per-view gross is between 40 and 45%, with the remaining cut going to the cable companies and the distributors. And according to one promoter, the minimal cost of putting on a show of this type to the promoter would be approximately 400 grand. There were also complaints voiced within the cable industry at the card, including a letter from Request TV to WCW. The complaints were directed at the excessive blood. Eight men bled during the show, although two of them were unintentional, and they wanted better explanation beforehand of all future gimmick matches because of the generally poor response to the Chamber of Horrors match. They were more offended by the blood than than the gimmick matches themselves. <laughs> than the, the fake electrocution that took place on the show. Yeah. How'd you like those tombstones at Havoc in the entrance way? Instead of having a bunch of tombstones like they were written by dyslexics, and Dave misspells dyslexics. They should have at least had a sense of humor about them. At a Joe Weider bodybuilding show last year, they did the same thing, but the two sons had the name of all the bodybuilders that jumped to the WBF. The possibilities are endless. Okay, yes, so Dave is explicitly saying there were no inside jokes on the two stuff. <laughs> I just love that Dave misspelled dyslexics. Maybe he did it on purpose. Maybe that was on purpose, actually, now that I look at it. Because he swapped the I and the Y. Matt Watch chimes in. Matt Watch has been told that WCW would go for m- more themed shows on pay-per-views, which should not require world title matches. And so the current plan is to try to bring back arena crowds by changing more belts in the houses. Nice thought. Except when you have seven titles. What's special? If that strategy fails, look for WCW to consider a mid-year to expand to perhaps eight pay-per-views a year, half of them at nine ninety-five each, and to continue to run four Clash wrestles on TBS. Okay, well, let's see. Starcade is a themed gimmick show. Although Luger is on it. Yes. Um, I mean, they don't really do it with anything other than Starcade. It's about 92. So, I mean, 92. okay, I mean, but then 92, Bash is a tournament show, but still has a world title match. Yeah. Um, you got War Games, naturally. Yeah. But that's uh, not a Starcade. Show. 
Starkey Night Two, but that still has a. There's no. There's well, yeah. I mean, this there, doesn't really happen other than the one Starkey. Well, well, here, well, here's why. Who's gone? Move Jim Hurd. Well, yeah. Well, Jim Hurd. Jim Hurd's the one advocating for more theme shows, Bix. Yes, of course. <laughs> now it, they do start to change more titles on house shows, though. Yes. Liger Pullman. But still, the, yeah. Uh, Steiners. Steiners. Uh. Arn and Eaton winning from Dustin and Wyndham. Steiner winning from, from Arn and, Arn and Eaton. Eaton. Yeah, that happens, but the theme shows go away because Jim Hurd's gone. Yeah. Fucking Hurd. Yes, which, again, you know, we covered this more in depth on one of the Patreon shows, but, like, I do find it funny that Hurd just worked the full length of his three-year contract and no one really noticed or remembered. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It appears Bobby Eaton's going to turn heel, and that will be the only turn. Obviously, the Pistols are another, and Freebirds for will establish his full-fledged babyfaces. And Medusa is a full-fledged heel. Yes to all of those. A few event coordinators were let go. Ron West and Dan Redman, because WWE doesn't plan on running many, if any, shows in the Mississippi, Alabama, and Missouri areas in the near future. They believe Don Glass has been reassigned as well to a front office position. Joe Blanchard, the former promoter of Southwest Championship Wrestling, was fired as head of the ring crew when the tour at the Southwest and West Coast over the fiasco in Phoenix when the roads were too short for the size of the ring and the card <laughs> had to be canceled. <laughs> Although close to, that was close to him, so he was a scapegoat for disorganization stemming from, from the home front. Okay, I have so many questions. Now, whoever packed the ring truck was at fault for that. Yeah, because... <laughs> so... Blanchard or That's all more... ring crew's fault. If you just bring the wrong set of ropes with the wrong rest of the ring. Like, I mean, that's... but who who would keep more than one ring of different sizes that wouldn't always keep the right ropes with the right ring? No. I mean, when Lauderdale rented that weird 17-foot ring for Dallas, <laughs> he had 17-foot ropes. Fix, there's only one explanation to this. WCW, everybody. Thank you. The roads were too short for the ring. Dave, could you imagine? Oh, yeah. I'm on independent wrestling, sure. Why not? <laughs> but at a major, major event level, no. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Jesus. WCW received their reported $35,000 guarantee to run a card on Halloween night in Phoenix as part of the Arizona State Fair. So from a natural standpoint, it was a successful show. Oh, was that a uh, fair show booked by Chick Magna Christ? <laughs> Chris Christ? Yeah. Well, this is the fiasco in Phoenix. So let's talk about that show. It drew about 5,000 fans for the free grandstand show as part of Arizona State Fair. As Van Hammer pinned Thomas Rich. Van Hammer then beat Katniss Jack by disqualification. Double shot of Van Hammer, folks. <laughs> Dustin Rose went to a draw with Steve Austin. The Patriots beat Terrence Taylor and Richard Morton. Big Josh over Johnny McBad. And Luger over Pillman in seven minutes. Last year, WF performed at the same fair for a free show and drew more than 15,000 fans. So well, it was, the shit. it was the previous Phoenix show that had the rope issue, I guess. Uh, I'm, still no. I'm, scr I'm still scratching my head at how, like, what, how, how is this even happening? How does this explain Van Hammer wrestling, whether it's Tommy Rich or Johnny Rich in the first match and then immediately facing Cactus Jack? And I, <laughs> <laughs> like, immediately after that? Like, I don't get it. Why would he be wrestling two separate matches back to back? Okay, and uh, some somebody no showed. 
Yeah, this is oh, September man. 6th. Show. But still, you like you just change the card around. You wouldn't have the guy just ha- okay. We'll just send somebody else out there and have a second match against them immediately after. Like, Dave, what? you'd be surprised how much that happened in the eighties. <laughs> like all the all the all the research I do, that happens a lot. I mean, I, I mean, I, I can see wrestling in the opener and then coming back and having another match later in the card. That you know, that makes sense. But. There, I, 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 there's been some shows I've seen where the guy wore three matches in a row. <laughs> yeah, he sub, did a double sub. <laughs> we're yes, in, we're in Phoenix. You couldn't just do Cactus Jack versus Marcel Bovee. <laughs> well, Steve Gatorwolf probably around somewhere. Well, get get him off the local schools. No. Um, okay, so yeah, it was this September sixth show at Veterans Memorial Coliseum that was canceled. At least the way history of WWE has it, canceled. The ring didn't arrive, sort of, and only four hundred fifty fans showed up. And that's where the Suns used to play. So that's a big building. Yeah, too. Albuquerque on November 1st, June 946. A man went to a draw with the Diamond Studs, star on the quarter. Young Pistols beat the Renegade Warriors, two and a half stars. Bobby Eaton over Johnny Bad, two and a half stars. Van Hammer over Arn Anderson, two stars. Patriots over Ricky Morton and Thomas, Richard Morton and Thomas Rich in 25 minutes. First half all stalling, second half very good. Three star match. Hey. Steve Austin pinned Big Josh, one star. Dustin and Pillman beat Luger and Cactus. When Pillman pinned Luger clean, two stars. Okay. And his, and his thing went to double count out with Abby in four four minutes, one star. Can you imagine what the Tingley Coliseum looks like with 946 fans in it? <laughs> yeah, WCW house shows. It's a, a risky proposition. And, uh, yeah, that's not a good house. But wow, Pillman over Luger. That's that's an interesting finish there. Did they come back with Pillman versus Luger? Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I bet by next time I go to Albuquerque, Luger's name with the company. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you do, do it as percent, that was an 8.2% house in terms of capacity. Oof. Oof. My World Championship Wrestling on October 26th drew a 2.8 rating, which is pretty good. Main event on the 27th did a not-so-hot 2.3, but it was going head-to-head with the pay-per-view pregame show, and Power Hour did a 1.7. That always was odd to me, Why, how they had their TBS show going against their own pay-per-view pregame show. That it took until 1995 for them to do a live main event. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's not as bad as World Championship Wrestling going head-to-head with the pay-per-views on Saturday. Hmm. When they pretend like Jim Ross is, you know, Jim Ross is live in the building, <laughs> while the, you got your second hour of Royal Change of Wrestling going on as your pay per view has already started. What the fuck? They cloned Jim Ross for those opportunities <laughs> to be two places at once. Yes. Well, we have a clip from World Championship Wrestling, and I thought this would be fun to have with uh, with Dave on the uh, the expert of women's wrestling. As Medusa decided she was going to prove that she is the real first lady at WCW, as we have Bambi. I thought that was Bambi. I was looking at the screen. <laughs> against Judy Martin and Center Stage. So let's go to the. Hell yeah. <laughs> Got her waistline. Comic drop. Well, she didn't use her knees. She used a canvas and took her all the way down. And a, a modified wow. bulldog. She may have her here, and she's hooked her leg. 
and Bambi wins it. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the match Wait a minute. is Bambi. There okay, we have to see. Going in the ring at the hands of Judy Martin. And she got her waist up. Comic drop. But she didn't use her knee. She used a canvas and took her all the way down. And a, a modified bulldog. She may have her here. And she's hooked her leg. And Bambi wins it. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the match Wait a minute. is Bambi. There's Medusa. And Medusa with a karate kick. And a clothesline. She knocked Judy Martin out of the ring. Judy's leaving. Smart girl. And now she's taking care of Bambi. Individual is Medusa. And we're going to be talking to her in a moment. And Bambi fights back, knocks Medusa down. The referees are out there. Well, I've got an interview scheduled. I don't I'm not as excited about it as I was before we went on the air, to be quite honest about it. Referee oh, trying to restrain again. Bambi as we take another look. She got that bulldog <laughs> and got the pin. One, two, three. We'll get that the ladies separated here. Then I'll talk to Medusa. Do you think Bambi and Randy Eller were exchanging hair care tips? I must say that your actions the last couple of weeks here on TBS have been very unpredictable, and I know that the fans are wondering, what is your objectives here in World Championship Wrestling? What is your motivation? Motivation? Mr. Ross, I have, I have respect for you. Just shush up one minute. I am the first lady of WCW. In fact, I am professional wrestling. If that means I have to demolish every valet, Miss Blossom, if that means I have to demolish every valet and every manager, Miss York, and every wannabe, Miss commentator, Miss Missy Hyatt, I will, and then some. If that means I will kick some ass. Well, I think you uh, got the drift. She wants to be the first lady of world championship wrestling. I'm not going to argue with her. We'll be back with Johnny Be Bad. It all depended. I mean, it, yeah. it, at times you could get away with it, but yeah, <laughs> Bambi and Judy Martin in WCW <laughs> 1991. That's a fucking match. Yes, it was. And that finish looked great. I mean, she kind of just like came. It looked like Judy Martin just wasn't prepared. wasn't yeah. facing the right way to take a bulldog. And uh, Bambi just kind of grabbed her head and fell down with her. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, good segment for Medusa though to establish her. Mm-hmm. And Although that's the day before habit. Yeah, baby face up to this point for the most part. And it's a day but before it, havoc. That's the havoc. So yeah, and she's wearing the Halloween Phantoms colors. There you go. Crouch looks just like his mask. Yes. I mean, what they have her doing here kind of is, and I don't think they're setting anything up that actually happens because they're still kind of pivoting, but not setting up her being a manager. It seems like at this point, after the babyface wrestler thing didn't really go anywhere, 
seems like they're trying to pivot to her being a heel doing her LPWA gimmick, where she would come out in all the different types of outfits to squash the other wrestlers. And here, you know, she's wearing, like, the very, like, fashionable, like, 1991 women's suit and stuff. And in LPWA, she'd wear military fatigues and all that. It seems like that's what they're trying to do here. And then by the time the pay-per-view happens, she's uh, director of covert operations for the Dangerous Alliance. Yes. Yeah, this is a deuce beginning her big run here. So uh, now, okay. So if if they hadn't come to terms with Paulie at five p.m. the day of Halloween <laughs> Havoc, this is what sets up Medusa to lead what would be the dangerous line. Shocking! Fuck the mighty. Oh me. Ah, Dusty, uh, have another Jew. <laughs> All right. Well. It's not d- technically WCW, but it is. One of the saddest stories in a while is the story of the death of former pro wrestler Gene Anderson. Anderson who passed away on, on Halloween after suffering a massive heart attack. While news reports listed his age as 52, most wrestling sources have listed his actual age as being 58. Anderson, whose real name was Eugene Avon Anderson, great middle name, was best known as a headliner for the mid-60s to the early 80s, primarily in the Carolinas, Virginia, and Georgia, as half of Minnesota Wrecking Crew tag team with brothers, Lars or Ole Anderson. How do we not have anybody named Avon Anderson after that? <laughs> like, come on! Uh, it's, there nah, could be another yeah, fake yeah. family member named Avon Anderson. Dave, if you get back into promoting women's wrestling, <laughs> no, there's a name no, for you right there. No. Avon Anderson. <laughs> she could be an Avon lady. No, yeah, terrible. <laughs> um... Gene and Ole held the NWA World Tag Title several times between the mid-70s and early 80s when a stroke curtailed Gene's career as an active wrestler. Anderson had been, remained working within the wrestling business, both in running a pro wrestling school in Charlotte, and in recent years had helped with the television tapings for WCW and worked with various independent promoters. He also had a stint in the late 70s as a manager in the Carolinas when he was forced from the ring due to health problems. His son, Brad, wrestles independently in the Carolinas and also works with WCW as the mass Zampanzer as a television jobber. Anderson was originally from St. Paul, Minnesota, and turned pro around 1960. He originally teamed with former collegiate wrestling star Larry Heinemey from nearby St. Cloud, Minnesota, with Heinemey wrestling as Lars Anderson. Around 1970, when Lars returned to the Midwest, Gene brought out a new brother, Ole, another former collegiate wrestler, Alan the Rock Rogowski, with whom he had the most success teaming with. The Andersons developed a heel-style tag team wrestling of working on the left arm for long periods of time and mainly winning matches via submission. Anderson's were fixtures on top of his heels in the Carolinas during the 70s, feuding with teams like George and Sandy Scott and Johnny Weaver and Art Nelson. Gene had become a sheriff's deputy in 1990 in Mecklenburg County in North Carolina. He was attending a law enforcement training class in Huntersville, North Carolina on Thursday. And when the crew went through some exercise workouts, Gene excused himself to the bathroom. When he hadn't returned in 20 minutes, they went to check on him and found him dead. Among those attending Gene's funeral on, on that Saturday afternoon afterwards in Charlotte were Tommy Young, Paul Jones and his wife Linda, Ricky Steamboat and his wife Bonnie, Tim, Mr. Russell Woods, Jackie Crockett, and Francis Crockett, Klondike Bill, Ricky Nelson, and Beth Fleer. Just two days earlier, another former wrestler resistant in Charlotte, Wally Dusick of the famed Dusick Wrestling family, also passed from a blood clot. He was 82 years old. He became a sheriff's deputy despite the fact that it seems like everyone in wrestling around him for the decade plus before this agreed that he had some kind of brain damage. Yeah, stroke, yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, that's great. Um, Next, we had we had a local sheriff here that was sheriff with dementia. I know. I'm sure in a lot of no, it was known. No, but I'm guessing he didn't first start law enforcement with dementia. Yeah. Uh, No, but yeah, in Mecklenburg, that's Charlotte day. That's the county Charlotte. Oh, okay. That ain't no little small town. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) It's Gene Anderson, Bix. You know, I mean Johnny Weaver was in this. You know, in law enforcement. So it's Gene Anderson. Of course, he's going to get a, a sheriff's job, but yeah. I'm sure they didn't have as rigorous testing of people before hiring them for a position like that back then but compared the thing, to now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because exactly. we have such rigorous law enforcement testing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. But, yeah, Gene Anderson. Anderson's, uh, I wish we had more of them in their prime. Yeah. So people could watch them. Because just talking to the, to, to the people that were fans of that era that I know around here, even to this day, all these years later, if you bring up wrestling, their names are coming up. Wrestling to, excuse me, wrestling to the Andersons, Dick Slater, you know, guys like that, Tommy Rich. Those, their names are still for, forever going to come up. They had that memory, you know, people's minds, you know. They thought of them as the stars of wrestling. And, um, yeah. Yeah, so, there you go. All right, let's go international now, as everything is encompassing this section. Because Japan is very light. As all Japan and New Japan are off off a tour. And we begin with Super World Sports. And they ran some shows, uh, interesting shows uh, during our week. We have uh, October 28th at Nagasaki International Gym in front of 3020. Don Arakawa and Tetsuya Yamanaka over Hikaru Kawabata and Takayuki Nakahara. Great Kabuki and Kendo Nagasaki over Hiroshi Atanaga and Kenichi Oya. Bestia Savahe over Masao Orihara. I mean, this, this SWS Junior Heavyweight Title Tournament round robin match, Noki Sano over Akira Kariyama. Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka. Over Samson Fuyuki and Tetsumi Kudahara. The Powers of Pain, Barbarian the Warlord over George Takano and Shunji Takano. Mashorohara and Takashi Shikawa over Shinichi Nakano and Yoshikiyatsu. And Tanuka Nichiro over Haku in your main event. A tough main event, to say the least. Hell yeah, Haku, big main eventer. <laughs> That's right. Fukuoka on the 29th front of 6870. We have Arakawa over Kawabata. Hatsunaka, Nagasaki, and Kabuki over Oya. Shunji Takano and Tetsu Yamanaka. Then a junior title tournament match, uh, Tetsumi Kirahara over Akira Kadayama. Tanaka and Diamond over Orihara and Sano. That sounds like a fun match. Ultima Dragon over Bestia Safahe. Haku and Shinichi Nakano over Sansa Fuyuki and Takashi Shikawa. George Takano over the Barbarian. Ashurahara with the Warlord by disqualification. And Tenyo over Yoshiaki Yatsu in your main event. And then Kumamoto, City Gym on October 30th for a 3450. Arakawa over Yamanaka, Hatanaka and Oyo over Kadayama Kawabata, Great Kabuki over Paul Do- I mean, excuse me, Great Kabuki over Pat Tanaka, Barbarian over Kino Nagasaki, Kitahara and Ultimo Dragon over Bestia Savahe Masaruhara, Naoki Sano and Shinji Takano over Paul Diamond and the Warlord, Nakano and Yatsu over Shirohara and Sansa Fuyuki, King Haku over Takashi Shikawa, 
and Tenru over George Takano in your main event. So earliest WS cards, and we have WF representation here. So we got uh, the future Orient Express, not yet this time, and you got uh, the the Powers of Pain here, although they're not really together anymore. And you got Haku. So uh, interesting looking cards here for SWS. Very Tenru style shows. Fun. <clears throat> got your mix of juniors and your uh, your heavies here. So uh, good stuff. Diamond is no, Otto sh- yet in the. WWE? No, because he's passed no, wait, yes, he in, is. It's 91. In October 90? 91, you're right. It's 91. I'm thinking 90, for God's sakes. No, so this isn't early SWS. This is a year, a year in, in SWS. I was still had 90 on my mind for some reason. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's, he's Kato, but he's not Kato here. Right, because they're not going to use him as Kato in Japan. <laughs> why not? I wonder why. <laughs> why not? <laughs> Also, I I, we have the powers of pain who haven't been the powers of pain in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. All right, so do we think they're wearing the powers of pain gear and paint? Oh, no, 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 no. They're just no, the powers no, no. of pain wearing their singles gear? Uh, yeah. Yoshiro Asai, they be on October 28th for SWS. We'll work on November 7th and 8th in Tokyo for Universal before going full-time with SWS afterwards. Apparently, the hardcore fans of Japan are mad because he's going to SWS which is generally the poorest regarded of all the major groups because the quality of matches is generally much lower than the other companies. Asai worked with Masao Orihara, among others, in his first weekend. <laughs> so they're like the fans today when like an a indie darling goes to sides with WWE. <laughs> they're not going to have really good matches anymore now. I'm not going to watch. No, he's just going to make a shitload of money because he's working for the eyeglass money market. He's going to make a living. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, oh, granted, he was working for Universal, which was Shinma, and I'm sure Shinma had some lovely connections with local businessmen, so I don't think he was starving. No, but well, he just left Mexico. I'm sure he was starving. Well, there <laughs> he was, yes. So, uh, it's just silly. I, I just think that's funny, reading stuff like that. Good lord. They, they don't put good enough matches on. Their work rate's not as good as the other promotions. Looks like SWS to get a weekly TV show on Channel 12 in Tokyo starting next April. SWS right now usually runs one hour, one two hour special per month on WOWOW stations, which is wow, wow. <laughs> similar to our HBO. Yeah, I always thought, yeah. I always wow. figured it was wow, 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 wow. Women of women of wrestling. Wow, 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 wow. Channel 12 is what TV Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. So. So when in doubt if a wrestling promotion needs a network slot, it'll be on TV Tokyo. Hey, whatever works. Oh, SWS though, UWF, World Pro Wrestling, SWS. I feel like I'm forgetting some. Yeah. SWS's best show in wrestler, Masaru Hara. He had the famous moonsault from the top rope to the floor. It's headed to Mexico for CMLL. As, was he Iga or Koga? I uh, can't remember which one off the top of my head. And the other one was Nagaoka, right? He was Iga. Yes. And I forget, what's the other guy's first name? Oh, God, I can't remember what that joker's first name was. But anyway. Uh, hold on, I'll, I'll, I'll think of it here as I ponder it. All right, so Iga's Orihar, Koga... Oh, I can't remember what that fucker's name was. But anyway. Koga, um, Koga does not have a cage match profile. How about that? 
Asushi Onida has become a television star on the Nippon Network with a Sunday 8 p.m. time slot. He does the first two minutes of a 30-minute comedy variety show doing a Dear Abby-type segment where he does pro wrestling interviews and responses and gets all worked up and cries at the love more problems <laughs> and gets intensely and crazily mad at people who have problems they should be mad about. <laughs> where okay. is this tape? Where is this tape? I want it. <laughs> and uh, per Luchawiki Koga, although it doesn't say if that's his real name or not, was also a Toshiyuki Nakahara. Okay, we just mentioned him. Yes. So there you go. From SWS. <sighs> Onida and his advice to the Love Lorn. Not as good as Freddie Blassie's <laughs> advice to the Love Lorn on uh, Tuesday Night Titan. So nothing will be ever as good as that. <laughs> oh, I want to see a Dear Abby segment with Abdullah the Butcher. Abdullah the Butcher. <laughs> Dealing with the love life of everybody who writes in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dear Abby the, the Butcher, my boyfriend has a communicable disease. <laughs> or I think so. He's not telling me. I can't figure out how I got this bloodborne disease. <laughs> Abby, can you be of assistance? <laughs> Oh, man. P.S. If we get divorced and I need to hide assets, <laughs> how do I transfer a restaurant into my wife's name? <laughs> oh, man. The wing promotion is negotiating. Wait, that doesn't even make in... sense. What the fuck am I talking about? I don't know either. The wing promotion is bringing in, negotiating to bring in Mil Mascaras. They've already used his brother, Dos Caras, who was one of the biggest foreign drawn cards in Japan in the early 70s and was his, the kid's superhero before the original Tiger Mask. And he does some shots for them, because he can't get booked in other, nowhere else in Japan, so he does some shots for them. Mito Municipal Gym on October 26th from 1347. Ryo Miyake over Masayoshi Motegi. Nobuhiro Shuramaki over Hiroshi Yamada. Tinebulus and Tinebulus Jr. over Elimda Mito and Baby Sharon. And then we get a Lucha-style match where we have a trio Fantasia, Super Raton, Super Muñeco, Super Nyoko, over Chaos, Kanich, and Misahero Nelamwete. Misahero Takuda, Takuda over Yukihiro Kanamura. Fighting Master Survivor League. Yeah! <laughs> That's a name. Fighting Master Survivor League. Robin Round. And it's spelled Survivor <laughs> with an E-R. <laughs> yes. Mr. Danger, Mr. Masanaga defeated Koichi Okamura by count out, 14.08. And then our main event, Headhunter A, Headhunter B, and Mr. Pogo defeated Hideki Osaka, Mr. Tsuru Takuda doing double duty, and Akito Saito in your main event. Sure. Soul Wing. It's not there. A and B, it's Mofat and Mahim. <laughs> Mofat and Mahim. You are correct, sir. <laughs> That's how I always uh, called them after I heard that, that, that their name, Mopata <laughs> Mahim. So I presume... And Eddie, Eddie okay. Gilbert's on his way to wing soon, too, by the way. So I presume Fighting Master Survivor League, the implication is that Kimura is here because he's a Shudo guy, not because of his pro wrestling work. Well, Matsunaga's a karate guy as well, so... Yes. So, yes, that's what that is, I guess. I love this story. The biggest news item in Japan, which has become major mainstream news, is the December 22nd match between Nobuhiko Takata and Trevor Burbick. 
And if you want to hear about the fallout from this match, patreon.com slash between the sheets. Letter to Dave, 1991. While this isn't the case, of course they have managed to make fans of Japan think that this has become of major importance to the United States, and that all three networks in the United States are bidding to cover the fight. The fight won't air on television in Japan. Because you know how officials feel they can make more money through profits from selling the videotape than they can from television rights to the fight. There was a press conference in New York on October 29th at Mickey Mantle's restaurant. What? Which also included Ernest Simmons. They Should have kicked. done it at the China Club. <laughs> All eyes would have been on that press conference. Yeah. <laughs> Ernest Simmons, the kickboxer, who will have a mixed match against Billy Scott, a Tennessee-based wrestler, who has been a big surprise working at UWFI. Burbank is the answer to a trivia question. Who was the last man to face Muhammad Ali in a boxing match? Bur- Burbank beat Ali in a 1981 fight, which ended Ali's career. Four and a half years later, he won the WBC World Heavyweight title, beating Pinkman Thomas, and he lost a title to Mike Tyson in amazing fashion, too. Got the shit knocked out of him. That's Tyson's first world championship, too. Burbank, who is 37, has a 37-7-1 Boston record with 28 knockouts. Simmons, who is an American kick boxer in the 198-pound class, has a 28-3-1 record. The show's expected to be an easy sell at the 11,000-seat Sumo Hall in Tokyo, with a top ticket price being $150. Trevor fucking Burbick. Um, Here's the thing with Trevor Burbick. He had gained fame in 1991. I think it was in 91. Pretty sure it was. When him and Larry Holmes had their parking lot incident. You guys ever seen this? No, we've uh, uh, we've played it on the show, haven't we? Um, I think we did. Yes. Um, let me see. So here. the ba- basic story. I mean, if you already played it once. My right, basic story. So Larry Holmes, Trevor Burbitt fought ten years earlier in '81, and Larry Holmes is on his comeback tour at this time. He's he's doing his Larry Holmes shit. Um, so Trevor Burbick shows up. At the press conference after the fight, wherever they're at, in his suit and tie, walks in and starts cutting a massive promo on Larry Holmes. And then they get into it in a verbal confrontation. It goes out into the parking lot of the building where they brawl on top of a car. And Larry Holmes, walk, I mean, one of them jumps on top of the car and jumps off on the other one. I can't remember exactly. I With a hurricane Rana. Like. Well, Trevor, Trevor, I think, did it to Larry Holmes. But, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it was an, ins- an insane sp- event at the time. I like Sports how you almost Center, said insane spot. Sports <laughs> Center would, would play that as, like, on, on a loop for a while there. Because they, they, they were just la- I remember Charlie Steiner just laughing his ass off at the whole thing, man. It became a running joke on Sports Center. It was April 91 when it happened. That's insane. So they're using that. That's why Trevor Burbick's in this situation because he's got some name value from that whole situation on Larry Holmes. Right. Okay. And he ends up getting double crossed like a motherfucker and just walks out. (laughs) Of course. Which uh, it's, it's well worth watching. Basically Takata just starts throwing, if not shoot low kicks, then close enough. And Burbick's like, this is, Bullshit, you said no strikes below the waist. And the ref is like, no, keep fighting, keep fighting. And then 
he keeps throwing kicks at his... I mean, he's a boxer. He's going to be heavy on that lead leg, of course, and not expecting, even if he knew what a low kick was, to defend it. So he just walks out on the match. And there are various letters, or at least there is at least a letter that Dave deals with what was covered in the media from uh, Gene Pelk from UWFI uh, in The Observer in the Aftermath, which we talk about on that Patreon show. That's why you don't trust those Japanese. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. All Japan women had a show here. Uh, only two matches listed at Toyama General Gym on October 26th. All Pacific title match. Bicicamura defeated Suzuki Manami to win the championship. And their main event, Akira Hokuto and Bill Nakano over Debbie Malenko and Manami Toyota. Just eh, some average talent on the rainier day. Average. Hell of, a, hell of a lengthy card as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were probably some undercard matches we don't know about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there were. I mean, that's the with some of these, especially the women's shows, you'll have that where you just have the, the main matches. Yeah. And, and 30, Debbie Malenko back at it, going back back in wrestling now. Yeah, doing some years later. Wrestling. 30 years yeah. after her initial injury. Doing well. Yep. You know, had all that time off, you know, she was, she was well, you know, preserved, I guess. So <laughs> That's why Stink can still go out there and do the shit he does. He takes yeah. all that, he's taking all that time off over the years, you know? She had, she had an extended period of time where she didn't have to be bumping on a regular basis and her body was able to heal. Absolutely. Yeah, I haven't right. seen the Billy Starks match. Um, Neither have I. But the match with Masha uh, on the West Coast Pro Show was quite good. Oh, yeah. Debbie was always great talent. No I mean, doubt. she wants to go on a whole run. I'm surprised more places aren't booking her at all. I don't know if she's asking for a lot or what. But I think part of it is, is she's ahead of – she. she's before a lot of people's time. Yeah. You know? All it takes is a little bit of uh, research. I know. I know, Dave, but that, that takes effort. <laughs> that takes sure. effort, believe me. I mean, some people, that's a hard thing to do is to get them to do any type of research. Jesus Christ. Another question is where she's living these days. Because, no, she, when she, is it Florida? Yeah. Okay. Because she was like in the Dakotas uh, several years ago when she had thought about making, initially making a comeback and, and didn't at that time. Yeah, that's an yeah, interesting place to be doing doing transportation from. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it was before Time Bomb Pro was running. Yeah. All right. CWA Auto Fonts. They run the Schutzen Plots on October 27th in Hanover, Germany. We have Steve Wright, father of Alex, over Salvatore Belomo. Eddie Steinblock over Joe Cruz by disqualification. Yes, that's the CW job guy, Joe Cruz. Dave Taylor and Emilia Zerno over Colonel Brody and Larry Cameron. Rambo over The Barbarian. That it's interesting because the barbarian is <laughs> in Japan, so I'm not sure who this barbarian is. Fit this will really confuse like movie fans if they see Rambo <laughs> defeated barbarian. <laughs> yeah. I'm pulling up like uh, Portia's cage match to see if Rambo I'm... over Conan, Fit <laughs> <laughs> Finley over Franz Schumann, and then Tony St. Clair over Buffalo Peterson, Max Payne of IWA fame in Tennessee. <laughs> That's what you're talking about. Um, oh, no, we've done this before. Barbarian here is uh, Yvette. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. It's Dave Sullivan. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, he's working on Barbarian Gimmick here. So, quite the show there for Autobots Mexico. The latest on the strike is that the RTC in Mexico, similar to the FCC in the United States, right to censor? <laughs> Ruled that Televisa can resume <laughs> filming the Friday night show that are in Mexico, Mexico City, starting with the show on November the 8th that will air this coming Sunday on Galavision in the United States. Obviously, it's a little ahead of our week here with Dave reported this. And uh, noon to 2 p.m. in Mexico City. On October 27th, the television show consisted of Manchester State the previous Wednesday night at the Magic Circus Disco in Mexico City. And That's a great referee, name. <laughs> yes. And wrestlers of refereeing union head Manny Guzman complained that the disco didn't have union permission to film live wrestling shows. Wait, do we have footage of this Magic Circus Disco show? I think one... Tate dealer in Western Pennsylvania has that, yes. If they were the, sh- the shows were because years ago we got a bunch of shows that were not available elsewhere from him. So is this one one of those, maybe? Possibly. The show at the Magic Circus Disco included a tag team match of all Japan women stars, Kyoko Inoue and Toshio Yamada against Cynthia Nista Moreno. Inoue and Yamada returned to Japan. They were to the semi main event on October November first in Mexico with the Japanese girls. Look at the pretty Japanese girls teaming with La Diabolica and the Mexican <laughs> girls teaming with Athena. Hey, Lenny Poffo, what about Kikyoku Inoue and Toshio Yamada, huh? And look at those pretty Japanese girls. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, October 27th at Arena Coliseo. No results for these uh, matches here. Oh, Arena Shamako. Coliseo. Coliseo. Kensuke Sasaki right there. <laughs> Coliseo. Shamako Dos and Joe Mercado Jr. Uh, went up against El Mestizo and Escudero Rojo. Cinta Moreno, Esto Moreno, and Zuyema went against Kyoko Inoue, Lady Star, and Toshio Yamada. Agave Solitaria, Sikon Ramirez, and Solar, number two. Went up against Ellen Hampre, Marabunta, and Panzonia. Angel Azteca, Anibal, and Mano Negra went up against Garamacos Jr., Gran Sheik, and Hakimate. And Justice Sierra, Arroyo de Luzco Jr., and Ringo Mendoza, one of Gorgola El Sotan, La Fiera, and Sangre Chicana. Same day, the Arena Mexico, we got Gran Apache and Super Gallo against Haka Negro and Terra Blanco, La Mascara and Superstar against Canelo Casas, the future heavy metal, and Guerrero Negro, Ludemar Jr., Felino, and Huracan Sevilla against Commando Russo, Tony Arce, and Volcano, Atlantis, Mascara Sagrada, and Octagon. There's Blue Panther, Javier Cruz, Amonaka, and Peroff. And Io de Lismark, Conan, and Lismark. Women against Los Hermanos Dinamitas, Cien Caras, Mascot, Año dos Mil, and Universo dos Mil. And we got some results. Now, Arena Castillo on the 29th, Sico Ramirez, Felino, and Jesse Sierra over Canela Casas, Commando Russo, and Gargola El Sultan, not Jerry Lynn. Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, and El Brazo over Catacan Super Astro, and Volador. Elantis, Lismark, and Real Desco Jr. over Kung Fu, Mascar, Año 2000, and Universo 2000. In the main event, Octagon over Fuerza And then November 1st, in Mexico, Kyoko Inoue, La Diabolica, and Toshio Yamada over Atienes, the Cita Moreno, and Esther Moreno. Lupanta, Fuerza and Peroff over Misterioso, Moguer, and Volador. This is a CMLL Trios title tournament. They're going to crown a new champion. This is a... Uh, First round block or whatever. El Dandi, Conan, and Octagon over Jerry Estrada, Tony Arce, and Volcano. 
Los Brazos, Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, El Brazo, over Blue Demon Jr., Io de Santo, and Io de Solitario. And then Los Hermanos Dinamita over Anibal, Lismark, and Io de Lismark. See, you blew up my spot. Because I wasn't just going to say that Gorgola El Sultan is not Jerry Lynn. I would have said he is not Dave Prezak's fellow inductee into the first class of the Independent Wrestling Hall of Fame, <laughs> Jerry Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Riccoboni's uh, savior, Jerry Lynn, as well. Yes. Whenever I'm listening to the podcast and you're reading results, I'm always like, Mogur. <laughs> Mogur. <laughs> yes, always a favorite. <laughs> the debut of the ultimate dragon, Yoshira Sai, is still on hold due to visa problems that haven't been corrected. You mean El Saigon Dragon, El Ultimo Dragon? <laughs> or the Ultimate Dragon, uh, Mike Jackson's uh, guy, who was the Ultimate Dragon in, in Georgia Indies. <laughs> <laughs> who was wearing the Ultimate Dragon outfit? It was a white redneck. <laughs> the Ultimate Dragon. Many ultimate just... Dragon and Super Dolphin can be that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See, the Mike Jackson guy should have been Penultimate Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Manny Guzman has petitioned Mexican President Salinas to rule as an arbitrator for one side or the other and have the strike settled. Uh, well, at least he's doing something in the interest of the wrestlers. And Matt Watch has been told that one key reason that Conan is not arriving in the WWF is he's pulling down 3500 a week for CMLL during the strike. Octagon's take said to be higher. Damn. <laughs> All right. Let's get out that old inflation calculator. Yeah, that's pretty good damn money. I can see why you wouldn't want to leave. Okay, if he's making the equivalent of thirty five hundred American in twenty twenty two dollars, he's making over seventy six hundred dollars a week. That's crazy. Of course, he doesn't want to go WWF full time. Uh, nope. Especially since he's a lucha main event babyface. And is going to have to go from that to just as hard rings, but take bumps. Yeah. You see why those guys didn't want to leave. Absolutely. You know, it, UWA. Uh, it really is something, though, how much, you know, you see it sometimes you go through newsletters from like 90 through, 90 through 94. We don't talk enough about how much money some of these guys were making at that time. Yeah, the Lucha guys were making big money. She and the Americans, with the way the exchange rate was at the time, I think we're doing even better mm -hmm. in Mexico than the locals. But although Octagon, obviously, is doing quite well with the merch and everything. Yes. And movies. Well, wasn't there only one with him? Hey, once. Once a payday. Yeah. Lucha Muerte with him and Sagrada. Right, UWA. El Toreo, November 27, Nocopan was headlined by Mel Mascaras against Kanak. Going to a double disqualification in third fall in what was said to be a bad match. Mascaris in his day was the biggest star Metsco, as was Connects, as a battle of legends, so to speak. And on the results, Pegasus Kid, Chris Benoit, the Killer, no jokes, uh, no there for that one, and Fishman over Dos Caras and Enrique Vera and Viano Tercero. And where a kid pinned Viano Tercero and he had his mask ripped up in blip buckets. Afterwards, challenged them to a mascara contra mascara match, which took place on November the 3rd. We, well, we know how that went. Also, one, Vianos 1, 4, and 5 beat Black Power. The England, the England, okay, and Rombo. Uh... 
<laughs> That's got to be a typo of some sort. Does it? Transformer, Transformer, Fantasma, and Psychedelico be Engendro, Scorpio, Negravaro, Ninja Turtles over Scorpio Jr., Shua Guerrero, and Io de Diablo, and Lobo Rubio. And Zeus and Falcon won the opener from Samurai. Also, Masuda, El Samurai, and Valente Fernandez. Okay, there is no the England on Luchawick. <laughs> the England. <laughs> the Scotland. Well, tag team partner. <laughs> well, as we continue here, all right, so Viano Tercero won the uh, UWA World Lightweight Tile on October 31st in Mexico City against El Signo. Let's go to the results of that show where we'll have more of the England. Uh, Peace Arena Revolution. And this is from uh, Cuz Fan. Gran Apache and Alcon 78 over El Falcon and Sismo. El Samurai and Catania over Scorpion Scorpio Jr. Fantasma, Transformer, Valente Fernandez over Babyface. El Ingenero and Ricky Boy, who replaced Dr. Badner Jr., who's moved up the car. Vianos, 1, 4, and 5 over Black Power, Dr. Badner Jr., and the England. <laughs> when Dot replaced Navarro. And then uh, it's a signal over Viano Tercero in the, on the Lucha, fan, Lucha Block version of the results, not, not the day version. So I don't know. One's right, one's wrong. Who knows? We got the England, though. That's what we're talking about here. The England, Dat, Scotland, and Dem <laughs> Wales. <laughs> and as always, as we should remember to note in this era, uh, Vianos Primera, Quarta, and uh, Quinta were the original Vianos Trios team. Yes. Or at Vianos Acero was always a singles guy. Yes, and Viano uh, Segunda had died young. And, the, and, you know, you look at it here, I mean... The English sounds like a like this trendy restaurant that would be in uh, the hippest part of town. <laughs> the England, yeah. go get your uh, finest fish and chips. Okay, I want to see what the English mask that. looks like. <laughs> yeah, no, he's got to be. He's got to have a ring jacket with the, Union Jack. Got to be. Yeah. yeah. Is it possible it's Chris Adams? Do we have Chris Adams results this week? Um, I mean anything's possible, but I don't know. Because there is a Mexican tour where he's not there long because he's stealing people's wallets, right? <laughs> <laughs> never, he would never do such a thing. <laughs> I mean, we don't have any Chris Adams in the notes. Um, uh, again, who knows? Who knows? I mean, there's t- in the '90s, he's kind of a hit and miss. So the England <laughs> double double C. They're in, in Caguas, probably at Cancha by Hateca on October 26. Sweet Brown Sugar and Super Medico number three of El Profe and Goliath. No idea which Goliath this is. Giant Warrior. He got the Warrior over Jack Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Crusher Bones? <laughs> <laughs> no Diamond Mike. <laughs> Diamond Mike, Jack Hammer, Crusher Bones. Galan Mendoza and Randy Rhodes on double count out with Los Nenes de las Nenas, Ricky Santana and Nery Gonzalez. Carlos Galone over Dick Murdoch. TNT won the WWC television title over Fidel Sierra. Miguel Perez Jr. over Huracan Castillo Jr. by disqualification. And Invader Numero Uno and Bronco Numero Uno went to a double DQ with the Heartbreakers, Wendell Cooley and Frankie the Thupper Lancaster. <laughs> And one of them was Adonis, and I can't remember what the other's name was. But they were really good in this gimmick. With well, a coolie cut, cutting loose. I guess it, unless they just kept the names, because the later ones were Apollo and Adonis. 
I think that was him, Apollo and Adonis, yeah. Okay, do we know who the uh, the Wendo Cooley replacement guy in Florida was that teamed with Frankie on the Indies? Uh, uh, no. But I've watched TV from this era, and, th- and they're really good as in this gimmick. So, uh, good old double-double C. All right, well, that's it for the first half of the show. It's now halftime. So that's a great 1991 commercials. We'll pivot to the halftime segment. We're again talking about Patreon. We'll hit the plugs and talk about IWTV and all that stuff going on. And then we'll come back with Dave. will join us. And we go to the indie scene. Boy, what indie scene we got here is Herb Abrams is threatening to sue everybody. Yeah. Who, just who is airing Wrestling on Sports Channel America? And Gordon Scazzari. Oh, shit. <laughs> and Joel Goodhart. I mean, we got all, all kinds uh, of stuff. And a new promotion opens up in the Carolinas. All that and more after the break. Hugger Mugger. Why don't we play Hugger Mugger? Right. Hugger Mugger has something for everyone. What does PDQ stand for? It's, well, how do you spell it? PDQ. Oh, <laughs> the more I know men, the more I like my dog. dog. Yeah. Answer the questions, reveal the mystery word, and win. Hugger Mugger, an exciting combination of popular word games. Stand it over till it's over. Great night for a party. When life turns up the heat. Hi. Oh, where is everyone? There's degree antiperspirant. Degree's body heat activated to release extra protection. Every time your body heat rises, Degree turns on that extra protection. To keep you drier, fresher, Degree. Your body heat turns it on. And from now on, no carton, less waste. Waffles, Mom? Oh, not for me, dear, no. They're delicious. Yes, but look at all that syrup, dear. A moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. Come on, Mom. Live dangerously. Living dangerously isn't what's kept me the same size as the day I was married. The syrup's delicious. Really rich and maple Oh, and it's light. Light? Log cabin light syrup, Mom. Half the calories. Log cabin syrups. Irresistible maple flavor for more than 100 years. What do women want? A bubble bath, a sexy guy. Perfection. Well, of course we want the best for women. That's why we choose Ultress, Clairol's best color. Ultress gel colorant for women who simply want the best. A night for Excedrin PM. What a day. It's my night! Termites. They said no spouses, so. So I can't sleep and my head aches. Aspirin-free Excedrin PM. Headache medicine and it helps you sleep. We'll continue with part two of Guiding Light in a moment. When Christy, the boss, gets stuck with her ex-husband, it's up to Tommy to smooth it over. Nothing like an old flame to heat things up. Palace Guard tonight. This is CBS. Sibling rivalry leads to a bizarre family affair. For what he did to my daughters, I think the ought to be castrated, and I mean it. What happens when your sister steals your husband? Next. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 1991 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. We will begin talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, if you heard at the beginning of the show, the newest Patreon show is out. 
as we uh, start our three-part series on 25 Years of Montreal, part one, starting uh, with, uh, let's see, uh, in October, I guess, 97, but it looks back at 96 as well, into uh, the Night of Survivor series. So we have a, a lot going on in that short amount of time as uh, we look at all the build-up to Brett leaving the WWF, not by really his own choice, and going to WCW. And all the uh, drama that was going on there. And uh, Vincent Mann's uh, flip-flopping, so to speak, numerous times on uh, that decision. And yeah, just a crazy emotional time in everyone's life that's involved. And we go uh, deep into that. So uh, we got uh, all the newsletter stuff, of course. We got Wrestling with Shadows. We got Calgary Sun, Brett stuff. We got Brett on, on the record. We got all kind of stuff. So um, very, very strong show here. And a hell of a way to start this three parts. So uh, you definitely want to listen to this if you haven't listened to it already. And if you have listened to it, tell uh, tell friends. Because uh, this is one of the biggest wrestling stories of all time, and we're telling it as complete as possible. We've got Brett's book as well. Forgot to mention that. Uh, and there's so much that we're using as references in this. So you definitely want to get get on this for five dollars a month. You get the access to this five dollars access to this show and all the other shows that we've done and are now six years of the Patreon. So there's plenty of audio there for that five months. It's well worth your money. It's patreon.com slash between the sheets for that. Dollar a month gets you access to the Discord and thanks in this segment, which we'll do in just a second. And then $25, let's pick a show for the week. Now, um, when you do that, make sure you have a uh, backup choice handy just in case the show that you want to do, you know, might not be able to do it because of various reasons. It could be uh, somebody picked that week on the calendar already. could be that... Something we may have already done in the past. Could be a lot of things. So uh, you definitely want to um, have two shows in mind and let us know why you want to do the show. And um, yeah, we'll do the we'll do everything we can to make sure that you get your show taken care of. So that's twenty five dollars. Get your show in at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Fifty dollars allows you to send for a segment of that show if you choose, and a hundred for the whole show if you choose. And, of course, there's other parts this, too. You can make sure you get that in for 30 days, 10-year rules in effect, Wednesday, Tuesday on the timeline, all that stuff, and you should be good to go. So that's that. All right. We've released a new Patreon show, and normally when that happens, we get a uh, good number of new or returning patrons. So, Bix, who do I think this week is our new and or returning patrons? Well, especially since we have anniversary billing now, too. Yes, so, we would like to thank Joseph Carter. Thanks, Joseph. Greg M. Thanks, Greg M. The way it was laid out here in my little text file I copied to from the site, I almost read it as Greg M. October. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Jeff Hamlin. Thanks, Jeff. All right, this is one I need to make sure I'm pronouncing at least roughly correctly. Uh, that would be, I think, B. Schmalzbach. Thanks, B. Schmalzbach. And then we have Patrick Vint. Thanks, Patrick. Paul. Thanks, Paul. No idea if it's Paul Miller or not. 
Or wrestling with Paul. Hmm. BWB Dennis. Thanks, BWB Dennis. Jonathan Kane. Thanks, Jonathan. Is that the oh wait, Jonathan Kane from Journey? <laughs> wow, that'd be awesome. I have no idea. And uh switching over from monthly to annual is uh Hank Postma. Oh thanks, Hank. So we thank all you new patrons, all you returning patrons, all you patrons that have uh been there from the beginning, come along the way. We thank you for your patronage. We thank everyone for supporting us in any way they can. At patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix. IWTV is always busy. So what's going on with them this week? Let's see. A uh, few things that didn't live stream did go up on On Demand, including Beyond Wrestling's latest beach show. Which one was on that thing anyway? Uh, Little Mac. Bleh. Little Mean Kathleen and Teddy Goods versus Dan Barry and Sixty Cow. Uh, mostly like the local Northeast talent on this one, but also uh, Masha Slamovich versus Trisha Dora, Narls Garvin in action against Tyree Taylor, and more. Plus the atmosphere on those is always kind of interesting. They also put up uh, Tar Calloway's uh, Dropkick Depression show from April 30th. So that is up as well. And then as far as live streams that are coming up, let's see what we've got this week. So the day this comes out, Monday, with it being Halloween, uh, H2O, of course, is running a show, Hardcore Halloween, with the main event being War Games and in that building, surely just one ring, but they do have a cage. Well, I mean, what, what other promotions is running two rings? Anybody really? On the... I mean, Ian did two rings. GCW's done two rings. MLW I mean, happens, two rings. But yeah, it's it's rare. Not common. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that includes yeah the War Games main event where it's uh, Matt Tremont, Jess Moss, Casey Kirk, and Sawyer. Excuse me, Casey Re- Casey Kirk, Sawyer Reck, and Masha Slamovich against uh, the current heel group in H2O with Mouse, Chris Bradley, Christian Ross, uh, Christian Ross, I don't know why I can't talk, Kennedy Copeland and a mystery partner. Uh, there's a tag team survival gauntlet and among other things, uh, Jimmy Lloyd versus Akira versus Marcus Mathers and more. So that'll be Halloween night at Eastern opposite uh, the longest running what do they? They haven't used the the buzzwords anymore. Was it longest running episodic tele, weekly episodic television series in history? Something like that. Anyway, what is that? What? What's the longest running? Wait a minute. What? What's the whole Raw thing? Because it's running on Monday night. I said it was opposite Raw. Oh, I don't know. He was. I thought you said when these indie shows. I'm like, huh? No, I said opposite. <laughs> yes, you didn't oh. say opposite. Okay. Uh, North Shore Pro Wrestling in Quebec City has a show then Friday at 8 Eastern, nothing listed on the IWTV, IWTVC. What the hell? Why can't I talk? IWTV, do I need to do this? No. I, <laughs> I'm just getting much more tongue-tied than usual for some reason. IWTV website, but uh, I know Alex Shelley is advertised from looking at the graphic. Uh, Stan Styles has another one of his intergender bonanza shows, and this will be at the H2O Wrestling what the Center. Fuck? <laughs> What? Stan Styles? 
yeah, intergender never, wrestling bonanza. Yeah, you've never heard of uh, Stan Styles and his intergender wrestling bonanza card. No, I have not. Stan Styles is the kind of jacked up like northeast indie guy who does the gimmick where he always has a shake weight and whipped cream. <laughs> Be thankful nah. you're not familiar with him, honestly. Uh, so he, yeah, he's got one of his intergender bonanza shows coming up at Saturday at eight Eastern from the H2O Wrestling Center. Uh, Dead or Alive Pro Wrestling has a show Saturday at okay, so ten thirty Eastern. Uh, any recognizable names on this one? Sonico in action. Looks like this is mostly uh, up and coming. Uh, West Coast names. Oh, and the main event is uh, Heidi Howitzer and Max the Impaler versus Drexel and Funny Bone. Plus uh, some other recognizable names like Sandra Moon on the card. Uh, Without a Cause has a show which does not have the lineup listed yet for Sunday at 5 Eastern. And there is a Gali Lucha show on, on Sunday at 6.30 Eastern. Again, no matches listed on the site right now. So... That's what's coming up this week on uh, IWTV, and if you're not already a subscriber, use code BTSPOD, and we'll get a referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. So, independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. As I remember to meet my phone, by the way. <laughs> well, a show that's, um, I guess, not live streaming that we need to talk about. Action Wrestling on November the 5th in Sharpsburg, Georgia, East Coweta High School. AC Mack defending the IWTV Independent World Championship against Tank. So that's going to be a very interesting match coming up on November the 5th. Um, Adam Priest defending the action title against Matt Sells on that show as well. Um, who else is on here that I know? Uh, top team Teriyaki. That's Terry. Yaki. Yaki. Yeah. And Jay Lucas against uh, the Reup, Ashton Starr and Rico Gonzalez. Billy Starr against Carlos Romo. Brogan Finley against Billy Tipton is on that show as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that's a live stream or not, but it's taking place on November the 5th, so it should be uh, up pretty soon. And uh, there you go. So, Jay Newman's also on the poster, so I guess he'll be working the show against somebody. Who knows? But there you go. So Action Wrestling, our friends over there, go check them out on the on-demand section yes. of IWTV. I believe every show in Tyrone from this point forward is live stream, though. Yeah, this isn't in Tyrone, so maybe that's right. why. Yeah. Um, it's in Sharpsburg. I need to watch the last show, too, especially because I've been looking forward to seeing uh, Alex Shelley versus Jaden Newman in particular. Yep. All right. Well, today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you're using Cognito mode, your internet source provider is storing your browsing data many times, even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet source provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. And if you sign up with Private Internet Access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go to that, shall we? we got three plans that we offer as part of our deal. 
You get a monthly plan of $11.95 a month if you want to go that direction. Yearly plan, $3.33 a month for $39.95 per year. Strong deal there. But the number one deal, you get three years plus for three months at $1.98 a month, equaling out to $79 for three years, 83% off the best damn deal there is. And that's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, you can take advantage of the PIA 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it for 30 days. See if you like it. If not, just turn it for a full refund. So how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week up between the sheets. We'll start our first of two straight weeks in 1997. How fitting. <laughs> so uh, if you love uh, the 1997 wrestling, we got a Patreon show. We got three Patreon shows and back-to-back weeks of Between the Sheets coming up. Yes, so, although uh, uh, the main Brett stuff is not going to be on the weekly shows. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just not feasible, no. even if we well, do the I mean, Patreon show. Well, I mean, why would we – well, here's Why would we do that? We're trying, we're trying no, to I'm get people to listen to the Patreon show. Did, I'm saying even if we didn't do the Patreon shows, it would be very tricky. Well, it would be on there. I mean, we, we would find a way to do it. But I'm saying because it's so important. But we got a Patreon show for that, dedicated to just that. So no Brett coverage on uh, these two shows other than the stuff that we – necessarily have to cover like uh, Survivor Series in the match because Tyler Gignac is uh, requested for that week and he wants us to talk about that so of course we'll get his thoughts on the match and Brett in particular but yeah no no hard Brett stuff but we have a lot of other stuff going on during our week WCW crazy stuff going on there as always on Nitro so we'll talk about that and all the other backstage stuff we got Indie Scene, we got ECW, Ultimate Jeopardy 97, which includes Rick Rue's last appearance at ECW Arena, among other things. Another wild show there. We got, of course, International Section and WWF, where we have uh, the Raw Before Survivor Series to talk about. And we got uh, Brian Pillman and the uh, autopsy report from The Doctor. Melanie Pillman made a statement on AOL. So we'll have that. And, and a wild story. Dan Severn and Dory Funk Jr. have a legit fight after a show in Florida. So we'll have a full rundown on that and so much more on Between the Sheets next week with our friend, Black Label Pro Promoter Mikey Blanton, making his return to the show. So should be quite the experience next week on Between the Sheets. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod, Bix at David Bix. And fix anything going on in your world this week? Um, I guess we'll save most of that for next week. I've got something coming up. But I'll wait until some of that stuff is up before we plug it. Just how I worked it out in my head. Um, and what did I... There was something I added at the at my Patreon this week, and I'm blanking on what it was. Yeah, you got that. <laughs> um, yeah, there was... A, this week was a little hectic. I'm going to try to add something, another thing or two, like right after you and I are done here. Um, oh, I added the Jumbo Saruta immigration recommendation letters, which are actually from after his wrestling career when he was trying to get 
his visa for his teaching job, but has a lot of wrestling people involved, including a letter from Masawa as All Japan president, Hase basically sending a letter as a member of the legislature, but pretending of the legislative branch, I guess I should say, but basically pretending there's no wrestling connection between them and that, that because it never comes up. So well, how would they know? I know. But all of the other stuff. Or how would they care? Who knows? Programs, <laughs> internal documents, agent reports, you know, tax documents, more to come. So patreon.com slash bixarchive. Um, I guess you, we should do what we've been doing lately, though, and also talk about Tales from the Territories, right? Yes, the Florida show that aired uh, last week. I think it was my favorite show so far now. Me too. <laughs> uh, the story of the Bob Roop, uh, Steve Kern angle involving Steve Kern's father was insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just fantastic because yeah. i mean you got the two the two key players and they're talking about the, how that how everything was set up eddie graham you know his opinion of everything i mean because he wasn't even there he was in australia i mean it a hell of a fucking show and you get the story of hulk hogan you know with the briscoes and you know how they they broke him into the business and you know the Matsuda stuff you get the stories about you know the the guy stretching the fans at at the sportatorium, um, the Brian Blair rib story I thought was hilarious. I mean it it was a it was probably the show that had the most stuff on there that you don't hear a lot of in shoot other yes. shoot interviews. Yes. So that that was definitely the uh, the the biggest plus on that one, and that's not the you know this just like the other shows. It's just a lot of those talking heads and other shows have done shoot interviews in the past, so you don't. You always, you know, you hear the same stuff. I mean, so you don't get a lot of that repeat here. And Kevin Sullivan talk about the satanic angle and stuff, and which you know you get that. And but I mean, I, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I don't think I knew until this that Steve Kern's dad was POW twice. Yes, mm-hmm. World War. What was it? World War Two and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a Korea. Steve made sure to correct that. Yes. Because he was he was held by the Germans and the Russians released him once the Germans you know once the war was over with. Yeah, and I don't think I knew, or at least had really thought about the timeline and that the second POW camp. Uh, I was going to say stint, but that doesn't seem like the right word here. Uh, incarceration was pretty much like led directly to Curran getting you know, friendly with Eddie Graham because he and Mike had become friends at school and he needed a father figure and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of good stuff in that episode. And I, how do I put this? I think just, it was the right call just to give so much time to the Rube Kern thing because, you know, it's, they had audio of some of the promos, but not video, but they were able to paint such a vivid picture. And again, it's this great topic, but not a thing that people talk about a lot. It just really, really clicked. Well, how about the uh, the black and white video footage of the Sullivan reveal? The, the you know the the tur- the full turn. That's not a that's not around. I don't know if I noticed that. I'm gonna have to. Yeah, it was a, a black and white video. Yeah, that's not around. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that one was a that one was a very interesting one that that, that they pop up. Um. But yeah, 
Yeah, that strong episode there. And next week's going to be very interesting because it's covered Stampede, and you have the the uh, roundtable of Bret Hart, Abdul the Butcher, Dr. D. David Schultz, and No Class Bobby Bass. Yep. That is a roundtable right there. And that covers different types of of, this, of Stampede. Yep. You, you know, Bret, of course, who was there you know, for, for his first part of his career. And also Abby grew up, obviously. Grew up, yeah. As the son of the promoter, yeah. Grew up in the territory. Then you got Abby, who was there, you know, a lot as, as a youngster in the business and became a pretty big star there where he first started getting big. And then you got Dr. D, who became, you know, a big American star there in the early 80s. And Bobby Bass, who was a guy who was in and out as well, you know, as a heel in, in the territory. So a mixed bag of people on that show. And I think that's going to be very interesting. I'm curious to see who's going to be the one to <laughs> be like the um, the leader of the group. <laughs> I mean, I got to yeah. think it would be Brett. I would think just given the personality types, not knowing that much about Bobby Bass in real life, it would kind of have to be Brett unless Bobby Bass would somehow be good for that. Yeah, I can see Brett being the Jeff Jarrett on these shows, yes. Yes, I was surprised. Well, he grew that... up with it, too, so he's got that whole thing as a fan and as a performer. I was surprised that Jerry Briscoe was the uh, kind of the leader of the discussion on the floor. Yeah. Episode. I would have expected yeah. Blair, I think. I would have thought it had been Kern. Uh, it would have been good, too. But Yeah, but, but hey, it was good stuff, so, yeah. And very enjoying the show very much so far. So everybody go check that out. Tales from the Territories on Vice TV. All right, on that note, that's it for us. Let's get back to the rest of the show. What, we're not talking about wrestlers abusing dogs? <laughs> no. Okay. Good. Well, let's get back to the United States now and to the indie scene here. And there's a lot going on. And we begin with everyone's favorite... Herb Abrams, Universal Wrestling Federation. Herb Abrams is starting to sue half the world over things written in various newsletters, apparently including this one. He also called the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and demanded that they fire Mark Madden over an article he wrote on Bruno San Martino, which was in the Pro Wrestling Torch newsletter. Of course, nothing came from it. For the record, San Martino didn't even know Abrams was making the threats and wants it to be known. He had nothing to do with it, nor wants anything to do with it. <laughs> Wait, he was trying to get him fired from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette for something that was written in the torch. Well, if you didn't write it in the Post Gazette, like, how do you even. That's. Well, that's. That, I mean, he, Herb's ahead of his time because look at today when people do things, you know, that and maybe other places that people try to get them fired from their jobs, even though they didn't do it at their job. Yeah, but he did. I mean, come on. It wasn't even an article that was written in the paper. Of course not. But still, that's, that's what you do. You try to, you try to hurt him. Well, Herb Abrams, whatever. It's Herb Abrams, yes. And, you know, nobody cared. <laughs> I just, I wish we had audio of that phone call. Or whatever he did. <laughs> letter or whatever. The coked up Herb uh, trying to get Mark Madden fired. I'm going to sue you on behalf of Bruno Sabatino. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to listen to more about this, we have this up uh, in our feed when we did the Patreon on Herb Abrams, one of our best Patreon series on Herb Abrams UWF. And uh, you can listen to that there as we go more in depth on that yes. story. I mean, there, oh, I forget what the 
the Bruno thing was... Doggone it. No, but what the Bruno column was. And then there was the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette article that was, well, that was like a year before, or at least several months before this, where he talked to Bruno and David Sammartino, and they were not exactly bullish about Herb. But that seems separate from this. Here, Herb's just going on his threat of bleh, legal threat spree, where he's threatening Mark Madden. Who else? There was Mike Sawyer. I think Andrew Goldberger might have been in there. Yeah, stop reading newsletters, Herb. <laughs> Andrew Goldberger. Like, nobody read his thing. <laughs> he did, like, six issues and then folded. And now he's a millionaire somewhere. Hey, well, it worked out for him in the end. <laughs> it did. Fortune in? I'm not sure. I just all all that sticks out in my mind is that he's a millionaire now. So, well, good for him. Well, Abrams is now showing a taste of Howard Brody's women's major league wrestling, so he has new shows for his UWF time slots on Sports Channel since he hasn't done any recent tapings. Those shows were taped more than a year ago, but never aired. So he's trying to keep his spot by having some sort of programming to give. And to it's Sports women. Channel. Women's Major League Wrestling, so yeah. women's promotion. Which was, uh, I re- st- that sticks out of my mind because I remember the top rope was like twice the thickness of the other strands of rope on the ring that they used <laughs> for the taping. And it really annoyed me. I'm like, why can't you just get a real ring? <laughs> I have a joke I want to make and I'm not sure I should. Anyway, so let's move on. <laughs> I'll put it in the chat. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, I'll be the judge of this. I don't know. That's what, not the, too. Uh, that's not I, too bad. I won't say it. All right, but anyway. <laughs> but yes, folks. I mean, in the early '90s, we had multiple all women's promotions in this country that were trying to do national things. Dave, and I mean, doing serious wrestling too. Yes. Yeah, he was. Yeah, and uh, I believe Luna Vachon was his booker at the time. Yeah, correct. Yes. So. Yeah, just two two ahead of the time. There, you know, it just wasn't <laughs> it, it, at that time. You know, women's wrestling. I don't know what they could have done to make it, you know, a feasible business. You know. Wait six more years and then – or not even six more – wait wait ten more years and a fucking – I don't know. I don't know. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's strange to try to do stuff on TV because television, women's wrestling, they were used to the old glow format. So it's like if you're not doing the over-the-top characters, is it going to be received the same way? Do people – will people expect the over-the-top characters? Who knows? It's the LPWA where they differed is yeah, – I mean it was a it was a mix. promotion. But yeah. they had the big male star characters on there, like yeah. Cornette and Sergeant Slaughter and stuff. Yes. Like yeah. As the hook, yeah. Which was, for the time, I think kind of clever as a way to try to hook people in that might have kind of looked down on women's wrestling. Of all of the attempts in this era, I liked the LPWA best. Torberg. 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 <laughs> Torberg, yes. Yes. Um... Shall we go to Howard Brody's book? Why not? Go to Howard Brody's book. Yes, Why not? Which people really should read if they have not. So I believe this is in the Herb Abrams chapter. 
Um, I read it, and there are a lot of uh, lessons to be learned as a wrestling promoter by reading Howard Brody's book of things not to do. There you uh, go. So, yeah. so I saw it as uh, very uh, helpful in that way. But at the same time, I was constantly thinking to myself, why are you exposing yourself for being such a failure by putting it in, <laughs> in writing like this? But, He's trying uh, to educate a new generation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, people like me can learn from uh, the previous mistakes of – People like Howard Brody. I mean, he did have some things where he came very close to legitimate successes. Yeah. But anyway, although the October Fort Lauderdale show was the last event I ever did with Herb, we did do one more piece of business. About a month later, he called to say he needed a month's worth of original programming, but didn't have any shows in the can to deliver to Sports Channel. He wanted to know if I'd be willing to air the Wild Women of Wrestling shows as four one-hour specials under the UWF banner. While he had no money to offer, he said he would give us all the commercial advertising time he was allotted. While I knew we would not make much, the broadcast would give us the brand exposure we needed if we were to raise new funds. With that in mind, I agreed to the deal, and the Wild Women of Wrestling finally made it on the air. That was the very last direct business deal I did with her. Excuse me, ever did with her. Sometimes he would call up in the middle of the night just to say hello. Sometimes he would call to ask me if I was planning any shows. Sometimes he would call me just to tell me about his ongoing repugnant actions and behaviors. <laughs> a line off a hooker's ass! And then there was a the little game he liked to play. Howard! He would say when I answered the phone. What have you done for the UWF today? <laughs> Although he knew my answer was always, nothing, Herb, what have you done for me today? That simple question and answer game became a little ritual. It took me many years to understand why Herb kept calling me. He felt guilty. He felt guilty that he had mistreated me and abused the friendship we'd initially forged, even though I'd moved on to different projects. I think somewhere in the back of my mind, he thought that if he were to ever put the pieces of the UWF back together, I would go back to work for him. Now, the way that he phrased it, where he was like, finally the <clears throat> women's major league wrestling footage uh, aired, had he not found any sort of, like no channel... Apparently to actually not. air the footage that he sh- so I mean it's a good thing that Herb Abrams uh, was in need of programming to fill that Sports Channel spot spot or uh, perhaps nobody would have ever seen the Howard Brody stuff if he couldn't That's get right. it on the air anywhere else. That's right. Yeah, blessing in disguise. Well, I, I sort- it did eventually get a commercial <clears throat> release. Like I, I I believe it's VHS, might be DVD, but I, I know that it was released as uh, like Wild Women in Wrestling or something like that um, yeah. later. I've searched the book for LMLW, and uh, I found this just to give an example of some of his bad luck and whatnot. On the syndication front, bad news began trickling in. Even though television stations were getting the first episode and liked the product, they were skeptical about us being able to produce 52 one-hour shows, and with the Ms. Lou name no longer attached to the project, that's right, they were going to syndicate them at one point, uh, even the stations initially agreed to clear the show were balking. Additionally, Art, I don't remember who Art was, was finding that some of the stations had already committed to airing the LPWA and wouldn't take a second women's wrestling program. With there our lineup in place, Len Koch couldn't sell the time, and Mike Predmest couldn't buy time on behalf of his clients. Even though we gave an outward appearance of progress, LMSW <coughs> and our WWOW TV show was actually coming part of the seams. I also began Wait a minute. to question. What? They had WWOW too? Wow, wow, wow? Wow. So so this would be wow wow as opposed to wow wow. Wow. Um 
I also began to question Predmest's credibility. The company he had brought in that put the logo on our map for $5,000, AES Alarms, now refused to pay the $2,500 balance they owed. We ended up taking them to court, and thanks to an incompetent attorney, we lost the case. It should have been a slam-dunk breach of contract when turned to travesty as AES's attorney made one ridiculous accusation after another which our attorney didn't know how to squash. Well, they got my goat. Looking back, I think my favorite accusation was that I not only forged the signature of their company's president on the agreement, that I broke into their offices, cracked the safe where their checks were kept, stole one of their checks, and forged the owner's signature on that, too. When we called Prednest in, our, in, our, as, in as our witness testified about how he'd brought them on as a sponsor, he tried to maintain his relationship with them and skirted around our attorney's direct questioning, and the judge brought the proceedings to a halt. She knew she was being bamboozled by the countersuit they had filed, but following letter of the law, because her attorney couldn't prove they'd breached the terms of the contract by failing to pay us, she dismissed their obligation. They were off the hook. From that point on, I had zero confidence in anything pre this Predmest guy said. Okay. So, yes. So, he's, he's dealing with some shady characters in the wrestling business and the TV business. They're all shady characters in this era. Come on. Yes. Yeah. Abrams does have a TV taping schedule from the very 16th at Mount Vernon High School in Mount Vernon, New York, headlined by Tony Atlas against Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. What, is that a co-promotion with Savoldi? I mean, it's Mount Vernon with Tony Atlas in the main event, so maybe, actually, <laughs> right? It's possible. I wonder I if that show happened. Let's see. What's the date? November 16th. November 16th. Oh, we do have results. 450 fans. Oh, yes. Israeli champion Joshua Ben-Gurion defeated the Latin lover. Steve Wilding Ray and Tom Brandy defeated King Kalua and Wrecking Crew, a single wrestler named Wrecking Crew. <laughs> the one-man Wrecking Crew. He sure is. Jackknife Johnny beat the Black Russian. <laughs> what the fuck? That was a stiff drink of a match. <laughs> oh, okay. We're about to find out in a second. <laughs> who's who the actual local promoter is of this show and it's someone i think we we had forgotten that we knew had promoted a lo promoted locally a uwf show the condor hmm defeated jimmy star north american champ tony capone <laughs> beat daytona drake and paul orndorff beat brian blair by dq so so yeah it's tony mara pre-nawa doing a uh UWF spot show that's basically the UWF part is Joshua Ben-Gurion in the main event. But it's not TV and taping. Ray. And Steve Ray. No, it doesn't look like it's TV taping. So, yeah. Isn't the NAWA back? Isn't it back and up and running now? The Tony Mara NAWA? I believe so. What? It might have somebody else involved with it, but... It's the same logo and everything. I, I could have sworn I saw it within the past year. I mean, it would surprise me if somebody, you know, would revive the name and logo. And it's not the only NAWA either. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to IWCCW. Oh, and really, wow. the record. Well, we, uh, we have wow, wow, and we have I wow. <laughs> for the record, the next... Uh, <laughs> Herb TV taping is not until June 19th in Spartanburg. There you go. All right. IWCCW starts on Sports Channel America after Thanksgiving on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And that lasted only a few weeks, and I don't remember any weeks that they actually aired ICW footage. I only remember them showing South Atlantic <laughs> reruns. 
And like oh, that's the Goldie Library. Early South Atlantic. So Ricky Steamboat, Mark Young, when they were the NAWA. Yeah. That's of old. You never know what you're going to get. It was uh, like a box of chocolates, the Forrest Gump. You never <laughs> knew what you were going to get when you watched the episode of IWCCW. <laughs> Why is this chocolate shaped like a cement boot? <laughs> I mean, you could get Bill Watch UWF. You, know, you just don't know. <laughs> you get a whole episode of Bill Watch UWF. You get a whole yeah. episode of Bill Watch UWF a few months after it first aired as a UWF show. Like the one whatever tapes wound Luke up in the hands of the Savoldis, they would they would pass along to Sports Channel, and it would air, and they would assume it's IWCCW. <laughs> well, it, it, when that it. originally aired from the one that Roy has on YouTube, they did have wraparounds and bill it as special UWF matches from Tulsa. <laughs> I mean, they were creative. You gotta give the Savoldis credit; they were creative in finding programming to put put on television if yeah. it wasn't their own. Or, you know, had they spent much of 1990 just doing the fifth anniversary celebration of old footage with new wraparounds? Yeah, absolutely. They knew, then, they knew how to play. But then when they switched the title from Tony Atlas to Vic Steamboat, they cut into a years-old Linda Dallas match, Linda Dallas, excuse me, match, to air a special wrestling report about the title change. So they broke live into their syndicated television show that was showing reruns somehow. Well, wrestling fans aren't the smartest in the world, Picks. Yeah, that's <laughs> also the same remember, year. Remember that. That they, uh, they claim that they, that when they show matches from win as part of the tag team, inter, excuse me, the international tag team tournament, that they were watching it on the satellite from Mexico. Of course they were. Yeah. It's so, wrestling. Suspend your disbelief, man. That's, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> Dave, Dave knows the deal. Now, speaking of Sports Channel America. Including the, broad, the way that it's broadcast and everything. Yeah, speaking of Sports Channel America, let's go to the Pro Wrestling Torch. The American Wrestling Federation is a new venture by Gordon Scazzari. He's in his early 20s. According to Scazzari, the AWF will make their debut on Sports Channel America in February. Scazzari has lined up Eddie Gilbert, Sonny Beach, and Dutch Mantellis as bookers. While Chris Cruz and Terry Funk will form one of his announced teams, and John Arezzi will work with a color commentator to be determined on the other team. Two TV shows, too, by the way. Some of these things actually happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are the resident Gordon Scazzari expert on this. I'm, I wouldn't say expert, but <laughs> I'm, I'd say big fan. I, I, I always liked uh, – I liked following the stories of Gordon Scazzari back in the day, and I later would attend an ECW show at Sports Fest with him um, in 1996, I think that was. Uh, so, and I talked to him on the phone here and there, and he stayed involved. Like the the some of the some people in wrestling assumed that the story that they heard, which was Gordon Scazzari, some kid who had no clue who inherited a bunch of money and blew it all in one weekend of TV tapings. And that was the end of him in wrestling. That wasn't actually the case. It was kind of something like that. He did have a disastrous weekend taping uh, his first couple of shows and he had paid Eddie Gilbert in advance to be his booker. And then Eddie no showed. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, he, but he did stay involved in wrestling uh, promoting more shows during the years that followed, both in the United States and in Puerto Rico. Like it, he was, he's, he remained involved. He was never super successful, but like, I don't know. There was a, there's an article. If anyone who wants to look it up uh, in Slam Wrestling did a Gordon Scazzari article last month, which pretty much 
is a good chronicle of exactly what his involvement in wrestling was. He ended up taping a TV at the Lowell Auditorium and uh, and ran an event in Asbury Park, New Jersey at the convention center all in one weekend in the middle of a blizzard, I believe it was, and neither drew very well. But footage does exist and uh, will end up on the High Spots Network at some point on the Savoldi section. Yes, yeah, there so is, it, will, uh, it, see, it will see the light of day, hopefully. There is. It a, ended up in that same bin of tapes as the rest of these promotions that so, the Savoldis were probably given <laughs> footage to put on Sports Channel at some point if they wanted to. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there is a sizzle reel that, as of this recording, is the last thing that Savoldi put up on their YouTube that uh, Scazzari put together, which uh, Prezak painstakingly slowed down when they showed the Pyro celebration. Yes, Pyro <laughs> in the Lowell Memorial Auditorium for Paul Orndorff winning the title, and then finally you could tell that there were, like, no people there. Well, it looked like about, I mean, it was the end of the show, celebration with the title, so maybe some people had left. It looked like there was eh, 250-ish still in the seats in a building that could probably hold 1,500 or something like that. Yeah. So. Um, From the Slam Wrestling article, uh, he bankrolled the AWF himself. He had the cash, which itself has been a source of mystery and speculation. The rumor, which has been reported in newsletters like the Pro Wrestling Torch, is that the money came for his parents' inheritance, but his parents were modest librarians. There wasn't a huge nest egg waiting for him. There have been other explanations. On the Wrestling Classics message board in 2007, there's a whole thread there if people want to check it out, where he's arguing with people, and it's something. And correcting them and talking about how, no, we actually did draw, and you just couldn't see it. <laughs> and I sold the rights to the tapes to the AWF in Puerto Rico for them to launch their TV with, which probably is true. Uh, probably is. Yeah, it probably is accurate. We just didn't find out about it. Yeah. Uh, Sorry wrote the money for the AWF came from, a, from stocks and a share of profits from a company merger. The truth might be somewhere in the middle. He had ventured stock options from his parents – uh, because he had a, an inheritance. And a lot of that was basically stocks. He also put a lot of money away. Henry, I forget the guy's first name, says. Um, I believe that Mike Henry. Yes, Mike Henry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, we've got a run sheet and everything. Yeah, there's a whole lot. Uh, if, for those who want to uh, study up on the AWF, uh, search out that article. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. one, of the, one of those startups that there's a lot of them in this era. You know, people trying to do a national type startup promotion and you know the most don't fall flat on their face but it's entertaining in the process uh, and we're talking real. about it all these years later so i know so he was influential gordon scazzari did something man he did yes he did he's, okay. he's still relevant okay, 30 so years how many, later how many startups do we have just from uh, what do we say should we say 90 through 93 I mean, it's a lot. LPWA, Ladies Major League Wrestling, UWF Global, AWF, uh, both NAWAs, uh, IWF. I'm at eight. Am I forgetting any? Well, you got all the ones in the South. You know, you got Five Star Wrestling, Heritage Wrestling. Oh, 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 the other. um, Buck Robley's NWF. The other, I think, was it called IWF or was it Austin Austin Idol's promotion in Alabama? There was that one that did the pilot at Disney MGM Studios with uh, Bob Armstrong and Mike Jackson as the hosts. 
You got Smoky, Smoky Mountain Wrestling to start up. I mean, I was, a I, lot. Mean, I was thinking more like nationally minded startups. But yeah. Well, they got on TV in, in a lot of places. So. Hmm. so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. A lot of people trying to, you know, start up promotions after the end of Jim Carr promotions. Yes. Oh, yeah. and of course, the photos here are from Lano. Well, naturally. So. But yeah, Gordon Scazzari, a very interesting figure in the wrestling business in the 90s. As we move forward to another one. Joel Goodhart, CWA, ran a show on October 26th in Pine Hill, New Jersey, where Nature Boy Beta Landell beat J.T. Smith to win the TWA title. Eddie Gilbert went to a double disqualification with Kevin Sullivan. Dr. S.D. Wins beat Bam Bam Bigelow by disqualification when Buddy ripped off the shirt of the special referee, Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. The Blackhearts beat Jimmy Gennetti and Rock and Rubble to keep the TWA tag titles. And Pitbull Rex beat Johnny Hotbody in a match where the loser had to eat dog food. Rogers, 72, will wrestle Landell on Goodhart Show in January and fill it up for the TWA title. And well, he was did. supposed to. Well, that was the plan. <laughs> that was the plan until Joel Goodhart folded. And, uh, yeah, a lot of wrestling fans' money disappeared that day. Patreon.com <laughs> slash Between the Sheets, brother. Joel Goodhart All right, Yep, full results of the show. Pitbull Rex or Johnny Hotbody. Tony Stetson over Rick Perez. Cry Baby Waldo in a handicap match over Michael Bruno and Johnny O. Oh! Johnny DC- O! <laughs> DC Drake over Glenn Osborne. Well, that's an independent Hall of Fame match right there. <laughs> the Black Hearts, Apocalypse and Destruction over Rock and Rebel Jimmy Gennetti. Doc over Bam Bam by DQ. Eddie and... Uh, Kevin Sullivan double to you and butter over JT to win the title. Um, okay. Rex is Anthony Durante, right? Uh, yes. Because you know how I always remember that is, of course, Gary Wolf has to be Spike because he was also Pitbull Psycho Mike. And it rocked. Yes. Um, yes. I love how, too, how what you copied and pasted here from Cage Match. Of course, it doesn't have them as the Blackheart's Apocalypse Instruction. It has them as Blackheart Apocalypse and Blackheart Destruction. This will be wrestling data. Oh, well, excuse me. The other German site. The one I use the most, yes. So, you're a cage match, man. I'm a wrestling data. I mean, man, I use so. both depending on what I'm looking for and how. I default to wrestling data over cage match. So, there you go. All right. So, um, I don't know if we talked about this on the show or not. I think we did. Because I shouldn't remember it. Joel Goodhart's making noise about promoting shows in Daytona Beach and Pompano Beach, Florida. And the Torch, I mean, not Torch, Matt Watch said that uh, reports are that Goodhart, Kevin Sullivan, and Luna Bashan are planning a possible monthly five day indie swing in Jacksonville, Miami, Pompano Beach, Daytona Beach, and Cocoa Beach. A monthly five day swing? We did not talk about this on the Patreon show. I don't think we talked about that part. So. Good thing they didn't actually try to do it because. Would not have been good. But here's the thing: here, here, here we are again. Independent wrestling promoters wanting to run in Florida. Northeastern independent wrestling promoters wanting to run in Florida. Larry Sharp's doing that at the same time. Odie's did it. You know, I mean, it, Frank it's Goodman. Like Frank. Well, later on, <laughs> later years, Frank Goodman. Yeah. Well, Jack Sabbath. Jack ran an ICW shows in Florida for a while there in the in the mid two thousands. Oh, okay, I don't remember this at all. One of his uh, revivals, you know, Jack had revivals here and there, and uh, here and one there. of the revivals was in. <laughs> well, all the time. 
So, I mean, so you, and when one of them was in Florida, if I'm not mistaken. So it's just like all these Northeastern promoters want to run in Florida. So, but this doesn't happen, obviously. Because they're seeing how wildly successful all of the other people are being in Florida. Well, I think, <laughs> I, I think, I, th- it's, I don't think it's just that. I think it's all the snowbirds. You know, there's so, there's so many Northeasterners that either, you know, have moved to Florida or vacation in Florida or spend the winters in Florida, you know, that's what a lot of that is. So, but it doesn't happen. So there you go. Um, at least on Cagement, there is nothing in Florida that's listed until the No Holds Barred era last year. Well, did you look for ICW or did you look for one of his other names? It's all under the same umbrella on Cage Ranch. Really? Okay, so like UXW is on there? Yeah, well, no, UXW is Goodman. Not UXW. Um, you mean UCW? UC, no, not UCW. He had another one, too, he was doing. It wasn't ICW for a minute there. Um, but And I know he's trying to run in Florida because he was emailing me in that time period. I mean, this goes back to the first show in January 01, which it lists it now. Well, you also got to remember, you also got to remember sometimes you have stuff missing. I I know, I'm just saying it's a (laughs) fairly well-documented promotion and there's nothing here about Florida. We we go from 01 to let's see, we're the first because, I mean, we have stuff in 03 in Jersey and then nothing between 03 and 2010? Is there something... That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. In that era alone, I think he had three or four different start, restarts. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it was a running joke. All right. Smoky Mountain Wrestling or a unnamed wrestling promotion. Well, not yet. Jim Cornette and Sandy Scott and Tim Horner have opened up a group called Smoky Mountain Wrestling. There you go. With the first show on October 30th in Greenville, South Carolina, taping two hours of television. Bob Cottle's doing the announcing. Bob Armstrong's commissioner. And some of the wrestlers included Bobby Fulton, Scott Armstrong, Paul Orndorff, Rip Rogers, Ivan Koloff, Stan Lane, Brian Lee, Barry Horowitz, Robert Gibson, and Dutch Mantel. Ron Wright's in as the heel manager. The next TV taping will be on November 27th in Morristown, Tennessee. Well, we got results to the taping here. We got Robert Gibson over Killer Kyle, Brian Lee over Barry Horowitz, Tim Horner over Joe Kazana, Paul Miller, not of the work rate crew, uh, over Black Scorpion. <laughs> Bobby Fulton over Ivan Cole by disqualification. I wonder if Zach Arnold was in was in Paul Miller's corner. Uh, Is Bob that Paul Miller. Paul in New Jersey? <laughs> I went yeah. to a Dennis Carluzzo show with him in November of 1995 in Yardville, New Jersey, before Paul I worked in for Dennis. Twenty one, baby. Yeah. Bob, Bob Oliver, Tim Fry, Paul Lindorf over Rip Rogers, Scott Armstrong over Dutch Mantel by disqualification, and the new Fantastics, Bobby and Jackie Fulton over Ivan and Vladimir Koloff. Do you think Paul Miller knew he would be running ShiningWizard.com several years later? When he worked <laughs> and he defeated the Black Scorpion in three minutes and 13 seconds on the first Smoky Mountain show. So I, <laughs> I believe it was a small package on the Black Scorpion. One, two, three. And Bob Caudle and Dutch Mantel are like, we've heard a lot of things about this Black Scorpion over the past couple of years. He's a tough individual. Like, yeah, thought he was Ric Flair. <laughs> Is that flair that just got pinned by Paul Miller? <laughs> oh, you got to love Cornette, you know, uh, do it, do having a black scorpion, do a job, job <laughs> out onto some job guy on t- the TV day things. Yeah. He doesn't hold any grudges or anything. <laughs> and this airs the weekend of February 1st in the 
territory once he gets it going. Yes. Yeah, so it took uh, three months, but yeah. I'm curious yeah. if who this Paul Miller is, if this match is actually on here. He's just, uh, I don't know if he wrestled as anything else, but like if you look at the match, it looked like Black Scorpion, big jacked up dude in a mask, was coming out to squash this guy, Paul Miller, but Paul Miller just like got a small package countering like a. Yeah, 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 Dave's it. it definitely happened. Oh, yeah. Um, it's not on the first show though. Even they, it the first show goes from Horner Kazana to Fulton Koloff. Oh, uh, that's it uh, was. It was, it on, was the on the show. first show. I saw it. I list. saw it. I'm looking at my tape list right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's hey, wait, it's I see a it. Jim Cornette I promo and then Paul Miller or Black Scorpion. I see it. I scrolled. I scrolled too quick. Uh, he's like a guy like blonde, bleach blonde hair. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like a cross between Johnny Stewart and Jumpin' Jeff Farmer. <laughs> yeah. The next week that was was great though, day because uh, Wally Yamaguchi was there and had him come out <laughs> to do a promo. It's tremendous. <laughs> yes, putting over Smoky Mountain Wrestling's uh, influence in Japan. Oh. Did, did they try to Just set like... up a match where if Cornette lost, he would have to book Universal Lucha Libre? <laughs> no. <laughs> Suncoast Pro Wrestling. 375 fans on October 26th at the Manatee Civic Center in Palmetto, Florida. What a top match is having Tommy Rogers beating Jerry Flynn to keep the Southern title. Jumbo Beretta over the Mass Superstar to keep the Florida title. And Charlie Fields and the Giant Outlaw won the Suncoast tag titles from Vern Henderson and Gator Gilmore. Sure. And, uh, as we talk about off the air, Dave, it, this show pretty much outdrew Herb Abrams' UWF pay-per-view in this same building. Yeah, the Manatee Civic Center in Palmetto, Florida. Apparently, this is a stronger crew with Vern Henderson and Gator Gilmore <laughs> than his pay-per-view was. The big that, That's the big fee, Vern Henderson. <laughs> I guess. What's the alleged attendance for Beach Brawl is... Off the top of your head, as I look at I'm it. sure they claimed way more, but it it looked yeah. like it looked like about three rows of people. I mean, maybe it was still in the in the three hundred ish range. Yeah, they definitely claimed a lot more than what they had. Yeah, yeah it says five fifty on pro wrestling history. That's I don't know bullshit. if that includes all of the popular children in the crowd. Chris Chan, probably with all of the all of the comped popular children that got free tickets at local businesses. Chris Champion, what do you think about that number? Uh, Herb Abrams uh, claim <laughs> for a beach brawl. That's bullshit. That's right. <laughs> it is bullshit. But there you go. Suncoast Pro Wrestling. Drawing the house. Former newsletter editor BT Express beat J.D. McKay on October 26th in Waynesboro, Tennessee, before 100 fans on a show with Chris Champion. That bullshit. Ben, ben Jordan. Candy oh, Devine. Osama Ben Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Candy Devine. Gary Scott. The Sheik. George Weingroff and JT Southern. And BT Express was Brian Trammell. Yes. Well, I guess we know why JT Southern got booked into EWFI. He lives in Tennessee <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Well, he worked in Memphis, you know? I know. I don't think he, Well, when did he work in Memphis in this era, though? No. He worked in Memphis like four or five years early. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I guess he just stayed there. There's a great music scene in Memphis. I'm sure he got plenty of work. Yes, and people should check out, by the way, um, 
on Brian's uh, podcast feed, and I think he releases them early on his Patreon. I need to catch up with them. He's been releasing, I think, what is it, once a month? The, the old... cassette wrestling news. Yes, from Jeff Osborne, including interviews with the likes of Owen Hart and other people. Yeah, Brian Tremell's a dude that's been around forever, you know, and uh, Jamie McKay. He was supposed to become a columnist for my short-lived wrestling newsletter in the early 90s, but uh, for what – I think I might have folded before he sent his first column in. (laughs) But I remember that he was – we had the plans for him to be one of my columnists at the time. For outside interference. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean he's been around forever. J.D. McKay was around forever. I mean, Yeah. And people talk about shooting the shiznit is his podcast. <laughs> yeah. Shoot, shooting the shiznit. And people talk about, you know, how re- internet wrestling personalities are now and trying to put themselves over and stuff. Here we have newsletter personalities actually having a match. <laughs> well, he wanted people to know. So he clearly got out a ballpoint pen and wrote a letter to Dave Meltzer and sent it to <laughs> P.O. Box. Whatever the one two two eight Campbell California, it's that yeah. If yeah. there was a clusterfuck in nineteen ninety one, would it have had BT Express, JD McKay, Vandal Drummond, and Physico Nuclear? <laughs> they would all be wrestling each other on the equivalent of uh, independentwrestling.tv. <laughs> yeah, they'd all be booked to face one another. The Sports go. Channel yeah. America settlement series. <laughs> Yes. Oh, man. All right. Uh, let's go to the USWA. USWA, everybody. Over where? Over here. Over here. All right. Uh, TV on October 26th. Jeff Jarrett and Robert Fuller had a squash match. the biggest dick I've ever seen on a man. I could go for either one of them. When Doug Masters ran in with new tag team partner Bart Sawyer. And Bart jumped off the top rope on Jeff's arm. Let's watch how that played out. This, the show started out hot with a match. So let's go to the uh, the clip here. The debut of Bart Sawyer. Is he smart yet? No. The Scorpions defeated by... Well, wait a minute. Oh, okay, okay, okay. A little early entrance here. That's Bart Sawyer on the left. And this is Doug Masters. And they're going to work on Jeff Jarrett. They've knocked Robert Fuller to the floor. Scorpions lead there. And they're two against one with Jeff. Here comes Robert back into the ring. Referee is calling for the bell. I'll do it, Frank, but I don't think it'll do any good. We've already rung the bell. The match officially ended with Jeff and Robert getting the win. Well, look at that. Sawyer grab Robert and choke him, uh, tying him up in the rope. They got big Robert Fuller tied up in the rope. Jeff coming back to his aid. But both Masters and Sawyer go after Jeff Jarrett. Robert is tied up in the rope. They've got his shoulders tied up. Here's Jeff being held out by Masters. Sawyer's going to the top. Oh, he dropped that elbow on the arm. Jeff Jarrett, of course, having that arm injured many years ago, and they dropped the elbow from the top rope on the arm. I don't know. I'm kind of partial to Lizzie hey, Kaplan over Park Sawyer. Last week, I was bringing in a big, Michael St. John. partner. <laughs> and there's one arm that's left on Jeff Jarrett. I'm going to take those to break both arms and get them belts around our waist, and that's what we're going to do. <laughs> Doug Masters and Bart Sawyer with a display, horrible display of sportsmanship here. They attend Jeff. We'll take a break. We'll check on Jeff and be back here in just a moment. Yeah, Michael Michael St. John, not uh, overly enthusiastic there as, as uh, Mr. Corey would have been. Uh, bring back Mr. Corey. You know, he, he had done a shot or two, but he doesn't become the permanent guy until 
the end of 91 with Dave. Michael St. John's in there most of the year with Dave. Unfortunately. (laughs) Thankfully, they eventually made the right decision. Do you want the promo that comes next? No. Okay. All right, so next we get Billy Joe Travis coming out. He's selling the fire that Jerry Lawler threw at him last week. He said he's bringing people in to get Lawler. Well, let's go to that clip first, and then we'll talk about what happens next. In the studio, and well, I'm not going to talk to him too much about it, but uh, the effects of uh, confrontation with Jerry Lawler are still very evident on the side of his face here. Billy? Ooh. You see what kind of people Chin live here? A man gets <laughs> burned and you laugh about it? <laughs> Let me tell you something, Jerry Lawler. When the word got out what you'd done to me, I got over a hundred calls. Let me tell you something, Billy. I want to come down there and finish off that punk. I hate his stinking guts for over ten years, a lot of people said. Well, let me tell you something, Lawler. You have scarred me for life, and I'll never, ever, ever forget it. So I've got to tell you something. This week, I've got a big surprise for you. I've got men calling me left and right coming out. They want to knock you out. I can't do it right now, but when I get better, punk. I can't believe these idiots. You idiots! Who do you think you are? Lala, let me tell you something. You call that professional wrestling? You're nothing but a dirty, egg-sucking dog that's got a suit to these tactics. Because you know that you couldn't beat me, so you had to try to burn me. Well, you did, punk. Let me tell you, you're going to get yours, punk, I promise you. Well, Billy, I I don't condone anybody. Look at it! I see it, I see it. There's no doubt about it. But what led up to it? The guitars over the head and all that sort of thing. you got to kind of keep that in mind and remember next time around, huh? Let me tell you something, Lala. You know what this has cost me? Oh, punk $2,700 for my window. Here comes Lala. This is my interview time. You get on out. He's wearing baby blue. Vince must be ready to fire him. There's, there's the king. <laughs> Listen, don't you lay a finger on me, punk. Don't you even try to touch me. Lawler's hair is, is it at, at its most mullety and luxurious hair, by the way. <laughs> yes. You want to tell me something, Billy Travis? Tell it to my face. And speaking of faces, <laughs> speaking of faces, Billy Travis, yours looks like something I saw the other day when I... Get Buck. Get Buck. Yeah. Because it's 1991 in Memphis. I stopped at Kentucky Fried Chicken. It looks a little on the fried side, you know what I mean? Now, how does it feel, boy? Huh? How does it feel? First now of you all, know Dave what it's Brown. like. Now you know what it's like when you want to run and you want to, just like Dave said, bust guitars over somebody's head. Well, you found out, Billy Travis, that there's somebody around here that ain't going to put up with that mess. You know what I mean? And you're looking at him right now. Yes, snarl that little face up. And if you feel froggy, just jump on me and get you some more of that, Billy Travis. Anytime, anywhere, and anybody that you can come up with, I know that anybody that'll have anything to do with you is going to be just about as good as you are, and that's not very good at all. So you bring anybody you want, Billy Travis, and I'll line them up, and I'll knock them right down, and if you ever want any more of me, all you got to do is stand there and ask for it, and I'll be more than glad to oblige you. You just wait. You made your bed, now you got to lie in it, punk. I promise you I'm going to get you. I promise you. Your day is numbered. Come on and get me right now, Billy. 
of Billy leaving the area here. Come on, get over here. That's right. Let's get Billy Travis leaving. Jerry's got a match scheduled here. He climbs into the ring. And uh, Billy Travis, there he goes. He heads back toward his dressing uh, area. There. I get the feeling Billy doesn't want to have anything to do with Lawler right now. Well, no, and with good right, reason. So, tell you, what. you can pause here. All right, so now we'll go to the next clip where Billy's mysterious uh, man come out, comes out and attacks the Lawler. So let's go watch that. Jawbone and Ken Raper is down and probably out. Whoa, what is this? What is Travis? Hey, get everybody! Get it! Beat him up! Hey, King! Who is that? Does that remind you of somebody? Beat him up! Hey, King! Does it remind you of somebody? Reminds me of somebody. Look on the side of his mask. There. Looks like a looks like a snowman on the side of the mask. It looks like a snowman on the side the of his wrestler that uh, has accompanied Billy Travis yeah. in here going to work on Lawler. This is a big man in the ring with Lawler now. Travis said he would get revenge. There's Lawler thrown out, and Travis now goes over, picks him up by the hair. Is that Parson look Brown? Out. Oh, look out, he's got a chair. <laughs> he's got the king up against the floor. Oh, trying to finish him off. Travis quickly scooting as Lawler grabs that chair as Dave Lawler, Pearl Harbor from behind at the hands of Billy Joe Travis and whatever this yeah, monster guy with a mask, big guy with a mask that he's brought in. Jerry was able to get control of that chair, thank goodness, and that got rid of him as they go running out of here. Jerry, uh, Jerry had the match in hand. I'm not sure that did the one, two, three ever fall. I think it was just disqualification, but disqualification, disqualification. referee Frank Morrell says when when there was interference from uh, whoever that is that Travis has sent in, Jerry. Let me just say this, Billy Travis. If that's your revenge, if that's who I think it is, if that's who I hope it is, I can't wait till this week either, brother, because I've been looking for this jerk for a long, long time. So, Billy Travis, be ready. Like I said, bring whoever you want. Line them up one by one. I'm going to knock them each and every one down, Travis. And then I'm going to get to you again, punk. Jerry the King Lawler looking forward to whoever that is that Billy Travis has brought in here. Well, I tell you what, it'll be interesting. We'll be back here with more. Talk about great wrestling arenas in the world. Right. You don't have to. They're... So they're trying. They're trying to make it a snowman. Yes. But it's not a snowman. Who is it? But he had a snowman on the side of his mask, man. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get must have been that. a snowman. We'll get into it when we read the results of the Coliseum show. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're trying to they play that factor up. What a weird thing to false advertise. Yeah, it's very strange. Like, you could set up any challenger, which you actually promote who it is. I don't know. It is very weird. Yeah. It might be this one guy who drew a house or two for us a year ago. <laughs> who left with the title belt and never came back. Who we went on the TV and said might have pawned it for crack. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a snowman. <laughs> he was doing some snow, maybe. I don't know. Alright. One more clip from Memphis, and this is a great one. Dr. Tom Pritchard interview. And um, 
I'm, I'm not going to spoil it. So Eric Embry had just done a pre-taped interview about how he was going to get Tom Pritchard. And Dave's got Tom in the studio, and uh, Dr. Tom decides to start off the interview in another direction. Let's go to the club. So Dr. Tom is a baby face now? Yes. Tom, I must say you're very calm as you watch that. Dave, you know, as you all know, this show goes everywhere in the country in syndication, and, and a lot of people watch it, a lot of wrestlers watch it, a lot of fans watch it, and, and I heard a lot of things all over the country, and one of them was they said, why are you trying to be a cheap Roddy Piper imitation? <laughs> and I told him, I said, you could go back 12 years, check my interviews, check the way I talk. I've always talked. I've always acted like this all my life. I'm not trying to imitate anybody. This is Tom Pritchard. But you see, Day's face. the other thing I heard <laughs> from everybody in the country, from wrestlers, to the people that go to the matches, and I don't care what anybody says because I'm one of these guys that you could tell me something, I can tell you go stick it because I could care less what you think about me. But when somebody told me and everybody came up and says, why are you being Eric Embry's stooge? They never asked Eric, why are you being Tom Pritchard's stooge? And then I got to think and I said, well, it was Embry that got the shots with Lawler. It was Embry that whenever we'd go out, He'd want to get into a fight, and he'd send me first because he knew I'd take the first shot to get two or three in, and then when they're down, he'd take them. Now, you see, he's talking a lot of stuff, and just because it happened one night doesn't mean that it wasn't coming along. Because it was. You see, I've rode up and down the roads with Eric Embry. I've been in the ring with Eric Embry as his partner side by side, and it was always me, Embry. It was always me, the guy that went in first and got him down so you could take the cheap shot. And you see, Dave, about a year ago, I was sitting at home in Houston, Texas, when nobody wanted to touch me. Not the WWF, not NWA. Nobody wanted to book Tom Pritchard because he had an attitude problem. Nobody could handle Tom Pritchard's attitude problem. And one day I got a phone call from Eric Emery that said, Hey, man, I know you're one of the toughest wrestlers in the country today, and I'm going to the USWA, and I think you and me would make a hell of a tag team, and we would destroy everybody and all the competition that they got to offer. I became the Southern Heavyweight Champion. I am the Texas Heavyweight Champion. And I did it on my own because I am a great athlete. I am a great wrestler. And every time Eric came out here, he seemed to be taking the credit for everything. But you know, if the truth be known, who was it, Eric, that knocked those guys out in Dallas? Who was it, Eric, after we went out partying and rock and rolling all night long, would get up and go to the gym while you stayed in your dark room all day long, Eric? It was me. And who was it who stood by your side when nobody else wanted to? When you made that phone call, you knew because you had an attitude problem yourself. I thought you thought like me, you acted like me, you had the same things on your mind as I did. But this has been coming because, yeah, maybe I do like women. Maybe I do like to go out a little bit too long all night long. But I never let that get in my way of business. And if you take a look at yourself in the mirror, Eric Embry, you can tell who the better athlete is. And I'll tell you this, you're not better than me. 
You can't beat me, and I'm going to show you. If you want to step in the ring with me, I won't be side by side. You're going to have to get nose to nose with me, and then you're going to see just how nasty I am. Dr. Tom Pritchard with words about Eric Embry, and I must say, I understand where he's coming from more than I have the entire time he's been around here. He's looking for Eric Embry, and that match has been scheduled back here in a moment. In I love how Dr. Tom started the promo it's about how he, you know, didn't sound like Roddy Piper, and then he cuts a promo where he sounds like Roddy Piper. Well, he sounds exactly <laughs> like Roddy Piper. He never <laughs> says he doesn't sound like Roddy Piper. He says he's not a Roddy Piper ripoff because if you watch his interviews from his whole career, he sounded like this, leaving out that he broke in right after he would have been watching Roddy Piper on Los Angeles TV. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and we all love Dr. Tom, but watch Dr. Tom and George in 1982. He's not, he's totally a different person in his promos and speaking and stuff like that. So it's funny. It's funny. He's but, just trying to silence people. The point is, it was a great promo. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, it's like Dave was not expecting that because you saw the look on Dave's face. Like, what? <laughs> Why are you talking about Roddy Piper? <laughs> it's like, obviously, somebody had said something. Tom heard it or saw it, and it got his goat. And he had to get on. He had to say, the next time I get on TV, yep. I'm going to I'm gonna talk about this. <laughs> Obviously, what it was, but whatever. If it silences the people that watched the TV that weekend that didn't know any better, <laughs> then that's that's all now. that matters. Yeah, it's all that matters now. So, and, and it's interesting problem because he, I mean, basically for the, the entire year of nineteen ninety, you know, Tom's not working in North America. Well, he did work for Bert in Kansas. Yeah, but again, it's not something that's really prevalent. No. And we don't know how much she did do. Oh, I found Dr. Tom in 82. Oh, here we go. Where Piper's in the territory. Pete Martin and acquitted himself extremely well. Uh, congratulations. Thank you very much, Mr. Stone. I know I think the best competitions here in Georgia Championship Wrestling today. Pete Martin is definitely one of the best, i got to say that. He's but a tough know, man. That's true, Mr. Sully, but you know... I'm able to see anything here in this program, and I think it's going to be a very interesting match between the Freebirds and Stan Hansen and Ole Anderson coming up. There's a lot of heat. There's a lot of dislike there. There's no love lost between Ole Anderson, Stan Hansen, and the Freebirds. And I'll tell you one thing for sure. I spent all week with Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy, and they were talking about nothing but the championship match in the Omni coming up, and you're going to get to see the Freebirds against Hansen and Anderson right here on TV. This should be very interesting. It, it should be indeed, and hopefully we're going to have that match in a couple of moments, but right now we have to pause for these important words. Uh, he had just wrestled. He was out of breath, <laughs> so clearly he wasn't speaking as powerfully as he usually does. Otherwise, he would sound exactly <laughs> Although it did uh, look like to... he was going for a little bit of babyface Piper inflection. Yeah. Prairie Tale, who <laughs> uploaded that video that we just uh, watched? Oh, it's that Chris Z eight nine nine seven nine person. Yes. Um, I mean, the other lesson that uh, Dr. Tom needs to learn is that <clears throat> if you are a former member of the Wrestling Fans International Association and you want to <laughs> cut promos like Roddy Piper, then you need to make sure you also throw in some Gilbert Godfrey so people do not accuse you of ripping <laughs> off Roddy Piper. 
Did Gilbert, Gilbert Gottfried uh, perform at any roasts from the WFIA? <laughs> Did he give scoops to Dave Elser? <laughs> what the fuck is with this Terry Justice? <laughs> well, what, what's I'm with this guy starting an Eddie Gilbert fan club before Eddie had his first match? I'm not... I'm staying away from that one. All right. Um, October 28th in Memphis, Miss Coliseum. Saw Dutch Mantel go to a draw with Dirty White Boy in a match to determine the number one contender for a Southern title. The Dog of War. Oh, Buster Blackheart pinned Bill Dundee. Eddie Marlin beat Driver Tony. Tony Fault by his qualification. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, Robert Fuller retained their USDB tag titles, beating Doug Masters and Bart Sawyer by this qualification. Jerry Lawler pinned a masked man known as Billy Travis's Revenge. And then Dr. Tom Pritchard beat Eric Emery by disqualification. Now, in the results from Wrestling Data, they have Jerry Lawler beating the Big O. The Big O was a guy who was a, was a black guy who had worked Southern Indies for, like, about law Indies in the 80s and 90, early 90s, who had blonde hair. But So that's, I guess, who they used. He was kind of a, you know, a, he had kind of a physique on him. Not like Snowman did, but kind of physique on him. So that's who they used, the Big O. Big O worked for but Jim they, Wilson and Thunderbolt, didn't he? Um, that, I, I don't know if it's the same Big O, because that Big O was like old then. So I don't know if it's the same yeah, one. Yeah, there is that. Yeah. And also not to be confused with Adam O'Reiner, who is a who is not a black man and is too young to be this Big O. Or, or not Oscar Robertson either. Not the not the original Big O, but uh, or so there you go. Used with the anime, the Big O. Okay, there you go. Um, Louisville saw uh, Duck Masters over Ben Jordan. Good then going to a draw with Dutch White Boy over Dog War by Countout. Jarrett Fuller and Eddie Marlin over Eric Embry, Doug Masters and Driver Tony when Jarrett pinned Embry, and then Lawler over Billy Joe Travis. Of course, they're a week behind. Memphis, it- so. Is Mike Blackheart still around? Because I'd love to know his side of the skyscrapers match in WCW. Because, like, I think he's already, like, a trained wrestler who's been working indies by then. So, like, who told him and put it in his head to not sell for them and to get up from everything right away? I don't know if he's still kicking or not. No idea. Because usually when you see that kind of squash match, it's not someone who has any kind of career in wrestling. Yeah, I I don't know. I mentioned it because, you know, these days that's kind of a thing online, people linking that on YouTube all the time. But anyway, let's move on to uh, a topic that is truly global in scope. There are a lot of stories going around concerning the financial situation of the Global Wrestling Federation. Oh, why would that be? There would never be stories about the financial situation of the global <laughs> wrestling. The, what is confirmed is there will be cutbacks with fewer wrestlers being flown into the weekly tapings on Friday nights in Dallas. Instead of five to seven wrestlers being flown in for each taping, they'll be cut to three or less. Although the fly at will work extra matches, so their matches can be spliced into additional television shows that will be taped when they aren't there. And a greater reliance on wrestlers either from the Dallas area or those willing to drive in for the shows. In addition to the four wrestlers on the contract, the Patriot, Conan Chris Walker, Scott Anthony, and the Lightning Kid will no longer be paid their $300 per week guarantee. 
The contract called for $300 a week as a base salary, plus depending on the, upon the individual, additional $100 to $300 per car. Interview with Wade Keller and the pros of Torch, Joe Pittacino said the company's going to restructure the way it does its contracts, but that come first of the year, all four plus Eddie Gilbert will be offered a different style of contract, but didn't specify what that would be. Pittacino also claimed the group had been renewed in 1992 for ESPN, and the afternoon ratings are well ahead of the range USWA has been getting in the same time slot. Pettacino also said the group would be doing a pay-per-view show in March. Uh, if only. <laughs> the GWF had been financed mainly by Carol Lindsay and Danny Overstreet. The invested figures said it'd be somewhere between $300,000 and $500,000 to get the promotion off the ground, and that money had been all but depleted. Lindsay and Overstreet are no longer involved with the group. Dave's heard no confirmation regarding the status of Bill Eating. It was the booker, but Joe Pettacino and Craig Johnson are still working in the office full-time, and Pettacino indicated that Eddie Gilbert would be a likely addition to the office staff. The has some stranger, Mark Bagwell, was on the program with Scott Anthony, quit the promotion, and will start on November 5th in a dark match for WCW. Conan Chris Walker goes for a WF tryout next week. The story going around wrestling is that in January, Max Andrews is going to begin funding the group from expected revenue from television advertising sales. Despite how things may be sugar-coated, overall, this can't be construed as a good sign. Up until this point, the group is still scheduled for weekly Friday night television tapings in the Dallas Sportatorium. And Matt Watch has this real quick. ESPN has renewed its daily GWF series for the entire year 1992. The Bristol, Connecticut-based cable network gave the renewal notice to syndicator Max Andrews on November the 1st. The work comes on the heels of a week of stories circulating within the industry of financial woes in the GWF. All right. Do we want to go into Pettacino, or do we want to uh, talk about this right now? So what is this? Is this the Torch stuff that's next, or what is this? Uh, This is Matt Watch. Okay, so this is more Matt Watch. Um, Yes. I mean, let's start a little bit. Uh, Chris Walker, I believe, never works a taping again, and they have to take the tag titles off of him with him no-showing in storyline, too. So we have... Carol Lindsay and Danny Overstreet out after four months of running shows, basically. Yeah. And, you know, to give the Cliffs notes on the, you know, Patreon shows, although the first one is available for free, you know, we did about Global. It seems that from what you hear from people who were Joe's friends and see stuff about, like, Olu Oliemi that seems to back it up. Excuse me, Johnson. Oluwemi. Johnson. Yes. Oluwemi. Yes. yes. Um, it's like K. Allen Fry. It's J. Oluwemi. <laughs> what about Esapatha Merkerson? <laughs> um, anyway, he was apparently some kind of vaguely legitimate business associate of Carol Lindsay and her son Danny Overstreet. They had vouched for him. And the impression you get, I don't, because I don't think the Pedicito friends outright said this part, is that they felt really bad about vouching for him and decided to float Joe some funding for a while. Yeah. I mean, that was our conclusion, I believe. Yeah. And here they pull out. And then there's the whole thing in the coming months where they run their own GWF-branded shows in Georgia, but you can barely find any trace of them existing. And there's something about how their company was Galaxy Corporation, which I can't find any records of. Who knows what's going on with all this? Yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> we 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 talked. We did a whole Patreon show about this. So I mean, for those who want to listen to it, it's on the feed, multiple for free. Well, I mean, we did multiple but, yeah. Patreon shows about global in general. But yeah, yeah. 
It's just so crazy to me about how you can be on ESPN regularly like that and not have enough money to afford more than three plane tickets for your tapings. Like, are you getting that little money out of the TV? Like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, well, how much money was Max Andrews getting out of it? That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the whole other thing, too. And we're talking about here that Max Andrews will be funding the group in January with ad revenue sales. So uh, the ad revenue is going to him. Yeah. Instead of going into the shows. <laughs> and we're about to get into this. Okay, so let's, let's, let's go because it's going to get into it. All right, I, and I know it's after our week, but it covers this. Well, how many people have us going under? Said GWA President Joe Pettisino by telephone from his Atlanta home on November the 3rd. Pettisino said he predicted the rumors of the GWF demise would start after some financial decisions were made within the company over the last week. Pettisino acknowledged some of Global's financial partners have under-budgeted expenses for the, and for the final six weeks of the year, GWF will fly fewer wrestlers to Dallas for Friday tapings. But the global chief said that situation is only temporary. We had to tell some wrestlers we weren't going to be able to fly them in as often until January. That's where a lot of the story started. We were honest with them, which is more than some companies have been in the past. But that wasn't enough, and it ticked off some of them. They went out and told people we were through. That's simply not true. But as you know, said GWF would fly in Eddie Gilbert, Lightning Kid, Patriot, Scott Anthony, at least twice each, and Chris Walker at least once through January. And he's going to be in Japan for four weeks between now and January, said Pettisino. The TV viewers, who are the ones we're most concerned about, will never know we've had to tighten up. And now let's get into Andrews. Andrews Entertainment is expected to pick up some of the above-line expenses that they received national ad revenues in January. Coinciding is a storyline to turn Max Andrews, who will be fired as interim GW commissioner on TV, back as a babyface. The term will be rolled out sometime in late December in a news conference. It will outline the story of Max acting as a double agent to affect a sting operation in order to rid the GWF of the cartel. Well, how about that timing? <laughs> the timing when Max Andrews is going to take over as chief financial backer, we're about to make him a babyface again on television. Uh, boy, do I need to tell the uh, full story behind that again? I mean, it's I mean, quick. You... It's quick. I think I have to. Um and this does get acknowledged in the newsletters, I believe, at one point, too. Uh, as Craig Johnson explains it, because remember, his main job was working for Andrews in the syndication department. They went into a sponsor meeting with Eminem Mars, who I think was already a sponsor, and we're talking about a new deal. And they sit down, and the first thing that the Mars rep says to Max is, so, what's this I hear about you, you turning your back on your company? <laughs> Yeah. What a bunch of marks. Well, it was an undercover operation to, uh, <laughs> to get at the cartel, <laughs> It was an undercover operation. The cartel who only existed in the first place because of the boss. <laughs> I'm actually a double agent, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing timing there. All right. Uh, Joe finishes off here. Are we going to limit house shows? You bet. All those GWF house shows that they you ran. You need huh? the one that you – wait, have the, has the Marietta show even happened yet? Yes. That was what, September? Yeah. Okay, so the one house show. Great. They're just not cost efficient. But we'll allow our contract guys to pick up any independent work they can. You're paying them a few hundred dollars a week. You better. But we are a television company, and our main enterprise is to produce television, said Pettisino. Goddamn, pal. 
<laughs> well, that's a, well. I mean, they, that sounds like another uh, wrestling promotion these days too. Uh, and their print stance on independent wrestling. Uh, besides, after ESPN renewal, we can't go out of business. This is another well, example of what I said. Independent promotion. Well, some. Uh, there's another example of what I said before: how rumors spread and become supposed facts before people know what they're talking about. Rumors like what? You having twenty five million dollars in a line of credit from an international bank? <laughs> yeah, we're. I mean, all this information came from you, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Well, if some of the wrestlers, though, like if they were told we're not going to be flying anybody until January when some new money comes in, like knowing how wrestlers are, they're probably like as soon as one guy got told that he called up three of the other workers and was like, hear this shit about it. They don't have any money until January. This thing's done. Fuck. Let's find other bookings. Like that's probably what was happening. Like wrestlers talk to each other and they hear one little negative thing and it spirals into, oh, this company's on shaky ground. They're going to fold. What, what's the old saying, Bix, that Bo says about wrestlers? What? Telephone, telegraph, tell a wrestler? Yeah. It's not just Bo. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. All right. So uh, the Global Dome on November 1st drew 925 as Rod Price and Sweet Daddy Falcone oh. beat <laughs> beat Mambo <laughs> and and Rick Garen. The Rattlesnake, Jeff Race beat Mike Stetson. Scott Anthony beat Terry Garvin. Stephen Dane pinned Rick Garen. Picks. Oh, I, I wasn't sure if you were leaving me the space to do that. Ass. Eddie Gilbert over Sam Houston retained the TV title when Gilbert sprayed ether on the towel and smothered Houston with it and pinned him. Black Barton over Mike Stetson. Mike Davis over Larry Green, but after the match, Terry Garvin and Tug Taylor came out, and Davis took a powder. Then we had Tug Taylor over Frogman LeBlanc. Wobbler went over uh, Scott Anthony by DQ when Rob Price's sweet daddy Falcon interfered. Gary Young over Larry Green. Garvin won a 10-man battle roll to get a shot at Gilbert's TV title. When Taylor, Davis, and Earl and all went over together. Sam Houston over sweet daddy Falcon. Gary Young over bull paid. By disqualification when Samantha interfered and then Andy over Terry Garvin to keep the TV title. So, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, GWF style TV taping of this era. Um, the one thing about this was I loved it when I started getting to IWMS South 10 years later. And here's Bull Payne, <laughs> IWMS South, you know. <laughs> Doing the gimmick he's doing there compared to the, you know, I mean, the way he looked in GWF, it's like a totally different person. And then uh, Ian Rotten cutting shoot promos on him, referring to Samantha and them. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, gotta play off reality, brother. <laughs> Even the headbangers wouldn't fuck your wife, brother. <laughs> Terrible. But one thing that dude could do, he could get heat. Oh, yeah. Bull was awesome. <laughs> and he could teach like all of us young guys at the time when he, you know, in early 2000s, IWA uh, got a chance to learn from being in matches with Bull Payne. Valuable, yeah. valuable yeah. experience. Absolutely. Yeah. As much as Tracy gets so much of the credit and deserves it, I do feel like more people need to give their props to Bull Payne, Todd Morton, Mitch Rock. I mean, there's a variety of guys like in – Especially like for IWA, particularly like yeah. Bull Tracy, but also Ian with you know guys like Jerry Lynn worked all all of the yeah. you know 
Cabana, Suicide Kid, etc. Group of and, guys. And Mitch Ryder had been around for for Mitch Ryder, yeah. Todd Todd Morton, yeah. You know? That whole group, absolutely. Yeah. The thing that people need to talk about more is with that crop of indie guys, not just IWA, but also you know. Danielson and Kendrick and Reckless Youth going through developmental with Tracy around and, you know, and the BMFs as well. You know, like, a lot of what really helped them get over the hump and polish them up more than a lot of other guys on the scene at the time was that they had this constant experience in matches and in the locker room with veterans who had worked territories and the like. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you notice a lot of people working double shots here. It's TV, but there were several no-shows due to legit transportation problems. The Maulers couldn't get out of Atlanta because of thunderstorms. That's uh, Jack Fried and Rip Morgan. And Lightning Kid and Jerry Lynn were stranded in Minneapolis because of record snowfall. Speaking of Kid, he's currently in Mexico working for Universal. Hansel, well, he got to Mexico out of Minnesota. How about that? Uh, Hanson Strange also no show without warning since he was going to be put to the WCW tape in the next Tuesday. <laughs> I think that's wrong. Isn't he in Japan for the other Universal? I don't think I don't um, think Sean ever worked Mexico, did he? Maybe he's, we don't have any Universal results for all week. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, during interviews on the show, Chad, uh, Taylor admitted Chaz was his son, but Chaz injured. Taylor and Garvin are feuding with the Davis brothers. That was always the funniest angle to me. Taz and, t- and, t- and t- Taz, Tug and Chaz, <laughs> Tug and Chaz being father and son was so hilarious considering how Tug Taylor looked and how Chaz looked. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a shoot, brother. Yeah, it's a shoot. Okay, for what it's worth, Waltman works at least two shows based on Cage Match on the next uh Universal Lucha Libre tour, but that's not for a couple weeks. It's, uh, I just thought that we had a guy named Tug in Global Wrestling <laughs> Federation with uh, oh boy. Stephen Dane. <laughs> uh, okay, you know what? I hadn't realized Waltman worked any before. <laughs> 92. He actually has a global light heavyweight title defense against the future Dick Togo on that tour. <laughs> There's a lot of dick togos in the Global Wrestling Federation. <laughs> a lot of dick to go, you mean? <laughs> yes. Especially with the camera even... angles. Yeah, it was with uh, Chaz and Stephen Dane, yeah. Mm-hmm. We haven't got to the Calvin Napier era yet. No, but they didn't bring on uh, U.S. Mail Curtis Thompson from the USWA. <laughs> he went, he no. went to WCW. Yeah, USWA had the epic uh, U.S. Mail versus Stephen Dane match at the Sportorium. Yeah, which should still be on YouTube. Yes. Uh, and the Torch noted that GOS first review is now set for March after getting their ESPN deal locked up. <laughs> sure. Can't wait. Yes. Back in Texas, Kevin Von Air promoted a show on October 26th in Louisville, Texas, with himself on top, defending the world class title, and the show only drew 50 fans. How is that possible? Like you're in Texas and there's a show with Kevin Von Erich on it, Drew 50. Like with with no Von Erichs, you're still gonna draw at least like what 60, 75. Like, well, we, you... And we don't have no results. Yeah. So I don't. Believe, that's probably an exaggeration. Like yeah, it's bad if Kevin Von Erich's on a show in Texas and it only draws 200, which is probably what really happened. I can't. How, 50 people? Come on. 
I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Texas and Kevin Von Erich 50. No, no, no. It's yeah. a lie. The sheets lie. <laughs> so to get an idea, though, um, I did search newspapers.com real quick. Um, there is a show in our week in Paris, Texas, that's branded as world class. And it says the lineup in- will include six big matches featuring a world class heavyweight title match between Kevin and Iceman. Also on the card, first blood match between Chris Adams and Billy Joe Travis. Six-man tag team bout. Gorgeous Gary Young against The Sultan. And for the first time in Paris, a mixed tag team featuring men and women in the ring at the same time. Yeah, if the card was anything similar to that, there's no way that drew 50 people at all. Counterpoint, Kevin Von Erich is the one in charge of promoting the show. Well, (laughs) still... If you hear that the show exists, I guess maybe the problem is they didn't hear the show existed. Yeah, I guess. All right, Portland, as we close this section out. On the October 26th show in Portland, there was an altercation between J.W. Storm and a fan. The fan hit Storm with a chair, and Storm, who's about 6'4 and a half, 280 pounds, and has done some boxing, got some shots in on the fan, but didn't knock him down. Probably because he wasn't trying to, but did throw some shots. They didn't think there was any connection with the aforementioned incident, but Storm has left the area and is back home in Minneapolis, having a part in a locally filmed movie, and then wants to go back to do some boxing. Well, actually, he's about to go into WF. <laughs> 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 it's early 1992. But, yeah, I would hope that fan was, it is Portland, so I'm sure he probably was, fucked up on some type of drugs or alcohol to try to assault J.W. Storm <laughs> with a chair. <laughs> Yeah. The guy that was known as the big juicer. <laughs> the you big attack juicer. that guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, he deserved anything that got to him if uh, that was the case. Good Lord. For his stupidity. Even more than doing that, the act itself. Just the thought of doing it. And our bars, request is, our bars request for a wrestling license was once again turned down by the commission, stemming from his petitioning to be licensed once again several weeks back. I mean, look, he admitted to forcing himself on a woman at a card. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't give him his license back. (laughs) But it took a while. Does he ever actually get his license back in Oregon, though? I think he wrestled in Oregon again. But how many of his matches later in Oregon as opposed to Washington is kind of what I'm saying. Oh, I don't know. That's a good, interesting point I thought about. Maybe it was Washington that he worked more. I'm going to check Cage Match real quick. They don't They don't have those limits over there. Uh, okay, he does end up back in Oregon. Um, but there are no results on Cage Match in Oregon for him between uh, 90 and the John Rambo match in 93. Time, enough time had passed, I guess, for him. So. Well, it's Maybe. only one match, though, so... I. Oh, wait, that's probably a show that uh, Sandy is billing as workouts <laughs> to get around exhibitions. the Yes. They're exhibitions. They're not professional bouts. <laughs> no. It's exhibition, it, not it's a competition. That, it, Please, no way to drink. It's that thing that Vincent Mann would always read in the old WFTV shows. <laughs> These are exhibitions. <laughs> oh, no, exhibition in nature. Exhibition in nature, that's right. Yes. Perhaps indeed these are not legitimate matches. <laughs> Perhaps indeed they're 
notwithstanding. Be that as it may. And now let's close out with the World Wrestling Federation. Not a whole hell of a lot going on there this week. Hulk Hogan's next movie called Ugh. <laughs> they go directly to the video instead of a major screen release because of the lack of success of Suburban Commando, although Dave heard the same things about Commando at the same stage of the game. Dave believes Hogan will be wrestling straight through until WrestleMania before missing much of the summer again doing another movie. Okay. I, Ugh. Do we think <laughs> is actually the name of the movie or Dave cracking a joke? There's no way that was the actual name of the movie. <laughs> There's no movie named Ugh. Mr. We're talking obviously about Mr. Nanny, which was originally rough stuff. Yeah, there's no fucking way. That's got to be Dave ripping. Uh, His strange sense of humor. I'm, Ugh. Why are you calling it? That, that's not how you pronounce that word, Chris. It's Ugh. Ugh. No, it's Ugh. No, it, I mean, what you is this? If there's not a hard did, G. Did you, watch, did you watch The Simpsons, bitch? Bitch. That's how you bitch. Oh, thanks. Did you, did, did you watch The Simpsons? <laughs> did you watch The Simpsons? Where are you going with this? Because I mean, like Bart would say, "Ugh." No, yeah, he'd no. say "ugh." He he pronounced the G. Ugh. Uh, whatever. So, I'm still trying to understand we, what we're going, where we're getting, what we're trying, what they're getting at with this movie. <laughs> But you're the one that was bringing it up. Either way, it's straight to home video because the Rubin yeah. Commando did not do well. <laughs> well, technically, there's a small theatrical release. I mean, well, no, not not that small. Mr. Nanny actually is on over a thousand screens. It's not. It's not until after that that it's basically direct to video. Yeah. Oh. All right. So the biggest no. the biggest house of the weekend was on November the first in Pittsburgh, which drew approximately ten thousand eight hundred paid. And one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars house, which are very good figures, but nowhere near a full house. The whole Cook and Ric Flair match was similar to the Oakland Sanders matches from the previous weekend, with a reverse decision DQ. In those matches, Jimmy Hart was managing Flair instead of Bobby Heenan, who was bothered with a neck injury and has been taken off the road. But as this is confirmed, word ha- we have is that Flair was to be given a new manager permanently, which won't be hard, and no decision has been made as to who it would be. A neck injury, huh? <laughs> then Bobby Heenan said the reason why he can't, he had to go off the road because of Flair being such a complete maniac. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Think about this for a second. It's a pain in the neck. <laughs> and granted, he's older and in worse physical health, but this is a man who was on the road with Ray Stevens in the past. <laughs> yeah. And in his prime. Yeah, exactly. But, um. Well, is it that Heenan called him Larry Flint? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the story here is that the Hogan Flair houses are kind, kind of underwhelming. Isn't that Isn't sort of the reason why they didn't do it on pay per view? Was that the house, the house yeah. shows didn't do good enough business that they didn't think it would be good for pay per view either? Well, here's the thing. I mean,. On the TV ankles, Hogan's not the one getting the heat. It's Piper. Yeah. They they just went in there straight with Flair and Hogan, thinking that was going to draw no matter what because it's Flair against Hogan. 
Which was odd because you'd like have some shows with Piper Flair and some shows with Hogan Flair. And it's like, why not have a slow build to the Hogan Flair and only they do it? They did it too paper. quick. They did it way yeah. too quick. I mean, that, that was a that was one of the oddest things I, I ever remember WF doing in this era where they did. I mean, they did a lot of stuff right when it came to booking programs and stuff. But this one was the weirdest fucking thing, because when you want to be building that up to be your WrestleMania. And don't you do that at WrestleMania and then after Mania, then you take it on the road when rematches. Well, Hogan's leaving, you know, he's doing the um, summer, summer's thing, but okay. I mean, still, you know, you could do the big match at Mania and then it, when Hogan comes back, you come back. Right, 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 right. But yeah, this was always so weird to me, how everything worked out and, you know, with Flair here and WF, you know, we talked about it many times before his whole, his whole run, there's a lot of weirdness going on there. All right, uh, Dallas at Reunion Arena on October 26th drew 1,800 fans. As Skinner beat the Brooklyn Brawler, Nasty Boys beat the Rockers, Teddy Biasi reversed by Kano, Jake over Macho Man by DQ in a four-minute main event, Undertaker beat Duggan in the best match on the show, Kerry Von Eric over Big Bully Busick, and the Bushwhackers over the Beverly Brothers. Show was to be pretty bad compared very unfavorably with the Pedicino show the night before at the Sportatorium. Well, Dave, we got Carrie Von Eric on a show at Reunion Arena and they only draw 1,800 fans. <laughs> well, it didn't draw 50. <laughs> 1,800, still not very good either for a WWF show at Reunion Arena. And with a Von Eric. Yep. So, not good. Same in Los Angeles, though. They did 12,400 as the Anvil pinned Hercules in a dud. IRS over Big Boss when using the briefcase, star and a half. Bulldog over Mustafa in a dud. Hogan over Flair by DQ in 1329, three stars. Mountainy over the Hitman by Countout, 1341, one star. Berserker over Great the Hammer with a small package, negative three and a half stars. And Jeez. LOD over the Natural Disasters by DQ, half a star. Berserker Valentine for 16 minutes, <laughs> negative three and a half stars. <laughs> Yikes. And it says the Mountie suffered a slight concussion in his match against Brett here in L.A., which is interesting. They got Mountie and Brett in L.A. The next day in Montreal. <laughs> no, yeah, they got them on the in the West Coast of the United States, and then we go to Montreal with the other crew. We had Skinner over Brawler, Dino Bravo. Oh, wait a minute, over Jacques Rougeau. So he was there. Well, think about this: he worked L.A., got concussed, and had to fly to Montreal, and still worked, and, and still yeah, worked, and put over Dino Bravo. Fix. I'm I'm sure that 1991, you would have uh, been outraged. At this, uh, writing no, a column. In 1991, I probably would have been wondering what a concussion was. <laughs> I know, but if you, if, if you were around then, <laughs> because, I mean, that is very, that's pretty unsafe. Uh, what we yes. know now. A but back in that concussion. era, people would, they'd, they'd be viewed as weak if they didn't work the next night after oh, getting hurt. he was hurt, popping pills. You know? Yeah. He was, he was definitely popping some pills. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what the attendance was for... For Montreal. And didn't say. What was yeah. that, Bix? Do you think Dr. Jim Brunzel gave him any? 
<laughs> Doctor Jim. Jim. <laughs> well, remember Vern took his uh, pharmacy away from him. So. <laughs> well, that was a long time before this. Undertaker pin Duggan. Beverly Brothers over the Bushwhackers. Macho over Jake by DQ. Shawn Michaels over Jerry Sags. And Virgil over DiBiase. Then Tempe, Arizona, that night in front of 5,600. Bulldog over Mustafa and a dud. Brett over Berserker, one star. Neidhart over Tim Patterson and a dud. Flair over Hogan by Countout, two and a half stars. Carry over Hercules, dud. IRS over Bossman with a briefcase, two and a half stars. And LOD over Natural Disasters by DQ, one star. Then Portland, Maine on the 28th. Savage over Jake by Walkout Countout, dud. DBS over Verge by Countout, two stars. Rockers over Nasty Boys, one star. Undertaker over Duggan, using Urn, one star. Skinner over Brooklyn Brawler, dud. Beverly Brothers over the Bushwhackers, two stars. And then Greg the Hammer over Tony Capone. Oh, dud. <laughs> Tony Capone. What hey. day was the Mount Vernon show? Oh, wait, that's, uh, that was weeks later. Sorry. Never mind. Yeah. That wasn't in our week. Oh. But still, making waves, Tony Capone. Right. Everywhere in wrestling. Everywhere you look, promotion. it's Tony Capone. <laughs> yes. MSG in the twenty eighth. Oh wait, no, Nine this is him this is him casing out the joint like Jeff Jarrett in twenty twenty two. MSG on the twenty eighth in front of nine thousand fans. As carryover Busick, negative one star. Both I went to a draw on IRS, two stars. Mounting over the anvil, dud. Flair over Piper, three and a half stars. So Flair and Piper, only 9,000 in MSG. Bossman over Mustafa, dud. Brett over Berserker, two stars. Matador over Hercules, negative three stars. LG over <laughs> one star. I love how precise it can be. It's not negative two and a half stars, it's negative three stars. Because it was really bad. But the thing is here is here's Flair working Piper and his 9,000 fans. 9,000 people in the garden for Ric Flair. And, uh. and they come back on November 30th with Hogan and Flair and draw and announce 15,000 fans. Hmm. So, and then Flair, Flair, this is Flair's second garden show, right? Basically, didn't he work a, a garden show earlier? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, looking now as I'm there, scrolling up, scrolling, scrolling. Uh, no, he did not. This is Rick. This is Rick Flair's first Madison Square Garden show of this run. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not counting uh, Pete Sanchez and the other. And, what's uh, the other one from '76? Yeah, that th- those matches. But uh, yeah, only nine thousand. Wow. And uh, well, here's Dave. Well, more on that. MSG headlined by Flair and Piper drew 145 thousand dollar gate or about 8,500 pay, which disappointed everyone. There's some talk about taking some major action to try and rebuild the crowds in MSG, particularly if Hogan and Flair can't sell out on the 30th. Among things being considered is moving the traditional Monday night shows to Fridays or Saturdays or eliminating the cable broadcast of the show on MSG Network. And that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And then they change days, too. So is it safe to say that Ric Flair killed MSG Network's uh, uh, coverage of the World of I wouldn't go that far. It's just so interesting. Did it end up changing the attendances at all once it wasn't on MSG? Uh, let me see here. Because that's not till what, April, May 92. Yeah, so, all right, so let me go to MSG here. 
But Pots. again, you'd have to look closely at like what the card was, how big of a draw the main event was. Uh, the last one was March 23rd. That was the last show. That was 9,000 fans. They didn't run MSG again until September. Renovate. Wow. Where they, where they drew 9,000 fans. Hmm. And okay. then they came back in November. They came back in November twelve thousand three hundred, January twelve thousand three hundred, March ten thousand four hundred. I mean, and they they, don't, they run MSG. This is when they quit running every month too. It becomes bi monthly, right. or even more than that sometimes. So there's that too. But damn you, Ric Flair. Okay, so for what it's worth, I'm digging through stuff. So the last MSG show before this was SummerSlam. Which was seventeen four seventy four fifteen six forty three paid gate of I'm looking at this the right place four hundred four thousand one hundred fifty dollars uh, the net was three seventy eight eight seventy one and seventy five cents uh, and then the last house show at the garden before that was July first which you're eighty eight hundred and that was Jake Roberts earthquake. Nasty Boys Heart Foundation, and that's about it. Yeah. They're not booking it like the Garden. There's that, too. Yeah. So just momentum, I think, is bad, too, even if Piper Flair is a le- very legitimate main event. Although, something else, too, I'd be curious to see some of the other houses they drew. Maybe the heavy heat angle being Vince McMahon getting laid out with a chair shot and then just being back the next week was a mistake. There's that too. It never gets talked about. Yeah. Yeah. On November 1st in Pittsburgh, you're 10,800 Skinner Pin Snooker. Bad memories, brother. IRS over Boss Man. Manny went to draw the Bulldog. Hogan, and Flair, Flair, Hogan over Flair by DQ. Manador over Hercules. Mustafa over Anvil. And Animal over the Earthquake. Told, Dave was told Hogan and Flair was three stars, but nothing else in the show deserved above half a star. Sounds to me, I mean, I wonder how much part of this, too, is the undercard. Yeah, just a week looking undercard, and they just rely on Hogan and Flair to draw. Yeah, that's, I think that's part of it, too. Because 10,800 is, is not a good house for Pittsburgh. No. It's a little over half a house. All right, Mark Madden had an article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette day of the show with quotes from Flair and Vince McMahon. Flair said, coming to the WF was the biggest moment of my career. I've always felt it was my destiny to wrestle Hulk Hogan. It's as big of an event as there is in sports, like Mike Tyson and Vander Holyfield. Every wrestling fan wants to see it at least one time. Obviously not. <laughs> numbers, numbers ain't backing that up, Nate. Mister Man said, with Ric Flair style and brand of charisma, he's a natural counter to Hulk Hogan, a natural rival. I don't see any matchup of this kind coming along anytime soon. I can't imagine any individual building credibility with another organization like Ric Flair did. <laughs> what a great line that is. But <sighs> with more of a build, every wrestling fan would have wanted to see the match. And yes. It done well, but it didn't have a build. Like the, the anticipation of what if one day Ric Flair went to the WWF from like reading magazines for years, that wasn't a build. <laughs> like you need to actually do the build in the WWF and have a story on TV that leads to matches happening either on a pay-per-view or at the houses rather than just like, Hey, Flair's here. So let's do Flair versus Hogan. It's happening near you coming up in three weeks. Like do some, do something to build to it. You know, this is, I mean, he's, he's, they're booking this like independent wrestling promotions book today. 
you know, to, to I mean, booking, just doing dream match, match. Dream, yeah. dream matches, you know, with, with no story in it. Well, I mean, independent wrestling doesn't have television each week to build up to the show. So, I mean, it is, it, it's understandable in a way, but so WWF has the, the luxury of having worldwide television to be able to do it. And having they didn't. two, three, five hours of television. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, by the way, there's someone else quoted in that article, not mentioned by Dave. And as always, if Dave leaves out that someone's quoted, it's because, quote, I would hesitate to name one wrestler as the best ever, but if I had to, it would be Ric Flair, said the newsletter's editor, Dave Meltzer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's always interesting seeing these Madden columns in this era where... He's this guy who's this dirt sheet columnist, but he's also a sports editor at a major newspaper. Yeah. So he's able to get this kind of thing. Um, anyway. All right. Uh, that night in Vegas, there's your 3,700. That ain't good either. As Hammer beat Bully Busick with a figure four and a dud. Nash was over the Rockers, two stars. Undertaker over Duggan and one star. Jake over Jake Macho over Jake by count out. Walk out. After four minutes, one star. DBIC over Virgil by count out, star, a half a star, star and a half, excuse me. Bushwalkers over Billy, Brother Brothers by DQ, half star. And Brett over Jerry Sags when Brian Nunn's interference backfire, one star. Now, this show may sound weird. Berserker was scheduled to oppose Brett, but he was snowed in. It was like Lightning Kid and Jerry Lynn. The Bill and Warner from the Thomas and Mack Center that day still listed Sid versus Jake as the main event. Also, who's booking the. Hello, everybody. These finishes that you have Jake, who is not the type of heel for that, doing a walkout finish in four Every minutes. show. Yeah. Well, they love that finish, though. How many times we've seen WF walkout count out finishes over the years? Which also, only promotion that loves that finish. Yeah. No, and like... back-to-back matches. Count out, count out, DQ, interference backfire. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, That's the right. live experience you're getting at a at a house show with so many non you know indecisive finishes. Or there just were exactly two clean finishes in the first two matches. Yeah, he's gonna do the job, brother. I ain't I mean, job for him. Nasty boys I mean, I get not wanting to have the guys do clean jobs at random house shows, but still, nobody's seeing it. I mean, only the people in the building are seeing it. Exactly. Good no, but it also, it's possible they didn't relay the whole finish because I know when I saw Nasty's Rockers earlier in the year, it was a fuck finish. Dave says, I haven't seen Savage work yet since he returned, but he said people, as in co-workers, estimate his legit weight with anywhere from 185 to 204 pounds. For reasons that would be obvious to anyone following the stories closely, Savage has worked at least some of his recent matches with Jake wearing a shirt. Quote-unquote, well, trying to start a family. He's off the juice, yeah. Oh. He's trying to have a, a baby. Which, by the way, I was looking at uh, the Ricky Steamboat episode of Sidekicks on YouTube the other day. <laughs> uh, uh, for what reason were you doing that, Fix? Uh, for something I was writing. and Ernie Reyes? You're doing an Ernie Reyes piece? No, no. But Should be. it is very obvious in certain scenes that this is when uh, he and Bonnie are trying to conceive. He's still in fantastic shape, but he's not gigantic like Ricky Steamboat. Usually isn't that how, era. How much do you think that the whole 
situation of not being able to have a kid affected Randy and Liz's marriage. Um, I don't want to speculate seeing as the kind of state that marriage was already in, especially. Because, I mean, I, I mean, I know, I've known that from personal experience with family members where I, I had a family member that her husband divorced her because she couldn't have children. I mean, they try. She had six miscarriages and he's he wanted to have kids and she couldn't have kids. So they got divorced. Well, in this case, also, I mean, they do they did divorce several months later, too. It's pretty quick after this. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I think I feel like it's been. Ta- I don't remember where the impression I was under was that it was a kind of a try to save the marriage by starting a family kind of thing. Well, that definitely sure ain't a reason to have a kid. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. All right. There's interest in England. That was one of the major preview shows in 1992. However, between the time difference problem, really a minor problem, because they can still broadcast the show on tape delayed for the appropriate U.S. time, and cost of doing a show of this type overseas. The WrestleMania from Toronto presented so many problems because it's from a foreign country. Then when it was over, they were swearing they'd never do a pay-per-view again from a foreign country, but never in wrestling's 18 months. It's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but the popularity in England stays at its current level. Maybe it's inevitable at some point. Yeah, nine months later. <laughs> but, it, I mean, as we talked about before, you know, it, that wasn't locked in until late in the game. I mean, they had the Capital Center prepared as the location for SummerSlam. So it took a while. It, 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 it took a minute, but you know, they got the decision made and turned out to be one of the, the best uh, pay-per-views that they did. Yeah. For many one, reasons. One thing that's weird too, is, and I don't think I was sure of this until recently, even though the version that airs on Sky Sports is completely unedited, it didn't air live in the UK. It, it aired on Monday like it did in the States. Yeah. Which is, strange and then i think i as i tweeted when the anniversary happened a couple months ago between two showings that show did like well over a million viewers in the uk oh yeah absolutely though your sources are saying that the fifty-two thousand dollars listed here is the amount rick steamboat earned during his wf stint was less than the actual number but other sources insist it is the correct figure okay chris chris chavis hold on chris chavis is being brought out to take the dragon's dates against skinner for the next few weeks. Oh, okay. Um, what is George Scott booking? Like, did they ask George Scott for a replacement for Ricky Steamboat? He was like, "Oh, I know a guy." <laughs> um, if he made fifty-two thousand or anything close to that, working ten months, not pushed, but still in a decent position, including a pay-per-view payoff, and only made fifty-two grand. Grant, which is granted is more in today's money. I'd have to check how much. Probably at least a hundred. Uh, that's not good. Probably, but is he covering road expenses out of that? Exactly. Like Jesus. Like that's got to be. I mean, what seventy, eighty grand a day, if not more. I'm about to check. It said fifty-two, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Inflation calculator says hundred thirteen and change. Oh wow. Chris now, I can tell you exactly how much he made in royalties in 91, if you give me one second. Because there's stuff from a lawsuit. All right, let's... As I, and there's a spreadsheet that Chris Harrington put together before he was part of All Elite Wrestling. Uh, okay. So 1991... 
Okay, maybe these are for separate types of royalties. Yeah, I mean, he's not making any huge amounts as I scroll through this. The most are in the hundreds. Although his figure doesn't come out till 92, right? Yeah. And even then, though, he does not make much in the way of royalties. Even after that. It's interesting. So I... I can buy this number. Yeah. It doesn't seem that outlandish. No. No. And actually, I should see. So what was the SummerSlam payoff, since we know that? SummerSlam... As I scroll through it... Sorry. I need to make sure I'm looking at the right thing here. Uh, Dragon, five grand. So if that figure's close to true, then SummerSlam aside, he made under 50 grand. Well, under 50 grand. Huh. All right. El Matador is replacing the Dragon in Survivor Series. No official word on who will be replacing Sid Justice. Most essentially, it would be Mr. Madness. Savage under his mask. Although at least one higher up insisted that wouldn't be the case. And it just ends up being Savage. Yes. All right, Sardar Slaughter is uh, back on TV, and damn it, he wants his country back. Let's go to the clip. Although not the clip you put in the notes originally, because that disappeared from YouTube in between you making you, the notes. That's even that's the same clip. <laughs> oh, it is the same? You double-check the URL? or No, it's the same promo. Oh, uh, okay. Paul Revere, one of the greatest American patriots of all time. By day, a simple colonial silversmith, but by night, a champion of liberty who helped forge this great country. A man who one night looked up into the steeple of the old North Church and saw two lanterns burning bright. The rest, of course, is history. But just as Paul Revere saw the light of freedom that famous night, I too, Sergeant Slaughter, have seen the light. The light of hope. Hope that someday I'll give back the country I let down. So just as Paul Revere's words rang out across the countryside, my words will echo across this land. I want my country back. Oh, yes, I think I'll fix my... All right. Oh, yes, you you supported the general Saddam Hussein. See, that's the thing. I mean, <laughs> the whole thing here, I, I feel like there was something missing in the whole story. There's no pivot of point. Him. It just happens. There's, There's no, no reason for, for yeah, like why? Why, why is he suddenly supportive of the United States again? Well, yeah. I guess did yeah, slaughter. I mean, I mean, not did slaughter. Did Adnan and Cheek technically abandon him? I forget what happened. I don't remember because it wasn't. I mean, then that, that's something you would think would be an important part of the whole story and something that should be remembered to this day. I don't remember if there was ever a, a situation in which why is he won his country back? You know. That was the, and I think that was a huge reason why the slaughter babyface turn didn't get over. Like, is there, is, was there an angle where he like made the save for some big American no. person or something from a foreign menace of some sort? Like where, no. where he had to think about it and then decided, all right, yes, I'll support America. Like that would be the way to do it. Right. Yes. Yes. You would think there would be some angle there. 
where he would be, you know, conflicted or whatever, and then decide to do the right thing. Right. All right so, all right. So SummerSlam, he he has the match, and then um, he does an interview with Okerlund on the September twenty eighth episode of Superstars, where he agreed that he got what he what he deserved and apologized for his affiliation with Iraq and turned his back on his country. So he just starts apologizing rather than there actually being an angle. Yes. Sort. Yeah. Yes. Got to hope that people uh, accept apologies more than <laughs> be a little bit better to see it reinforced through his actions and helping someone or something like that. Yeah. Another, another drop ball here Yeah. by them. All right. Sadly, this isn't on YouTube. Tanya Garichiro appearing on Primetime Wrestling and pour some Japanese food over the head of Bobby Heenan. This is still the era of Primetime where they're uh, with a studio audience. It's too bad when you get Tenru yucking it up with Jameson, Dave. Wouldn't that have been a hoot? <laughs> Primetime did a 2.2 rating, which remains poor. And All American on the 27 did a 2.0, which is also a poor rating. So even though WF has some good stuff going on in 1991, it's not translating the business or TV ratings. You know? I mean, we talk about how great of a year that it is with stuff, but it's, it's just not doing business. Oh. Uh, the hooky shit was doing. Well, also, there's the whole issue of the whole experimenting with anabolic steroids three times in the 80s. <laughs> Dave was told that Winston, the former manager of the British Bulldog, died of a heart attack. Sad. Winston did look out of shape, though. Playgirl really? Magazine, yeah. Playgirl Magazine has a photo spread in its December issue on WF wrestlers. Nothing more than wrestler shots of Tito Santana, Hulk Hogan, Kerry Von Erich, and a few others. What a ripoff! This has come up when I've done microfilm searches on archive.org because there's someone who uploaded Playgirls from that collection. Well, they did. I mean, the microfilm collection is there, and yeah, that's best as I could tell. So you, holidays. So you were reading Playgirl for research purposes only. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're, you're, you were doing this, you were Pete Townsend doing your research on you know on Playgirl. That's, that's a the, weird uh, little comparison there. <laughs> but he was doing stuff for research purposes. So uh, you were reading it for the, the articles. Yeah, I'm sure there are some people who said they went to certain territories just for the research too. <laughs> well, for this, Meltzer was reading it for the photos because he's talking about what the photos. <laughs> he, he was upset he didn't see Tito Santana's dick. <laughs> What a ripoff. It sounds like you couldn't even see as much as you'd see it on the average global on ESPN. Now, would it have been Hulk Hogan's dick or Terry Bostick's dick? That's the question. Well, no, Hulk Hogan, Terry Belay's. Or Terry Bostick, that's it now. Or what was his other alias picks? No, Terry Bostick was the name that was on the, uh, the, the agreement, yes. Yeah, but wasn't there another one that he used? Wasn't there a, a different oh, one? Oh, oh, you're thinking of the steroid delivery ones like Tiny Bolin. Tiny Bowling. Yeah. <laughs> Tiny Bowling. <laughs> That's not Kenny Bowling. <laughs> and Titan will produce uh, two television bodybuilding shows, one for syndication and another for USA Cable. The syndicated show is called Body Works, which will have an Entertainment Tonight type format covering the lives, or probably more aptly the fantasy lives, of the 14 WF bodybuilders. And the cable show will be called Body Stars, which have the WF. WBF bodybuilders doing workouts with celebrities and penthouse playmates. Penthouse playmates? <laughs> you can't combine them both together, David. Playboy playmates and penthouse pets. In a glorified <laughs> TNA show. I wish we would have got Body Works. 
that would have been amazing. But they were, I mean, they were, here they are. They're, they're going full force ahead, Bex, with WBF here and their plans. Yeah. Um, okay. So for the record, uh, the names associated with Hogan in the Zaharian records per the Meltzer facts to film <laughs> that I have. Terry Bolea 1L, Tiny Bolin, B-O-L-E-N, L Bolea, Linda Bolea, T Bolea, Terry Bolea, uh, H Hogan. <laughs> Gee, I wonder who that could be. Uh, <laughs> H Hogan. That's so mysterious. They'll never figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> and also, there were there <laughs> former job guy Dan Brower in Tampa sure was getting a lot of packages too. <laughs> well, all right. So we're going to close the show out. Steve Beverly has a uh, common Matt watch about the state of television in wrestling. Hmm. Called TV or not TV. Matt Days Ahead. One month ago, Las Vegas Wrestling Talk Radio host Rick Carter asked me what has be- what has become the perpetual question since we announced the retirement of Matt Watch. What do you see as the future of wrestling on television? Of course, predicting that as I forecast the precise day of peace in the Middle East, but if one analyzes recent rating trends, several keys become apparent. One, Ric Flair has not been an automatic ratings catalyst for the WWF. Five of the last six weeks, WCW shows have topped the ratings, and the one-off week, World Championship Wrestling was only one-tenth of a point from the lead. Many analysts predicted the quick demise of WCW as a TV force at the Flair's departure. Again, that is a failure to look at the big picture. WCW have been posting mediocre ratings with Flair for nearly a year. In addition, while Titan Sports is much better off having Flair and competing with him, he does not necessarily translate into huge TV ratings for predominant child and teen-oriented profile of a typical WWF TV viewer. Outside of Flair's debut on Primetime Wrestling in early September, which boosted the show to a 3.2, Primetime has uh, languished for far worse than any past seasons of opposite Monday Night Football. In the last seven weeks, the Monday Night WWF cable flagship has averaged a 2.2 rating. All American Wrestling, usually as a Sunday powerhouse, has dipped to a 2.0 or below three times in the last five weeks. That is a very interesting point that Steve brings up here with Flair, Dave. Now, you know, I haven't really thought about before. I wonder if Flair's, you know, disconnect with WF fans is because he's a totally different type of character than they pushed in the main events in the past. Yeah, he's not. He's just a wrestler, an experienced wrestler from outside of the organization, which they never even would talk about in the past. He's not a big new Big new menace that came in with a with a with a gimmick and everything. I don't know. It's not over the top. You it's know? not. It's yeah, just, he's he's just a wrestler. Like he's just he's Ric Flair. He's the Nature Boy. They didn't yeah. even see Nature Boy all the time. He's <laughs> it's like, just Ric Flair. It's like you know we we ex, we will accept him, but he's not a, a main event guy. It's like when they tried to push Kurt Henning as a main event guy with Hogan in early 1990, and it didn't work. Because you need, the, you need because they're used to you need to have some sort of gimmick attached to you if you're going to be something important. Exactly. Yes. Bix, where do you, I mean, where do you where do you stand on that and that theory? Hmm. I mean, he's more Ric Flair than he would be for a lot of the run. But yeah, he's not the nature boy for the most part. He's not able to wear his suits. So he's that's the thing. There, it's not just that he's a different type of character. He's not getting to do the whole character. Yeah, that's part. I mean, that's part of it, but it's just it's not it's 
he's all he's also not pushed for for children or teens that his gimmick doesn't go in that direction no that's the thing too all right two no wrestling series is extraordinarily compelling today strong statement yes but look at the numbers in six of the last seven weeks, at least four of the five cable series have posted declines over a year ago. Figures. October 26, only WCW on Saturday topped this 1990 rating. Now it's in the final week of having no head-to-head competition for late afternoon college football on ESPN. Steve wonders how that will hold up this weekend when Georgia-Florida is opposite. If that game is close in WCW's strongest southern cities, not in droves, but little by little, the viewers are telling wrestling companies it's no longer appointment TV. They have to catch your shows week in and week out. The F-Dips are not the only story. Even in its worst weeks, WCW main event rarely fell below a 2.2 opposite the NFL. That 1.8 in late October was telling. The only cable series consistently outpointing year-ago audiences on this network is the Global Wrestling Federation on ESPN. Its 1.2 average is 50% up from the AWA and USW Legends in 1990, but that isn't a level barometer. You know, one thing that we didn't really talk about in the first point was the difference in the TV ratings w- with Flair and WCW when he's there and when he leaves, their ratings went up because people were predicting the downfall, but their ratings were higher than when he was there. And WS got lower. Very weird. It's a weird thing. It's a weird dynamic. Russ is a critical need of a compelling new format. That's point number three. If you want any that happens a few years down the line. <laughs> yeah. If you want any evidence, Thank consider you. this. <laughs> in, in, in All right, Gilbert, shut up. <laughs> in syndication, the number two action-oriented sports entertainment program is no longer the series of the wrestling network, WCW. The runner-up is now a program Steve calls the little show that could, American Gladiators. A hybrid of WS Sizzle in a series of 15 years ago almost called Almost Anything Goes, Featured competitors with permanent flashy nicknames, AG is perceived by the audience as something different. It is, strictly speaking, a television show. No arena cards, no pay-per-views, yet. Two years ago, Gladiators uh, quietly crept, uh, crept quietly into our local stations while Roller Games blasted its way on with loud, obnoxious promos and a $700,000 a week budget, which bankrupted its production company in 26 weeks. Gladiators averaged a 3.2 rating in its first year, barely a break-even figure. But two weeks ago, they scored a 5.1, its highest ever rating, and it does not have multiple shows to boost the ratings, a la wrestling. Somehow, this is the original action sports entertainment format, which has clicked, and wrestling companies ought to be eyeing it. Talkins Gladiator producers are considering running a mini tour of large cities in the summer and may attempt a pay- cable show in 1992. If they're successful, they could be the first in this genre to post a threat to the dominance of the World Wrestling Federation. Now, do I think Grudge Match, a Jesse Ventura co-hosted effort, will make it? After watching about six editions? No. For one thing, it's nothing more than an adult version of Double Dare, the sloppy kids game show. <laughs> Second, not even the competitors themselves, who are supposed to have legitimate beefs with each other, take it seriously. Ventura seems to have fun with it, but plays it strictly for laughs. All right. Um, Bix, you're the American Gladiators expert on the show. Okay, sure. I mean... You're a kid in this time period, and would you would you say that it, it took a chunk of the WF kid audience in that era? Perhaps. You know, you got to remember, for me, it aired right after Superstars. So they were yeah. intertwined as things you watched together. 
Um, yeah, like I it's and same with me, like during 90 and 91, if there was like a block to have like superstars, roller games and American gladiators. And if you're going to watch one, I mean, if you're not, if you don't need to go, go somewhere and do something that day, you're probably going to watch all of them. I mean, <laughs> if you're, if you're into, uh, that type of thing, I mean, they're all similar, similar style of, uh, you know, athletics, you know, trying to pull off athletic feats sort of thing, whether it's wrestling or roller games or American Gladiators, where like if you're a kid, you're just watching people do cool athletic things. The thing about Gladiator though is you had all the cool, you know, gimmicks. Yeah. Like but the, like uh, is it gonna is it gonna force you to stop watching the wrestling show because you're only you only want to watch American Gladiators now? Probably not. Probably you'll watch both. You would think, but unless they're head to head, you know, yeah, yeah, you would family. think. No, then it maybe costs you viewers. But I mean, obviously, I mean, it was doing good ratings, really good ratings at that time. Yeah. So. Yes. Um, that's I don't know if it makes you not a wrestling fan anymore, though. It's just something, another cool show to watch, you know? Well, what about people that went from UFC to, to left WWE went to UFC? Well, that's... That's another story. <laughs> Somewhat similar, but yeah. Yeah. Also, Dave doesn't realize the as I'm I was digging through to find the timing on this. You mean Steve? I mean Steve. Sorry, the American Gladiators live tour has already been announced by this point. Uh huh. Uh huh. And and like I don't know, American Gladiators. I mean, it has some similarities to wrestling with the gimmicks and with you know a bunch of jacked up people, but it's like. The UFC comparison, it's it, UFC is more similar because at least they're in fights or in they're in matches where you're trying to win, you know, a one-on-one fight. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, UFC and wrestling are way closer than American Gladiators and wrestling in terms of how similar they are. Well, both Gladiators and wrestling have the luxury of Mike Adamley, So. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> yes, yes. Long time uh, Chicago TV picture, Mike Adamley. Yes, he was. He's a legend in the Windy City, yes. Yeah. Went to school at Northwestern, as a matter of fact, as well. So there's that. Mm-hmm. All right. In the last week, sources have told Matt Watch both of the top two Mac companies are considering adjustments in their cable formats. Vincent Mann is at least thinking of toying with the primetime format again in the wake of the low ratings, perhaps adding more exclusive to primetime features to replace repeats of Challenge and Superstars non-match segments, which he does completely. With the round table taking the uh, talk, taking over the talk show format. And and exclusive primetime matches. Yes, there is in late... A lot. There is, I think there might be one or two more besides this, but I know for sure in late 92, there is a primetime only taping. Yeah, there, there are a lot of primetime exclusive matches. Absolutely. Well, someone went and did they start? Media. Did they start doing that because they weren't doing as many like uh, like those you know pulling stuff from from MSG pulling stuff from well they know, had less yeah, to they, do it with yeah yeah they didn't yeah. have those shows because no they weren't broadcasting those house shows in each of the markets that they would do it in it's, and see what in the where else did they do it besides MSG they had the, the Toronto 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 Hamilton, Hamilton London right they they would pull random house show matches from that to fill primetime time but, but if they're, well, the, the, if they're not doing that. those shows anymore if they're not being yeah. broadcast they don't have that footage to work with anymore although there were house see, shows in the earlier years that they taped specifically to use on primetime and other recaps. Yeah, very, like, very early. But you look at the early 90s, though, before they went into the uh, the format with studio audience, basically primetime was nothing but 
Challenge of Superstars matches. Challenge of Superstars with with like two or three like a match from yeah. Toronto, a match from the Garden like thrown yeah. in. Yeah, and it was like redubbed, you know, voiceovers. Yeah, oh, it would be like Sean matches. Mooney and Lord Alfred Hayes. Mooney and Lord Alfred Hayes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Coco Beware here taking on Iron Mike Sharp. Yeah. And then you get the and then you get the inset promo with the show that it was from. You know the backdrop. So yeah. Um, but Steve, um, uh, WCW on the hand is expected to cut back on the number of feature segments it offers and revert to more wrestling. Power Hour presented eight matches last Saturday with only Banner All Rights town rundowns as separation. <laughs> Whether any of these adjustments will result in large audiences is arguable. What the ratings say to Steve is that what he's been saying for the last 18 months now, wrestling is no longer a special event on television because there's simply too much of it and too much of it which looks alike. Until we genuinely, until we see a genuinely compelling original format of presentation, Steve does not look for a sudden resurgence of titanic proportions. Okay. I feel like that goes back to what I joked about at the beginning, but in a serious way. Do we get a second boom period if there's not ECW rocking the boat to steal ideas from? It's a huge factor in that. It's a huge factor, and they'd have to figure it out. Like, obviously, something needs to be done to turn things around, but would they realize that it's the controversial well, shock value, you know, lots of violence, you know? Raw, going to Monday Night, Li- Monday Night Live every other week or every two weeks. You know, that was a big difference. That was too. And I mean, you know, in once primetime ends, Raw starting in the taping in different kinds of venues and doing something that was much more like a Memphis-style show on a national basis, that did freshen things up some. Yeah. Um, but you know what, though? As much as ECW had an influence on how a lot of indie, show, indie, indie TV shows were produced... No one on the national level really bit off anything as far as the TV formatting. No, it was mainly just taking the hardcore match element, basically. The adult taking teams, that style, the yeah, yeah, that that type of deal. Yeah. But adult characters, stuff yes, like that. Yeah. yes, exactly. No, no one other than some other indies tried to lift the whole uh, 120 minutes, but pro wrestling aesthetic. Some wrestling promotion should have hired Matt Penfield. <laughs> that would have answered all the problems right there, wouldn't it? Well, wait, didn't Al Tomko use him as JR King Kong Bundy? <laughs> I mean, Matt Penfield <laughs> looked like a wrestler, so you could have fit him out there. <laughs> all right. Well, that is it for this week's show. So, Dave, praise that, my man. I know you're a very busy man these days, so plug away. What is going on in your world? Yes, tell everyone well, that I've... can watch the Shimmer archives on all three of High Spots' streaming services. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one, but the Shimmer archives are on High Spots streaming. I think all of check them. that out. Also, <laughs> also we're uh, still releasing physical media. Of the, we're still getting caught up on stuff that we filmed five years ago, <laughs> putting that out both on high spots and as physical media for those who still are collecting. There are some people that have extensive collections going back to when we started promoting in 2005. So therefore we're still doing, we're still adding to that physical media collection for those people who have, who have shelves with lots of DVDs on them. 
Um, I've been doing a commentary for Game Changer Wrestling. Uh, as you listen to this, uh, we would have just finished up running LA, uh, which will be available on demand on Fight TV with uh, Nick Gage defending the GCW world title against Leo Rush, uh, Joey Janelle and Starboy Charlie inside of a steel cage against Juicy Finau and Jacob Vatu, uh, Jordan Oliver versus Yamato and more. That's available on demand. Um, coming up the 12th of November is the NGI seven in Chicago deathmatch tournament. The next night, Wisconsin death trip, up at um, my favorite named venue, La Pica Lounge Car Number Three in Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm doing commentary for Freelance Wrestling, which can be found on IWTV. Uh, their next Logan Square event is the 18th of November. Um, GCW's back in Providence, Rhode Island on the 20th of November and uh, back in St. Louis and debuting in Southern Indiana at the arena in Jeffersonville in early November or early December uh, for uh, GCW as well. So busy times, man. Hey, Booker T, name drop freelance wrestling in NXT. So uh, might get some some new watchers off of that. Very good. Very good. I take it that was a Cora Jade match. It was, uh, yeah, she was involved, and he talked about her past in freelance wrestling. Which he probably knows about, because I would guess because of Kylie Ray and her crossover between his school and freelance. Yes. All right. Well, next week on Between the Sheets, what a very timely show for us. As we go back to 1997. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> the 1997, the week before Survivor Series. So I definitely picked this week because I'd have to worry about talking about Bret Hart on this show. Oh, so wait a <laughs> second. So, about we're, everything else. <laughs> so we're doing 1997 two weeks in a row, too? Because Tyler's Patreon show is the following week. So yeah, a lot of 1997 content. Although we should note when we agreed to do that show with, with Tyler uh, Gignac that uh, there would be no, like, Montreal content on the main show because we just well no Brett content Brett Sean you know what I mean yeah because we got have, we got I mean we have Survivor Series we have the pay per view proper that we didn't talk about on the pay per view show but but we'll one. get his opinion we'll get his opinion on it anyway yeah. all right so that's in two weeks next week though on between the sheets um, WCW will have uh, news on what the political situation could be coming up in 1998 with all these big names in there and uh, the future of the tag team division. What's going on with that? And Nitro at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. What an interesting show to speak as um, we have uh, <laughs> we have quite the interesting show, let's put it that way, with Nitro. Is that all the right, one uh, with the uh, public enemy high voltage Falls Can Anywhere match the crowd completely shuts on? Uh, no. Okay, that's a different Philly. Okay. Yeah, neither one of those teams are actually on this show. Well, that's good. All right, uh, so we have that, plus all kind of other WCW news, including is there heat between DDP and Mark Marrow over the Diamond Cutter, and uh, future WCW plans about future te- other television shows. And we got the indie scene going on as we have uh, er- early IWMS South, Dave, their first anniversary show is during that week. There week's. you we'll go. About that. And we have uh, early Omega to talk about. We have Ultimate Jeopardy 97 at the ECW Arena to talk about, and uh, which would be Rick Rude's last night at, at the ECW Arena. Then we have uh, uh, some international stuff, Lucha, of course. We had uh, some Joshi in Japan to talk about. 
Some good Tanny Mouse content. <laughs> New Japan running uh, the Fukuoka Dome. Major show there. Wait, how come you never it... brought in Tanny Mouse? <laughs> <laughs> You're really asking that question? <laughs> if you would have put, put Masai Genki against Tanny Mouse, Vix would have been front row at that show so quick, it wouldn't be fun. You would, I mean, he would have wanted the whole row so he could stretch <laughs> out for that one. And then at World Wrestling Federation, we have the Sky Dome house show to talk about. Brett's uh, last match at Toronto for the World Wrestling Federation. We got Raw in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So let's talk about that, where we have an interesting Sean Triple H uh, segment with the crowd reaction. We And we have news on Brian Pillman's, uh, you know, the, the autopsy report coming in and a statement from Melanie Pillman on AOL regarding Brian. But... Interesting story of our show doesn't take place in any of the major promotions. It takes place in Gainesville, Florida, after a NWA Florida show, a fight between Dan Severin and Dory Funk Jr. Oh boy! Yes, this is quite the story. Oh, I wonder and, and who Dennis, instigated it. And Dennis Coraluzo is also heavily involved in this as well. This is probably chronicled in the Howard Brody book too. If I might be. Yes, yeah, so we, we might have to go use that when we do this. And we will be joined by Black Label Pro Promoter Mikey Blanton making his Yay! next week. Yes. So uh, we'll have that and lots more as we uh, pound you down with 1997 content <laughs> next, the next couple weeks on Between the Sheets. There you go. All right, Dave. Always an honor to have you on with us. It's an extreme Always good to be on. Thank you, my man. Vix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon Special Edition number 73. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan and Bix. It's time to start year seven of the Patreon, and yes, we're finally tackling the big one. Which one? No, this is the big one. This is the one that, uh, this is one of the ones that, you know, we kind we, we kind of avoided on the on the main show. Well, we had uh, to. Yeah, because I mean, it, it had to be for Patreon. I mean, the two the two big ones. This is one, and the other one's trial, the bench trial, and Ben, which to a degree. Well, that's a whole different big one, but um, yeah, this one is um, yeah, this one was this was definitely made for the Patreon show. Um, the trial the same way, and Ben as well. Um, so yeah, so we've, uh, we've avoided long enough. It's been 25 years, which is crazy to think that's been that long. God almighty. So yes, it's now time to go to Montreal. Now this is going to be a three part series here. It's going to cover the rest of the year, October, November, December. So we're going to start in October of 1997. All right. So now, let's go back to the Observer. Just a few days before Brett made his final decision to leave, he wrote a column in the Calgary Sun. Obviously, much of the column's typical pro wrestling attempting to hide his next big pipe, his next big match on the, in the new, in vogue, more realistic insider fashion. But in hindsight, you can see where his head was at in other ways just before making his decision. This column was written as a letter to Shawn Michaels. Now, there's a caveat to this now. We know that Bruce Hart ghostwrites some breast columns. Well, there's going to so, be a lot more cave- caveats to that, but we'll get to that in a couple minutes. So anyway, we'll read this and then see what happens. Shawn Michaels, you're a disgrace to professional wrestling. It amazed me that there was an, a time I actually thought you'd be the guy who'd come up behind me and carry the ball when my time comes to retire. Now when you're behind me, I have to make sure I don't bend over. I'm a second-generation wrestler. Like a lot of second-generation wrestlers, I pay my dues. The way you're degrading the business makes me sick and breaks my heart. That's not what the heartbreak kid was supposed to mean. I told you, Vince told you to leave our families out of this. So you got on Raw and said my father was dead? This time you're so far over the line, there's no coming back. Every so often after you shoot off your mouth, you come to me backstage with a lame apology and a limp handshake. Oh, Brett, my mouth always gets me in trouble when I get going out there. You know I didn't mean nothing by it. Don't bother this time. I'm not buying it. I would not embarrass my father, who's not only very much alive, but is still tougher today at 83 and more of a man than you will ever be, as you have embarrassed your father with your de- degenerate behavior. How humiliating for your poor father to have to explain your lewd gestures to your her friend. Hers is her friends? <laughs> I guess that means he's supposed to be a mother. Uh, you don't respect anybody, do you? What does Jose Lothario think of how you've made pornography out of what he taught you? Sean Michaels, you're nothing more than a whore for this business. You call me a paper champion because it bothers you that my contracts are more than you and the whole Degeneration X put together. You said I wrestle because I need the money, but you wrestle because this business needs you. You are a festering cancerous tumor in this business. After WrestleMania 11, I went home for a while to give you the chance to become the man. Because as long as I'm around, you'll never be the man. You were so bad at being the man that WWE had the biggest bidding war in wrestling history to get me to come back. You had the world championship belt, but you don't. What do you have besides a big mouth and a bad attitude? Shawn Michaels, you said it'd be an undertaker makes you an icon. Not taking anything away from Taker, 
that you weren't the first guy to beat him. You just did it too late. You said you're the only icon that could still go, not like the fossils. You're so BF for taking completely overdone bumps like a Mexican jumping bean that you can't work a full schedule like the older guys. You only wrestle about once a month, and you're proud of that? Then people who think they know more about this business than they actually do, right? What a hard worker you are. Anyone can work hard once a month. You bareback your way to main event matches, and they give you the best guys in the business to make you look good. So you and your boyfriend, Hunter, think I'm told. Think I'm old, I guess. Hunter says he's bigger than me in more ways than one, and, and then you point at Hunter's crotch and say he could put an eye out with that thing. Thanks for admitting that you know what Hunter has in his pants. So how come I have four kids and all you two have is each other? I'm not the one shooting blanks. By the way, you both look very comfortable eating bananas together on Raw. Lots of parents tell me they won't let their kids watch the shows anymore because of you, and they don't watch either because you're such an asshole. People are shutting the show off because of you. It took so long to make wrestling and family entertainment. Thanks for setting the business back 50 years. You're the one who's confusing expansion and destruction, not me. You, Sean, are the destruction of this business. You made me sick. You said you're the best sports entertainer in the world. Don't even think about saying you're a wrestler. What I do is an art form. What you do is well, what you do. Anyway, because it's not pro wrestling anymore. You call the WF World Championship a 10 title. But you're only saying it because you don't have the belt. When you did have it, it you treated it like garbage and threw it away. So now you want to try winning the title Survivor Series? You better reconsider that because when I get my hands on you, it's going to make take the, it's going to make the meeting I gave you in the locker room last June like a warm up. After that little scuffle, you went running the vents, complaining that the work conditions in WF were unsafe. The only thing I say about the work conditions in WF is you, Sean. You've gotten the ring so pilled up lately that you can't even talk straight on television. You better shake the cobwebs free because before you get in the ring with me at Survivor Series, this business has been my mistress for my whole life, and I love her. You are raping her and taking her dignity away. Don't count on my reputation for professionalism, saving your ass Survivor Series. You're the one who threw the rulebook out the window. The 17 stitches you got a hell in a cell, nothing compared to what's coming at Misery in Montreal. Well, we're going to break chronology here and skip ahead to the Survivor Series week, Observer, for a moment, because all this coverage is so long, otherwise this correction will be stupidly far removed from the column we just read. In last week's Observer, in the lead story, the article listed as being a letter by Bret Hart to Shawn Michaels and Conqueror's son was unbeknownst to us, not exactly as was, as was stated. Bret wrote the column that appeared in The Sun, which is very similar. In fact, for the most part, word for word was what, what was listed here. However, the most inflammatory remarks were not in the newspaper, and how we got them is somewhat of a mystery to begin with. The version here was circulating online as this song column and sent to me and printed earlier that week in another, another newsletter. Due to so much shocking nature of what Brett had originally had, literally had written that week in the newspaper, Brett's actual column was very critical of Michael's, but far less inflammatory. All right, before we get into that, how, did, how do you think that got to Dave? Bruce sent it to him like, hey, check, check this out. <laughs> so that column never actually ran. No, and as you'll see, the column that does run as the Free Survivor Series column is not that similar to it. I'm pulling up the column archive just to make absolutely sure there's nothing that's even close. But you want to get into the actual column first? Or should we... Talk about this. Well, might, well, I might as well read it. So, okay, so what is the date I said this one was? This is... I mean, it's from this week, so... 
Um, this one, okay, so this one is, is claimed to be November 8th. The, the ones from the previous couple weeks are not this. I mean, there's one about how he hates the, the race angle. That's November 1st. And then the week before was his film in tribute. So the only thing this could be, I would think, would be what we're about to read, which is very much not at all like what we just read. So I guess it's time to read it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do it. This is what the comment actually ran in the Calgary Sun. Michael's Never Be the Man by Bret Hart. It's hard to believe it's been a year since I came back to WF and kicked Stone Cold Steve Austin's butt of Survivor Series. There are two reasons I came back. The first was the millions of fans around the world who stuck me through thick and thin. The other was because I didn't like the direction WF was going, and I want to put things back on the right track. About a year ago, in this space, I wrote, it just may be my toughest fight ahead of me. I'm going to try and prove the one guy can make a difference when it comes to restoring the dignity that professional wrestling has lost. I have no delusions by single-handedly changing things overnight, but maybe wrestling fans will see my point, and together we can row the boat upstream and change time. I had no idea that while I was away for seven months at the WrestleMania 12, the stream was that was flowing the wrong way had grown to a tidal wave. While I was home, Shawn Michaels and other degenerates gained a stronghold in WF. Is it too arrogant of me to think that it was my absence opened the door for them? The strange thing was only to happen in America. Wherever else I went, South Africa, England, Germany, Middle East, especially in Canada, the rest of the fans still cheer for the heroes and boo for the bad guys. But in America, they cheer for scum like Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. When I told the truth, I said American morals seem to have gotten all twisted. U.S. fans may be their villain. It disturbed me greatly because the point a lot of people were missing is that I love America. My mother's American. In what must be the longest time in wrestling history, not to WrestleMania 12, I explained everything I thought was wrong in wrestling in America. Every grievance I brought up was true in fact. I was cheated out of the title not once or four times. No one ever rallied in my defense. Even when I lost about the psycho sin Chattanooga because Stone Cold hit me in the back of the head with a chair, no one spoke up for me all, at all. I have few, very few letters from my American fans, but a ton of Canadians and Europeans who were furious at what a travesty of justice it was. I got tired of being the only guy who wrestled by the rules, but I still try to simplify the ideals that my fans in Canada and the rest of the world had come to respect and respect. Then came the day that Stone Cold Steve Austin bashed my knee in with a chair. The fans of being up to New York were cheering Austin on to bash it again and again. That's the coldest day for me in the history of wrestling. Wasn't so much the pain of having my kneecap crushed. When I looked around the audience and they were screaming like a pack of wild animals, yelling for him to hurt me more. This a disturbing vision that still haunts me. I try to be the hero the fans want me to be, and I've always been proud of that. It's disheartening when I think of the years of working at dedication I gave these fans. These same fans who were cheering for Austin that crippled me in, in my career. On TV last weekend, they said that I dislike Shawn Michaels because he openly mocks my celebrity status. They missed the point. I don't like Shawn Michaels because he openly mocks everything that's good and decent about wrestling. Shawn had the ability to help put wrestling back on the right track and say so he derailed it. What a pathetic waste. I can't wait to get my hands on Survivor Series in Montreal. Survivor Series tomorrow on Viewer's Choice Pay-Per-View. Owens recovered from the NXT concussion game from Ahmed Johnson, and in the Survivor Series, he'll defend the IC title against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Team USA of Vader, Goldust, Marrow, and Patriot will take take on Team Cannon, the Bulldog, Anvil, the Fauna Furnace. Patriot got a torn tricep in the match, and Anvil last week 
with Amber last week, but maybe it's all even because Gold just broke his hand and it's in a cast. Bill Russell's match anyway. LOD Ahmed Johnson King Shamrock took on the NOD. Headbangers and Blackjacks are going against the New Age Outlaws and Goblins. And Mankind with Russell Kane. Well, no, it was uh, Bart Gunn. Or no, where was it? Oh, no, they are heels. Yeah, it's New Age Outlaws and Goblins. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I admit sometimes there are days that I wonder if I'm, what I'm trying to prove. The bones of my knees are grinding to a halt. Bones of my wrists are turning to powder. My tragic hips. God knows what kind of price I extract exactly my body of the last 21 years to prove what. Tomorrow, Survivor Series, my mission is the same as it was a year ago. To prove that one guy can make a difference to putting identity back in pro wrestling. Prove that as long as the hitman's around, Shawn Michaels never beat the man, the showstopper, or the icon that he arrogantly claims to be. Well, maybe he's an icon, an icon that stands for the cancer that's killing professional wrestling. The hitman's the antidote. Oh, yeah, by the way. I've exercised a 30-day clause of my contract, which allows me to explore my options with WCW. Officially, I'm on the contract review, and my situation is yet to be determined. <laughs> nice to throw that in there. Uh, the entire Hart family seems to get well with the President Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla suffering from serious heart disease and is a prime candidate for a heart transplant when he regains enough strength for surgery. Our thoughts and prayers are with Gorilla in this toughest fight ever. I'm very disappointed in you for not saying the WCW, like it said here. <laughs> yes, with the WCW, but... Okay. Uh, how about that? Just, just right there. Yes. So, I think there's what two a market options. difference in columns yes. here. I think there are two options. One is that the first one was just completely fake. Which yes, I don't that's what I think. And it's just Dave not understanding the internet. But and I'm assuming what he's trying to say is someone that he trusts to know if these things are real. Sent it to him. Yeah. It's either that or it's Bruce came up with a draft like that and sent it in and and maybe sent it to some people and somehow it got out and that got scratched. But what is Dave talking about saying that the actual column was very similar? Because it's not. There's no column no, that's very it's similar not. to that one. No, it's not. It's a huge difference. Do you think this is just Dave wanting to admit in early internet, not wanting to admit in early internet times that he got tricked? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's got to – that, that that column was no way the real column, obviously. I mean, we just read the real column, you know? There's no way. It was, that was that was Brett or he, Brett's even – I don't think that's Brett's thinking, you know? Now, do you think – do you see a fan at the time, especially a newsletter reading fan, making the pilled up comments, or do you think that would be yes. to be Bruce? I think I, I more 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 thinking about. It, I think it's a fan. I think so. But there are parts of it that sound like Bruce's voice, but it's not overwhelming. I don't think Bruce would ever say pilled up. You know, he probably hated Shawn Michaels. I don't think he would. I don't think he would have said that. Hmm. I just don't. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably the simplest explanation is early internet, Dave doesn't know what he's dealing with. Someone who he would expect to normally send in legitimate stuff got duped themselves, and that was that. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month.
Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.